Hello, everyone. Welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 326. I'm your host, Chris Zellner, joined as always by my co-host David Bixen, Span, and Bix. We're almost almost through with the uh, year here. It's hard to believe Halloween has come and gone. What was your, your Halloween costume this year? Um, I didn't have one because I was at the Onita show. That has not happened yet as we're recording this. So uh, I thought that if you were going to go to the Onita show, that you would be dressed up as like Mr. Pogo or something. <laughs> or and at least Victor. the telltale laugh. Or at least Victor Quinones. No, I'll, I'll dress up <laughs> as Crypt the Keeper. Crypt the Keeper? Well, hey, he made his return. So, yeah, that was a wild uh, scene there. But, uh, yes, speaking of Onita and uh, those cast of characters, we are joined yet again by our dear friend making his return to the show after becoming a new father three months ago. Yes, we are joined by the infamous Robert O'Connor. Robert, welcome back. Oh, thank you. Yes, uh, it is true. Uh, Frankie Joe Westerberg O'Connor, uh, <laughs> a.k.a. Frankie the Thumper, was uh, born on July 30th. Uh, as anyone who follows me on Twitter is surely well aware, uh, I realized I might be going overboard uh, posting the baby pictures when I got a follow from Rude Boy Riley. Oh, we don't need him sliding into Frankie's DM. Oh, no, but, not at but, all. But, uh, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, so far, so good. Um, getting rather fond of the little guy. Uh, I've, I've always been adamant uh, that I only want the one child, uh, one and done. Uh, but uh, then I remember that if uh, Stu and Helen had stopped after the first one, their only child would be Smith. Oh, God. So that does <laughs> give me pause for reflection. So uh, we'll, yes. we'll see. Yes. Ooh. Yeah, that's a, that's a, what a thought that would have been. Well, oh, don't, forget it, don't forget that if they stopped at two, it would have been Smith and Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> you got to get to at least three. You got to get to your Keith. Yes. Got to get the key. That's what it start getting normal when you get the key. <laughs> oh, Bruce comes with daughters uh, from from his school gig, but uh, daughters nonetheless. Yes. All right. Well, let's uh, go back to a great year in wrestling history, 1989, as we discussed the week that was October the 27th through November the 2nd, and we begin with the National Wrestling Alliance. And yes, their string of excellent pay-per-view events ended on October 20th in Philadelphia, according to Dave Meltzer. Halloween Havoc was far from the worst pay-per-view event in history, but from a live perspective, the card came off like just another ordinary night of NWA wrestling. It just wasn't the aura of specialness to the card. While the promotion put together the most creative batch of television commercials ever for a major show, the backbone of the NWA, the great wrestling action on the big shows, wasn't there. Usually in a situation where a major event doesn't live up to expectations, it's criticism time. But really, I, they didn't have any criticism. And the NWA simply wasn't ready to do a pay-per-view card on October 28th. They didn't think the fans were ready. The buy rate would be the answer to that one. But the feuds and grudges and storylines weren't ready on October 28th to peak. So to make up for this, the promotion built a cage. Or should Dave say, three strange men somewhere in black, at a blacksmith shop high in the <laughs> mountains put together one of those 
most bizarre cages ever, and a unique Thunderdome match was made the selling point. <laughs> yes, uh, Nick Busick was Nick one Busick. of them, was he not? Correct, that is correct. Nick Busick the, was one of them. To the strains and, of uh, Hell's Bells by ACDC, if I remember correctly. I love those commercials. I thought they were great. Yeah. But yeah, Nick Busick and a couple other uh, indie wrestlers from the area, which I can't remember their names, but... Yeah, he had that great look, you know, that, that great facial. His eyes were mm-hmm. fucking out of his head with his mustache. So, yeah, it was, it was good stuff. And they had a bunch of different commercials. They had the Elvira commercial. They had, like, some fairly advanced for the time computer graphics stuff they did, too. They had a, That was one of the things that stuck out about the show. They had a bunch of different spots for it. Yeah, it's like Dave said. They, they were on their game when it came to that. But some of the other stuff they were kind of off on. Um, after WrestleMania Light response of 420 letters and phone calls over the past week, the response Halloween have was closest and most probably probably the most varied since we've started doing the polls at the big shows. But here's here's how it ended up. Two hundred and two thumbs up, two hundred and nine thumbs down, nine in the middle. So yeah, I mean you're right there. You fit those in the middle, I mean you, that could be even, even. So, yeah, it's an interesting result there. And Dave said a couple of trends to note about these results. First off, the response was significantly more positive among those who viewed the show on pay-per-view as compared with those there live. From those live, we had a 57, 16, and 1 response. 57 negative. If you take those 74 responses away, you wind up with a somewhat positive, although not overly so, for those viewing on pay-per-view. The second trend is that those who voted on the phone were a lot more negative than those who wrote letters. The only reason Dave brings this up because he didn't know if that means anything. And what would it mean if it did? It's because this is a definite strong trend in both directions, which when put together almost equaled out to total stalemate. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I guess Dave thought it was interesting that the, the callers were more negative than the letter writers. So who knows? But yeah, that's interesting. Just set the record straight. Official the live show drew 7,300 fans to the Philadelphia Civic Center. And 104-234 gate. Why are we setting the record straight? The original figures we got were incorrect. Although we knew they had to be incorrect because they were not from the commission, but from a non-NWA source who simply lied about the gate today's normal contact. The original numbers we had were 95-62 paid and 137-244. But from being there live, no way that's the case. Since with equipment, the place would be a sellout at 9,300 tickets. NWA source gave Dave the 7,300 fans $110,000 gate, which looked legit since it appeared to be about 2,000 tickets side and shell out. Either way, it's the second largest live gate in the year for the NWA behind Baltimore and one of the larger paid crowds of the year. Vix, I've been tell- talking to you about this lately in DMs. The lo- these attendances that's been reported over the years for some of these places, especially Mass Square Garden shows and some of these other big shows, are not the case. The newspapers, and more often than not, they're going to have legit numbers because they're coming from the venue and these are commission states, what have you, have legit attendances, and they're way more than what's being reported to the observer at the time. So there's no telling how many of these attendances that we've had over the years are wrong. Oh, absolutely. We've been finding this out with a lot of things, like, until I went through all that stuff a couple weeks ago, did you have any idea that 
WWF on TBS wasn't really that much of a flop. I mean, yeah, that's one thing. Something like that. But these, but attendance is a totally different beast. I, get I what mean, you're yeah. I mean, well, especially is, the, the the big one from the ones you were showing me that I thought was really interesting was the July '84 MSG show. Because normally yeah. that's looked at as being this this huge flop, you know, that Richter uh, Mula with Cindy Lauper ringside wasn't drawing, so they had to add a Hogan match and a Battle Royal, and even then it didn't come close to selling out. But what was the number? The number you had wasn't a sellout, but it was much closer, right? I'm looking at it right now. I'm, I'm looking for a, a particular. Um, what was that? July the 15th at the Garden. Uh, no, they were the Meadowlands. Hold on. Let me find it, actually. Um, there's June July, 6th. It's July 23rd. Uh, July 23rd. It was 22091. And the number that was always in the newsletters was 15,000. Now, yes. is that combined number, or is that... Just there the was no full form number. That was the attendance number. And there's nothing about the felt form on the history on history of WWE, which usually mentions if it was available in the felt form. But yeah, I mean, you look at some of these other shows in '84, and they're all like twenty. Most of them are twenty something thousand, twenty six thousand, four thousand at the felt form. You know, it's pretty much standard. I mean, it, it is straight that number almost every show so are you finding not, this in uh, new york daily news or one of the jersey papers um, um mainly jersey papers i have noticed that by the way especially since there's so many jersey papers on newspapers.com and genealogy bank there's sometimes like some sneaky good stuff related to like new york wwf stuff in those jersey papers yeah, they're, they're going to have the attendances more, and it just contradicts some of this uh, stuff that we've heard over the years. So, yes. But anyway, so who do we think is feeding this to Dave, especially since Dave's going to end up going to the commission to get a final number anyway? And they said it was a non-NWA source. So, Wait, a non-NWA draw- source who lied to his normal contact? Mm-hmm. That's interesting phrasing, too. Yeah, who knows? Who knows who that would be? But anyway. All right, let's get to the card, shall we? The Z-Man, Tom Zink, Penn might return in the opener in 1323 when returned to the crossbody block off the middle rope and Zink reversed it for the pin. Zink got a lukewarm reaction as he was booed almost as much as he was cheered, which is a better fate than some of the faces later in the card. They did nothing for the first three minutes and no sustained action for the first half of the match. Zink got an elbow in the eye, and his eye watered up at five minutes. Rotunda got Zonk. I love if I said Zonk here. Zonk and a head scissors. And got Zink and Zonk. Zonk and a head scissors, and the boring chant started. The fans were cheering when Rotunda worked Zonk over, although they were also cheered to finish when Zink won. Dave thinks they were cheering more just because the match was over with. Last two minutes were good anyway, three quarters of a star. Well, I don't know about you, Robert, but nothing inspires a fan's confidence more than an opening match of Tom Zink and Mike Rotunda. <laughs> yes. Well, uh, yeah, I did uh, go back and rewatch this show. Uh, I did not uh, originally see it on pay-per-view since uh, we did not have pay-per-view in Toronto at this time. But uh, I did uh, what one did back then and uh, went to the video store later 
Oh, yes. And uh, rented it on VHS. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm uh, somewhat of a Tom Zink partisan, uh, having grown up on uh, International from Montreal. But, uh, yeah, there's there's not much to say about this one. Uh, this was a match. I mean, it's basically the same guy. I mean, it's like that Spider-Man meme, Bix, you know? <laughs> it's, it's the same <laughs> yeah. guy. Just pretend is just a sweatier Tom Zink. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, what, what do you think? Should, should they have put on a more exciting opener to get the crowd going here? You mean especially since the next match on the show is the exact type of match they use to open up pay-per-views in a hotter way? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, this is, this is where they should have flip-flopped. Uh, the second match was Samoa SWAT team and Samoan Savage beating the Midnight Express and Dr. Jesse Williams in 1816 when Jim Cornette collided with Stan Lane and Lane was pinned by the Savage, Sam Fatu, Tony Kid. Before the match started, they had two of the Samoans throw a large stick that was on fire back and forth during the intro. So Rob Humperdinck was in as their manager. Bill is the Big Kahuna. Yes, yeah, is his debut. Looking like a clone of Lou Albano right down to the big belly and open Hawaiian shirt. It was two minutes for a lockup, and Dot did a lot of stiff clotheslines and tackle spots on all three while they got out of the ring to recover. They alternated then in between hot tags by the faces and getting heat on the faces. The most impressive stuff was when Bobby Eaton was in, particularly the Savage blocked the Bulldog, and Eaton flew by himself into the turnbuckles and was later tossed out of the ring and crossed on the guardrail. Eaton stuck up his knees with Savage went for his finisher, a front splash, and tagged Doc at the 17-minute mark. Doc threw Savage from military press onto the other two, tagged in Lane. Lane had Savage down for the count. Humperdinck jumped on the apron, coordinate, and then hit Humperdinck with a tennis racket as Lane cheered, which allowed Savage to come from behind, not Lane in the coordinate pin Lane. Lane and coordinate argued after the match. Match is very good in spots, but this joining others, two and three quarter stars. Yeah, I mean, this probably should have been an opener, but it's the heel, heels winning, so I guess that's maybe why they didn't do it, but. And the angle they're setting up with the Midnights, Robert, they kind of had to do this type of finish. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, uh, the finish was uh, a little messy, but I uh, really like the match. Um, I know Cornette has said that uh, the Samoans were not the Midnight's favorite opponents. Oh, but, I'm sure. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, I, I enjoyed it. Uh, I did like... Uh, uh, Jim Ross, during the match, uh, of course, told the story about uh, Steve Williams wrestling with 108 stitches in his eye. And uh, Bob Cottle said he'd never heard it before. <laughs> so he uh, so, so somehow missed it the previous 108 times JR told the story. Which, uh, find incredulous, but uh, <laughs> yes, it's uh, the Midnight Express in Philly. What's not to love? And uh, Dr. Death was uh, over huge here. Oh, God, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Biggs, how do you think that all this uh, turned out? As far as... The finish and the match itself, and, you know. I, I get the one thing I come away from it thinking is, were Cornette and the Midnight's supposed to be working together all along to get at the dudes? Or was it that or is the idea that Cornette showed a genuine interest in the dudes, and then when the Midnights cried foul, they agreed to turn heel together and get the dudes? Get the dudes. Um, I, I don't think it was... 
I, 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 the way it was set, I don't think Cornette was originally trying to screw them over. That it's I once think... there, it, once there is heat between the Midnights and the dudes, is what causes is what leads to the turn, basically. Yes. Yes. Yes, the heat between uh, Lane and Douglas over a woman. Mm-hmm. In Florida. <laughs> Maybe it's Lauren Bober's mother. <laughs> well, no. It, well, no. Was it supposed to be Shane or, or Ace? Ace. Johnny Ace. Yep. And it's around this time that Stan Lane can't wear Florida. <laughs> yeah, because I just I just did res, I just did some results from uh, summer '89, and Tommy Rich was was subbing for him in Miami uh, with Bobby and Doc against uh, the Freebirds. Well, it's not that he can't work Florida; it's that if he believes he goes to Flo- if he goes to Florida, he'll, someone will serve him with a warrant and take his blood. I wonder what he has to be afraid of, though. After <laughs> all, he's it's, the only wrestler trained by Dick Flair. Ha <laughs> ha. Yeah, but he's uh, him and Johnny Ace were feuding over Lauren Bober's mother. So, <laughs> who who would you rather have as your dad, uh, Stan Lane or Johnny Ace? <laughs> uh, Stan Stan might be able to teach you how to skateboard at least. <laughs> drive a speedboat. I mean, I think I, I can think of someone we could ask, but I don't have their phone numbers. Oh <laughs> uh, me, but yeah. It, you're setting up bigger things. We'll have more on that later in the show from World Championship Wrestling, which is air- still on the TV as this is airing on pay-per-view. Because it was That's a Saturday right. show that began at 7. How we have it was on a Saturday. The pay-per-view started at 7 o'clock. So the first hour of the pay-per-view went head-to-head with the second hour of World Championship Wrestling. WC everybody. <laughs> All right. Tommy Rich hitting the Cuban Assassin. With the Thez Press in A26, fans booed Rich and were chanting boring quite a bit. Actually, they chanted boring before the match even started and never gave it a chance. On the previous match with a match that nobody wanted to see was too smart. Actually, and this is not a statement of Rich's work or anything, but people just don't want to see him anymore. Dud. Zank and Rotunda served a purpose. This had no business being on this pay-per-view. <laughs> Okay, you know, so the question is, Bix, since you, you spoke up, what do you put in this place? Uh, how many matches do we have here? <laughs> I would suggest anything else. Or even nothing. I mean, well, you got some... F- Alright, so what this match went, what, 826. So every match after this goes... Over ten minutes. So, thinking about who's not on the show, um, I mean Brad Armstrong's not on the show. Um, Eddie Gilbert. Well, <laughs> <laughs> Eddie though, I mean Eddie probably would have been over because he was a, a Philly favorite among mm-hmm. the fans at this point in time. Let me see. Who's not here? All right, let me pull up a. Uh, a uh, all right, so we don't have uh, don't have Brad, we don't have Eddie, uh, we don't have Wild Bill Irwin, Norman the Lunatic. Norman's not on this show. <laughs> we got most of the uh, key tag teams on the show. We got all the key tag teams on the show, basically. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's about it. I mean, you got the, no, no, you don't have the New Zealand militia. <laughs> yes. So they could they could done like a tag. Well, there's a lot of tags in this show. 
They could have done uh, Ranger Ross wasn't on this show. He was too busy uh, scoping out banks. <laughs> I mean, you could you could have done a New Zealand militia against Rich and Gilbert or some shit like that, or you know whatever. But everybody, that's the thing. I mean, this roster is not deep. Well, also, you're not going to put New Zealand militia on a pay per view because you're about to give them a new gimmick anyway. Yeah, well, you can get you know have them get beat, and but that's part of the ink, you know, mm. part of the ink. But anyway, I think it was okay. It just where they were at. If they were in, if they were in the South, this would have got over more. Mm-hmm. So it was fine. I, I will note uh, this was the era when, uh, according to George South, uh, Tommy Rich stole all of his T-shirts from a WCW storage <laughs> facility in Atlanta, <laughs> which he would go on to sell on uh, independent shows for many years. Oh my God! <laughs> wow. Yeah. Um, it's all, Tommy, told, oh, go ahead. Tommy is, you know, he's still, he's been back in the company a couple of months, so he's still working out all of his kinks physically and look wise and all that stuff. But I mean, he was fine here. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Just found something funny just scrolling through results to see if there were any other names we weren't thinking of. Um, on the next center there. stage tapings on the first, um, Luis Piccoli does a TV job and. He's using the name Lou Tafaloni. Tell me yeah. Kevin Sullivan <laughs> is booking the job, guys, without telling me Kevin Sullivan is booking the job, guys. Because oh, yeah, he's that made was, a name. Yeah, that was on the November 18th World Championship Wrestling. Yeah. And Buzz Sawyer makes his return on that show. So, I mean, they could have Buzz do a surprise, you know, do a, a match here, I guess. I don't know. But anyway. Wait, uh, Bix, uh, you're not implying that uh, Kevin, <laughs> Kevin Sullivan murdered Louie as well. Oh. <laughs> no. Just want to clarify that. <laughs> oh my goodness! All right. Uh, next, we have the NWA World Tag Titles as the Fabulous Freebirds retain the belts, beating the Dynamic Dudes, Johnny and Shane in eleven twenty-eight. Finish all the dudes go for their double slingshot back suplex on Garvin, but Hayes tripped Johnny Ace's leg up on the move, and Garvin fell on top of Shane for the pin. Fans cheered the Freebirds vehemently and booed everything the dudes did. The better the dudes looked, the more they booed. Dave's impression was that it was more the fans hated the dudes, and more to the point, hating the idea that Jim Cornette was with the dudes. When they liked the Freebirds. Jimmy Garvin was loving it because all he had to do was look at the crowd and they would go crazy. Douglas was actually working with his right arm broken in two places, and hadn't worked in two weeks. So he's re-injuring an already injured arm. Considering he had to do some moves left-handed, which created timing problems, it explains the missed moves. The match had a lot of noise because the crowd got totally into booing the dudes and cheering the birds. But there was no actual heat for the match. Dudes never had a chance here, even though considering Douglas's condition, and in fact, he still had to carry the team since Johnny Ace is green. Johnny Ace has been wrestling for almost three years now. They did well. Two and a half stars. All right, well, let's watch the finish, and then we'll talk about this match. Yeah, Douglas has only been wrestling a few months longer than Ace. Mm-hmm. I, I agree he's the much better wrestler at this time, but okay. Is it me or was Johnny A supposed to grab the rope there? <laughs> he was. <laughs> yes. So it, it, 
he just kind of has to, like, stand his ground, and it's the only way it even looks like it makes sense that he blocked the DDT, but it doesn't really work because he didn't grab the rope. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's why Dave is talking about how green he is. Mm-hmm. Again, like I say, he's been wrestling for three years. Think back, I don't recall when the last time I saw somebody block it. He made the tag. Shane, the fresh man and the legal man with gorgeous Jimmy Garvin. Elevation, up in the lights. Goes one half of the world to champions. The youngster from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, the native, on fire here. Did enough moving on the spot just wanted to have that here for the crowd reactions and they loved the, i mean when the Freebirds intro hit which of course this dubbed on the network can't hear i mean that place went nuts for the uh mm-hmm. version of Freebird. but uh yeah i mean it's interesting the dynamic dudes they were not liked in a lot of places <laughs> philly especially and mm. Ro- robert's amazing that shane douglas would become the king of Philadelphia in just five years. <laughs> yes, well, I'm, I'm definitely not this Shane Douglas, but no. Uh, the match uh, was not a great match, but the uh, crowd reaction made it. Uh, Shane was definitely laboring with his arm injury, uh, but I, I will say uh, my favorite part of the match was uh, Bob Cottle. I I love Bob Cottle to death. Uh, what a nice man, but. Uh, uh, Bob noted during the match uh, that uh, Johnny Ace is six foot two and still growing. <laughs> this is uh, Johnny Ace, who was twenty seven years old at the time of this match. So uh, presumably maybe, he maybe, was. Maybe Bob. <laughs> maybe maybe Bob meant he was a grower, not a show. <laughs> well, yeah. We'll have to ask uh, Mrs. Baba about that. <laughs> no, I. I thought maybe he was utilizing those uh, Be Taller products in the back of the After magazines. <laughs> oh, yes. No, th- those were not suspicious at all. Those type of products. <laughs> not the slightest. But, um, yeah, I mean, the dudes, maybe, hmm, I don't know, maybe, I don't think the dude they, they, they should have just cut bait on them, Bix. I mean, when they saw how they were, you know, and I guess they were thinking doing the cornet thing would get sympathy for them. It made it worse. Once the fans they, didn't want to boot them. want to boot at midnight. But also, once they decided, like, you need to have skateboards, but if you can't, like, even if you can't learn to ride them, so they're just carrying them to the ring, looking like idiots. <laughs> 
like once they got that far, it was like, why? Why are you doing any of this? Yeah, I mean, they they should have had the dudes turn heels to the midnights. You know, hmm. and have it where and have it where they 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 turn heel Cornette. Not Cornette turns them heel. They turn heel Cornette. It had the midnights be the faces in the feud. That's what they should have did. The problem is the landscape of who the heel teams are in the promotion have changed so much that especially with the rock and rolls coming back, it just didn't make sense for them to be baby faces anymore. Yeah, but they, I mean, the heel teams uh, who are left are not teams that would be having midnight express matches with the midnight express. Well, they, them, I mean, them, the free birds. I mean, yeah, I get what you're saying. Rock, but rock and rolls aren't coming in yet. Not this time. Okay. That's not that's on that's on the books. They don't come in the January. When so, does it start being reported? December. Okay. But still it's so, the tag teams are you know, skyscrapers, doom. Yeah, there uh, skyscrapers about to be done for a Samo- long but Samoans, you know, like they're all these big power teams. Except I get what you're saying. I get what you're saying, but in that feud it just wasn't gonna work. Alright, so there's that. Um and the, the Freebirds nineteen eighty nine, um a lot of people don't like them. I, I, I like Michael and Jimmy. And in eighty nine. In eighty nine. Yeah. Before what? a big daddy ding can well, once you start getting, I, mean, I think once yeah, once they start getting in ninety, that's when they start gaining weight. And then, of course, that's when they start adding the the, the glitter makeup and all that stuff. And <laughs> yeah, before they get in all Richard that, Marley. yeah, before they get in all that, I, I I thought they were were all right, but yeah. All right, next, Doom, Butcher and Ron Simmons under mask, managed by woman, beat the Steiner brothers at fifty twenty six. When Butcher got a foreign object from woman, put in his mask and headbutted Rick and got the pin. Kevin Sullivan was pulled from the woman in Doom Angle by order of Jim Hurd today for the pay-per-view show. The reason Dave was given was that they, not the Boom Committee, which had his hands tied at this point, but management, felt Sullivan would remove heat from woman. So TV appearances with Doom this past weekend will be his last, although he will work in prelims of house shows starting next month. Huh. Open fast with Rick and Scott doing simultaneous German suplexes and simultaneous clotheslines over the top rope. At 147, an eight-year-old in front of Dave told his friend that they were Butch Reed and Ron Simmons under the mask, and everyone in the building probably figured it out shortly thereafter. <laughs> Gee, how could you tell? Doom won't get over, but the fans really get to the Steiners. The match went too long and contained too many holes for what was put over on television. Such a major grudge. Fire broke out in the crowd during the match, and nobody watched the match, and the match lacked heat during the middle. They got heat on Scott for a while until he made his comeback after kicking out of a stuff pile driver. Place popped big when Scott did the meta, mega head scissors move. Somebody should come up with a better name for it than that. Well, it's a Frankenstein today. And Rick tagged in and did a power slam belly belly on Butchery for a woman gave him the object, which led to the pin. Two and a quarter stars. Chris, I think this is the OCR era, and it's supposed to say Mata head scissors, as in Raul Mata. Yes. Okay, Mata, excuse me. It's me- no, this is meta. <laughs> <laughs> uh... No, it's the, the meta head scissors when the young bucks do it. <laughs> <laughs> when it comes to guys under mask, 
that's not supposed to be, you know, the wink, wink, nod, nod deal, which this actually was not supposed to be. Uh, this is the most obvious one ever, Robert. <laughs> it's got to be up there. I mean, uh, no, number, back, number one uh, is Bubba Machine. Well, okay. Yeah, War Machine Bubba, yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, at the time, I mean, I was uh, eight years old at the time, so uh, I, I definitely knew it was Butch Reed under there. I don't know how familiar I was with Ron Simmons at the time, but uh, yeah, it was, it was pretty obvious. Uh, I did uh, actually saw this match uh, a few months later at the CNE Coliseum in Toronto, and uh, that was my first live Frankensteiner, which uh, I will never forget. Uh, I remember uh, one of the teenage delinquents uh, sitting behind my mom and I repeatedly exclaimed, holy fucking shit, did you see that? <laughs> uh, to my mom's great consternation. But, uh, yes, it, it definitely... Uh, once they took the mask off, uh, Doom, or uh, as <laughs> as Bob Cottle and uh, presumably also Bret Hart called them, the Doom <laughs> during this match. Uh, well, <laughs> let's be clear that Bob Cottle didn't say anything worse. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I don't know what uh, what Jesse Helms thought of Doom, but uh, <laughs> actually, if you if you think about the finish, uh, if you're applying. Uh, 80s wrestling logic uh, a black guy giving you a headbutt with a loaded mask uh, it's like a double whammy <laughs> yeah no yeah <laughs> that has to be the finish <laughs> yeah i mean good lord that's re- really putting him away <laughs> Bix, what do you think about the kevin sullivan part of this uh that management removed him from uh, this group it was kind of confusing because they never really explained it you were supposed to just know oh right because that's fallen angel so I think that's well, actually a pretty fair move. If you're not going to explain it, and he's just there and part of the storyline for no apparent reason, yeah, then I think that's fair enough. Well, the thing is, they want to make Woman the 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 main figure, and Sullivan would take away. And he'd been Sullivan been on TV so much anyway, so you know the Varsity Club and all that stuff. So I guess it kind of makes sense. He was the bridge to get where they needed to get to, so to speak. But anyway. All right. The U.S. title. Lex Luger pinned Brian Pillman with a hot shot in 1648 to retain the title. If Eddie Gilbert's on the show, at least we're going to use his finish. Uh, both guys were cheered in this match. Luger got some boos, but they were drowned out by the much louder cheers. Pillman's cheers weren't as loud, but he got no boos at all. In contrast, for Rick Steamboat matches, the crowd was far more vehement than the team Steamboat matches. Those who cheered and booed Steamboat and Luger and Nosebouts did so with a passion. Well, the Ty Rich matches, nobody cared at all about the matches and only reacted to what Luger did. Day's biggest complaint came during this match, or more precisely, just before the match started. When Luger came out, they played a tape chant of Luger, Luger, that was taped a few days earlier in another city, and also put a huge sign which said Luger, 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 facing the crowd in the back but behind the TV cameras. In order to get the crowd to chant his name. The crowd didn't chant his name anyway, although he still got a very big and predominantly positive reaction. Where's the logic in this? First off, the guy's a heel, and then no matter what they do, they can't get the fans to boo. So then they try special effects and brainwashing to get the fans to cheer and to make the people at home think he's even more of a face than he is when the object they've been trying to get to people not to like him. 
NWA, everybody. This match was put together to be a four-star match with all the near falls and hot finish, but it didn't quite make it. First 10 minutes weren't good. A few spots, some well-timed, and others not so well-timed interspersed by between Armas by Pillman. Last six minutes had the Pillman miss a splash off the top. Rose saw hot action. Some of which was excellent, and some still with timing problems. There wasn't much heat during the first 10 minutes, and people didn't seem to care, but this was the only match in the car that really built up to its finishing minutes. It had several exciting near falls at the end. Crowd popped big for Luger's three and a quarter star. Yeah. It seemed like these guys had it in them to have a a type of a classic match, but this just wasn't it. It just didn't get there like Dave said, Rob. You just watched this again. What were your thoughts on it? Yeah, I'd have to agree with Dave. Uh, It uh, started pretty slow, but uh, picked up. But uh, yeah, I mean, at the time, I was uh, very familiar with Brian Pillman uh, from Stampede. A uh, big fan of his, but uh, yeah, yeah, it was all right. Uh, probably uh, not the match they envisioned. And speaking of that, what, when you saw Pillman in NWA in this era, was that like one of those things where you you had been watching Stampede at the time, right? Before mm-hmm. that, what what was it? What were your feelings on seeing him make it to the big time? I was uh, I was. Wondering how he'd do without uh, Bruce to carry him anymore, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, he was uh, he was definitely uh, a dynamic performer. Uh, I mean, it seems rather quaint now uh, to call him Brian Brian, uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, at the time, just doing springboards and uh, top rope drop kicks and stuff. I mean, that was uh, that was cutting edge stuff at the time. Yeah, absolutely. Now, would um, would this be the first example of uh, doing the Goldberg gimmick, uh, playing the the tape chants uh, over the PA, gotta, or is there something else I'm forgetting? I mean, uh, this has got to be the first. Uh, I would think, Bix. Would you remember any of before this? Of actually playing it into the building, it's the earliest I can think of. Yes. Yeah. So. Interesting. Um, I always like this match, up. though. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, it's a, good, it's a good match. I was going to say it's a good match, but it just wasn't what it could have been. And why do you think they were doing this? Why do you think they were trying to get the fans to chant for a Luger even though he's supposed to be the heel? Because it's WCW. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Which is also kind of funny when you think about just the, in general presentation of this match too where Pillman is the one that gets the big ring entrance with the cheerleaders and stuff mm-hmm. yeah now his uh, son has his own cheerleader how about that that's right yes he sure does alright um, next we get the road warriors over to skyscrapers by DQ in 1139 when the ref caught Danny Spivey using the key crowd was very much into this match yeah big men and it was better than it sounds on paper the man, they got the heat on hot during most of the match. Dave thinks seeing Sid in the ring next to the Warriors and seeing just how much bigger he was than everyone else gets him over just that much more. He's the most impressive monster specimen in the business, and he's every bit as poor in working a match as he is impressive just standing there. <laughs> After Animal got the hot tag, it broke loose. Taylor Long hit Paul Aaron with the key. Spivey got the key and hit Hawk with for the DQ. They doubled up on Animal and using the key until Hawk did a flying clothesline to break it up. Then Hawk got the key and hit both guys with it. Ironically, since this is the complaint made here by WF Crowds, 
But when it was announced, the Warriors had won. There was no crowd pop. For about 30 seconds later, when the music hit, the crowd popped for the music. Two and a half stars. Mm-hmm. So, uh, the, yeah. the heavy metal key is... Uh, Jim Ross emphasized because actually looked uh, rather flimsy, but uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I will take issue with Dave here. I mean, I thought uh, just watching this match, I mean, I, I thought Sid looked like the better worker than Dan Spivey in this match. Um, There were those times when that was the case. Hmm. I mean, I don't know what Spivey was uh, feeling those days, but yeah, I mean... This is the match that, I mean, this is the natural matchup at this time between these two mm-hmm. teams. But I think if you're going out there expecting some type of classic, I mean, you're not going to get it. it it's, it's the Road Wars and the Skyscrapers, but it's exactly what these fans wanted. So it achieved its purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, Bix, what are your thoughts? Um, I don't really think I have anything else to add. And you said in 1989, I mean, good Lord. He is as dominant of a presence <laughs> yeah. wrestling as anybody. He's the master and ruler of the world. But just in 1989, though, in general, you know, for some, I think 89 more than any other year. You know, for some reason, 89, he just looked and came off as just like this, you know, total phenomenon. Yes, mm-hmm. and then Scott Steiner broke him. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and of course, he, you know, he comes back, you know, 90 with the horseman, and yeah, he does that. But I don't know, just see, he got bigger when he was out. He was kind of slimmer in this He's, era. He, looked, mm-hmm. he looks more athletic here, yes. Exactly, yes. He's more cut. Yeah, he did, I mean, the, did the nip up and everything. Yeah, he's more cut. Absolutely. So... There you go. And of course, like I said, Philly's going to love this. So, yes, perfect for them. All right, next we get the main event. Ric Flair and Sting beat Terry Falcon, the great Muta, in a Thunderdome cage match at 2155. Bruno Sammartino was the referee, dog on it. And only Anderson and Gary Hart were the Terminators. The rules were the only way the match could end is if one of the Terminators threw in the towel, signifying surrender for his team. Well, that seems like the a good cage. way to keep him from having a screwy finish. <laughs> yes, the cage without a without a door was lowered into the wrestlers in seconds. The cage looked awesome with tree branches, a Tarzan swinging rope inside, dragons facing outward, cobwebs, and a mailbox on one side. Dave was at least <laughs> expecting an address of thirteen thirteen Mockingbird Lane. The cage was so visually impressive that it took your concentration away from the match. Given the parameters of the match, all four guys did about as good as humanly possible. Check that. Flair, Mood, and Sting did a good job as humanly possible. Funk was inhuman. They completely stole the show and turned into a spectacular match live. From the comments Dave heard, this match didn't translate well on pay-per-view, and watching it live, they didn't think it would. It was about as good as it could have been. Before the match started, the dragon started breathing smoke, and somehow the smoke caught some cloth on the side of the cage near the top, and a fire broke out. This wasn't planned, and poor Tommy Young had to climb up the cage and put the fire with his hand. Ouch. And a guy with a fire extinguisher running behind Young in case he didn't get the job done. Well, the great Muda, though, shows up to help save the day. So let's go to this clip, shall we? He's going to do the split out there between the fence and the rope. The cage a little higher up. 
is where the, uh, the wiring to make it electrified. It looks like, hey, as a matter of fact, something has already caught on fire over there. I told you, we talked about it being dangerous. Hey, we have never seen one either, fans. You're seeing it for the first time. Thanks to Turner Home Entertainment and World Championship Wrestling and your great cable company. Remember our next pay-per-view spectacular from the Omni in Atlanta. The great Muda sprays the fire. He'll put it out. Yeah, he'll put it out. I saw someone go running down with a fire extinguisher and Muda said, I got my own. That's called coming prepared. Well, I'm glad that he put it on the fire, not in someone's face. What a... What an apparatus. Right. <laughs> Is apparatus what JR said before he knew the word structure? <laughs> it was an apparatus, all right. That's a, I mean, that is a crazy-looking cage in 1989, Stan. It is. I must note that we also saw Tommy Young uh, trying to put the fire out with his hand. Yes. And uh, after the show, he told people uh, that was the hottest thing he'd ever touched in a wrestling ring since Nikita Koloff's cock. <laughs> Thanks, Norm. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> oh. oh, my God. All right. So uh, Muda blew the mist. Apparently on TV, it looked like it was just a spot for Muda to blow the fire out of the mist. Flair was chopping like crazy on Funk. There was no blood in this match day for Funk's hand, which bled quite a bit for a hand cut. By orders not only from TBS, but also from the Pennsylvania State Commission. The commission was dropped. The law was, well, the state law. When the commission was dropped, a law was placed in the books that any blading could result in loss of license for uh, this promotion, for any promotion. Um, boy, that got changed quick. While nobody has called anyone on it yet, and they've done blood on every NWA show in Pittsburgh of late without the commission's jurisdiction, apparently it was a warning before the show that a law would be enforced tonight, and if violated, the implied threat would be penalty, was a penalty of loss of license for the NWA in the state of Pennsylvania, which would be enforced. I'll Still in pre-match. I'm just trying to figure out how Dave doesn't realize this makes no sense as written, because obviously there's still a commission. They've just changed some of the rules around. <laughs> well, that, I will say they, they weren't taking any chances uh, knowing that Chris Cruz was in the building. <laughs> a little stooge. Yeah, of course, and he interviewed Bruno uh, earlier in the show. <laughs> yes. But, um, yeah, still a pretty much publicity of Bloodbath was strongly suggested. Day sure many fans watch preview was disappointed, no matter how good the match would be with no juice. Still, Flair and Funk traded ramming each other's heads into the cage. There were a lot of climbing the cage, particularly by Funk. One highlight was with Flair and Funk both battling on to the side of the cage. Flair started doing the stiff chop while Funk had on with one hand. There were spots in which both teams would be beaten with submission holes, but the Terminators refused to throw the towel. When Muda used the Indian Deathlock chin lock combination submission, which fans haven't been educated, so they don't know if it's a finisher yet, that was a spot where Ole got over that no matter what, he was throwing the towel. And then we get the finish. Funk got a rope to tie Sting by the ankle into the cage high in the air, and then Funk got down and they gave Flair a stuffed pile driver. Ole Anderson climbed the cage to untie Sting, and Sting did the move of the night. Flying from the cross, top of the cage with a cross body block on the Funk, which for a moment Dave thought was going to do in both of them for good. 
Sting caught Funk with a move in a manner that which appeared to take Funk's already crippled knees out. And Funk got up, but the knee was out. But the guy wears an injury better than anyone. Dave guessed this. He's got more experience with what it feels like. To, he knows what it feels like to have his knee go out. Muda climbed up to the top rope for the moonsault. Sting drop kicked his butt. Actually, Sting just grazed him, but Muda crossed himself on top rope. Flair put Funk in the figure four. With Muda incapacitated, Sting then twice did the top rope with a splash into the legs of both men. When Flair had Funk in the figure four, but Hart continually refused to throw in the towel. Muda got back up, shoved Bruno, who decked Muda, while, and while Bruno's bat was turned, only decked Gary Hart. Gary Hart's towel flew in. Bruno saw the towel, raised Flair's hand in victory. Dave gets for some the side of Flair raising Flair's hand. San Martino raising Flair's hand had some historical significance. But Dave thinks the majority of the crowd in the audience were lost on the significance of Flair, Bruno, and Terry Funk in the same for the first time. Four stars. All right, let's go to the finish, shall we? Let's watch how all this plays out. It has turned into a Texas tornado tag for all four in the ring simultaneously. Muda says that's all for Sting. As Flair and Funk continue to beat each other to a pulp. Watch Muda. Watch Muda on top. Oh, Lord. Well, if they have a boys' choir in Tokyo, he'll be a tenor. Yes, sir. And here comes a figure four from Flair. There it is. Did you say it on that leg, Jim? What do you call that one? Shaking his head and saying, no, no way. Funk is being brutalized. He is literally being brutalized. And Gary Hart is not even having anything to throw the towel in. Once again, right off the top. finish <laughs> there's Not no need for that like what for the towel to not intentionally be thrown in it's just so weird like do i get like coming from the idea okay yes the gary hart character would be absolutely be the one to do the whole i am never throwing in this towel i'm not even gonna look and that's at that what stick. and that's what he said he was in the, before the match right that I get, but but somebody somebody throwing the towel. But then, if you're gonna do it, it, then don't do the don't do those tips. Just have a different way of getting to the finish. No, I like it. I like the finish. I think it's creative. I mean, the the towel landing on Bruno's back, which was a fluke, but landing on Bruno's back, Bruno feels it and sees Oli with his towel in his hand, calls for the bell. I thought it was a creative finish. 
and it made sense because Gary said he wasn't going to do it. He didn't. It just it ha- it happened by circumstance. I get what you're saying. I mean, and, it's not le- and you can't have the heels win this kind of match. No, no, and it sets up the I quit because Terry Funk didn't quit. Gary Hart did not throw in the towel willingly. Yeah, but you could do the I quit even if he had thrown in the towel willingly. Nah, still Gary Terry Hart Funk didn't quit. Yeah, but Gary Hart should not be throwing the towel. No. That's not his character. No. That's not what Gary Hart does. So, but yeah, I mean, I, I love this match. Um, this is always one of my favorite matches to go back and rewatch years ago. Um, it's just fun. The Kate, the Kate Terry Funk's amazing in this. It, it, the fans are into it. I mean, I don't get why Dave wasn't higher on this match. Not as far as star rating, but as far as higher on this match because. You know, Dave talks about angles peaking and all that stuff. I mean, these four guys have been feuding now for th- four months. I mean, <laughs> and 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 this, and this tag match was was the perfect way to keep it going. And you know, it, it, you, I mean, I, I thought it was great. Well, what also, were your thoughts? once Terry had to miss the clash, or at least being in the match. It also made just the two teams facing off fresher anyway. Yeah, well, what are your thoughts on O'Connor? Oh, I mean, I, I really liked the match. Uh, all these guys were great. Uh, I mean, I thought the, the props on the cage were a little hokey. But, uh, yeah, the, the match itself was great. I didn't mind the finish. Uh, I do have uh, a couple of observations. Mm-hmm. Uh, you were talking about the Terminators, Bix, uh, and uh, no offense to Ole Anderson or Gary Hart, uh, but if I needed a Terminator with a towel wrapped around his hand, uh, I'm going with Jose Gonzalez. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. uh, Yes, my my favorite moment, I think, was uh, when Muda pretended to be shocked by the cage and... uh, Jim Ross claimed to have seen sparks, which is uh, perhaps not the first time JR thought he saw sparks where there were none. And, uh, <laughs> ask Missy Hyatt about that. Ask, <laughs> uh, ask, ask a rebel about that. <laughs> yeah. well, he, he also, at one point, uh, he said if Muda touched the cage, uh, he could become a fried wonton. <laughs> Which uh, would, what, wontons are, are actually Chinese, of course, but well, uh, you know. close enough. It's like like the strong hearts being Chinese. Uh, close enough. <laughs> it's nineteen eighty nine. Jim Ross, <laughs> Chinese, Japanese are all the same. Yes. But uh, good God Almighty, yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, this was a hell of a match, and um, I'm just gonna say, it just continues these four men's, tr- you know, feud as we go along here, building up the I Quit and Sting and Muda still doing their thing, so. And Bruno in Philadelphia. I mean, the fans were alive, so it's a great atmosphere. Hmm. All right, a more clear business evaluation pay-per-view for the NWA should come when the numbers are in for Saturday's show. Dave's interpretation of the numbers would be, one, anything below a .9 means not only the concepts you used to sell in the show didn't work, i.e. the Thunderdome Cage gimmick and slick commercials with emphasis on the matches themselves, and they are doing too many pay-per-view shows. Two, .9 to 1.2 means the selling the show did Bob if numbers remain constant at Starcade, doing five pay-per-view shows next year is feasible as long as the promotion doesn't lose any more ground. Three, 
One point two to one point four. Dave says it's selling the show work. Saturday night isn't a bad night pay per view, and the quality of the previous four excellent pay per view shows probably got marginal fans by this one, hoping for the same. One point five or better. Don't worry about thing on pay per view. It's to try and improve the quality of the next show. Five years just fine for now, particularly if it holds up next show. Um, let me go ahead and put, I had it down, so I'm gonna push it up now in the notes. Um, because. So, it's uh, ret- pertaining to this buy rate. So let me continue here as I cut and paste. All right. So the biggest news pertaining to the show is reports all this week is the show did a 1.7% buy rate on pay-per-view, which is a lot higher than Dave or even the company for that matter expected. Keep in mind right away that both companies and WWF have been known to not sometimes, but almost always, exaggerate pay-per-view figures. For example, last NWA preview show, the Bash Baltimore was reported by the Turner people as doing a 2.1 buy rate. But, but a random check of companies by uh, the Observer indicated a 1.4% buy rate. A similar check by another non wrestling source, Multi Channel News, also indicated a 1.4. And finally, two different NWA sources told Dave a 1.5 figure, which is at least believable. However, this 1.7 figure was reported today by two different sources that have been honest in the past that basically were when the company as a show did better than Baltimore. Now, this 1.7% figure was not reported to Dave as a definite total, but as a preliminary estimate, company has a, as of Wednesday. Legitimate figures aren't available until two weeks or so after the show. If the preliminary figures are taken from companies mainly from the southeastern area, this legitimate estimate could be well above the national average anyway, since NBA's appeal is regionally based. But the 1.7 figure holds up to about 175,000 to 195,000 orders. You're talking about a gross pay revenue of somewhere between 2.6 and 3.2 million dollars. Figuring the list price was fourteen ninety five for the show, and the late price was nineteen ninety five, and pay per view is traditionally a late buy. Even if this one point seven is either an exaggerated figure or a figure based on early returns from stronger regions, even if this thing winds up around a one point three percent buy rate, which all indications are that it will, it has to be labeled a success. This show being a success with somewhat of a weaker lineup than previous NWA preview outings can be attributed to a few factors. First off, several women in the NBA had suggested the surprise success is due to the surprising and sudden ratings increase in the two weeks prior to the show. With more people watching the show in the last two weeks than any time since early part of the year, that is more potential buyers being reached at a time when the hype for the show was its strongest. Another factor is that while many of us thought that Saturday night wouldn't be a stronger pay-per-view for psychological reasons, you know, people want to go out on Saturdays. While on weeknights, one would think they're more apt to stay at home. I know Sunday was a weeknight. It appears an eye of the week doesn't matter. Some have suggested well, West Coast going on on a Saturday is a plus. It's 5 p.m. West Coast. Starts make it uh, hard for people to be there on time, and psychologically, people don't like to order the replay show as much. Competition with the World Series turned out to be mean, mean less than we had thought here. Simply because there was less interest in this World Series due to the earthquake and subsequent delay. The any series in recent memory. And TV ratings for that game were well below the other network's normal programming. One also has to think that the vast majority of those who purchased the four pay-per-view shows had to be happy with the shows, which could be a factor of a marginal buyer who was totally thrilled with the lineup but figured if it's a pay-per-view show, it's going to be hot. And Matt Watch uh, chimes in. One cable operator who asked not to be named told Steve Beverly that some regions tend to dip lower for the Turner shows had not reported their numbers yet. And it wouldn't be surprising to see the figure end up at a 1.2 to a 1.3. But still, like Dave said, though, Bix, I mean, that's still an impressive number for what they what they were doing. Oh, absolutely. I mean, the thing I think people don't realize is in this era, no, are they ever close to the WWF? They're not. But they always do at least respectively on pay-per-view. 
it's not until like 92, 93 where their pay-per-view numbers really start to go down. And um, it ended up being a 1.77, under 75,000 estimated homes. And you're go- where are you getting that figure from? Wrestlenomics. Is that an estimate or is that, because I know there's the whole like Harrington. PWH, PWH buyer rate. So he's applying that to whatever universe he was able to find. Yeah. And other places are seeing 175, 177. Yeah. So, what, yeah. What, so wait, what kind of universe and did it uh, have, allegedly? So I'm looking uh, up the thing I pulled up about what the universe was. Um, Okay, the universe that Kagan had for them at this time, um, which even if we think that they were probably leaning towards giving higher buy and revenue figures... They're more real, and we're generally going with what the promoters told them. I think the universes we can trust. So that had about a ten million universe with, and if we go with the one point seven seven percent buy rate, that's one hundred seventy seven thousand homes. There you go. So yeah, I mean, impressive, very impressive. Yeah, and, and it's and like Dave's saying, the TV ratings are going up. You got this. You're selling it on the on the gimmick, the cage, and everything. So. Yeah, you got things going on here to hook the fans in. I mean, I would have bought it if I could have. Yeah. It's better than that uh, terrible A's Giants World Series. (laughs) Yeah, and you had the earthquake, you know, just happened days earlier, too. So, yeah, it definitely uh, put a damper on all that. Good Lord. But, um... Yeah. All right. So comments with fans at the matches basically had the same thing. There were no great matches at the main event. They were expecting more from such a major hype show. Car was basically the quality of an average to be a house show, just more impressive ring introductions thrown in. In fact, the last time Dave was in Philadelphia for the July 22nd house show, that normal car was much better than his pay-per-view show. The ring introductions were more elaborate than the normal house show were not as spectacular as in the three NW- previous NW preview shows. Overall, the entire aura of the card, even from the start, was nothing compared to the previous preview shows Dave attended live. During the Luger-Pillman match, they had cheerleaders come out with Pillman, and during the match, they ran around the lower deck trying to get fans to cheer for Pillman, and all it did was take fans out of the match because they were watching the cheerleaders. That made me wonder there was no intensity in the crowd during the build-up phase, and even a boring chant during that match before they went to the hot last few minutes. The reason Dave brought the difference in results of those who saw the show live versus those who saw on pay-per-view is because he was one of the fortunate ones who got to see it from both perspectives. As a live show, he thought it was a decent house show. I felt there's a point overall with the feeling the pay-per-view should be better than decent. However, to be on the show on pay-per-view, he enjoyed the show quite a bit more. It has obvious weaknesses, to be sure, and it still wasn't as good as the last Clash, which was a freebie. It may not be as good as the next Clash. There's so many variables between the live show and pay-per-view, but the funny thing is, most times seeing something live is more enjoyable than two. In Chicago, for Shotdown Rumble, he enjoyed the car overall more live than on pay-per-view. Although Flair's Steamboat main event was definitely better as far as drama and storytelling on pay-per-view, although the chops had to be seen live to be depreciated. Nashville was excellent live and excellent on pay-per-view. Baltimore is easily the best pay-per-view to date, and he was good live. The difference in Philadelphia as to live versus Memorex seems stems from the crowd factors and show factors. Zika Rotunda match live was ruined because it was a late arriving crowd and people were coming in during the match. 
Which explains why WF always advertises start times for his house shows as 15 to 30 minutes earlier than the pay-per-view starts. It gives a non-televised prelim match. And because those who were there didn't care about the match. Zeke was moved as much he was cheered, and even though the crowd got on rotunda a few times, they were cheering him later when he was throwing Zeke around. Six-man tag deserved close to three and a half stars. Just a very good match, and Bobby Eaton was excellent. Freebirds dues seemed the same either way. It's even more apparent live the crowd being 100% cheering the heels and vociferously at that. Steiner's Doom was better on tape. Live few things were apparent. First, since almost everyone in the building knew who Doom was. There was a letdown feeling in the crowd once they got past their hot opening sequence. Woman has gotten the biggest push of any heel woman in wrestling in a long time. And she's great to look at. But that's where it ends. She didn't even attract close to the heat that a regular female ballet when nowhere near the push normally gets. It took away from the match, although watching the work itself on tape, it was certainly an above-average match. Luger was much better on pay-per-view than live. One problem live was the cheerleaders running around the floor distracted the fans from the match. Another simply was an impatient crowd, and the crowds were boring, boring, and the first half were noticeable live, even though the match was well as any match of the night. And the final few minutes were hot. As bad as Rich and the Cuban assassin in pay-per-view, it was even worse live. They should have opened with that match, and maybe the later arriving crowd wouldn't have been so distracting during Sink and Rotunda. Which still should have been a better match than it was, but they wouldn't call it bad or anything. Rewards of Skyscrapers has two distinct connotations when you say it to fans. A lot of people, ooh and ah, but the big monsters going against each other in vision is a fantasy-type war. Others think of a bunch of guys not selling for each other and be terrible. The truth is always in between. Warriors are a good tag team as far as working. Nowhere near the image of their greatest tag team in the decade or all time, but quite good nonetheless. Spivey's a better average big man. Sid doesn't have to be in the ring much. There was nothing bad about the match except that there wasn't going to be a finish. Really, whether one liked or disliked the show, in many cases came down to the main event. Strictly based on what the guys did, it was an excellent match. Based on what had been advertised and promised, it was a flop, saved by only the fact that action was good. There's only one finish the old Cowboys to fly rules match, and that was it. But on tape, that finish looked like the screw job it was. Live, the crowd was ready for the finish when it came and popped big for him. But if you're paying to see how brutal it would be for some, someone who was in the tile, you could feel ripped off even though the bait faces won. And the whole electrified caging, which had been so loudly hyped, was a flop. There were gimmicks set up where if you touch certain parts of the cage, it would make your hair stand up on end. But the electricity of those special effects were turned off when the fire marshal ordered the plug pulled on the cage after the pre-match fire. And one was, Big you called the fire marshal. And one was promised the most violent match ever with the blood band. The effect of what they were selling wasn't there. There's no logical reason for all the caves climbing. Anyway, it's easy to understand why a lot of people were not happy with this main event. And are equally easy to see why a lot of people were happy with it. Yeah, that's. <laughs> the, cage, the one thing about the cage, it was hyped up to be this electrified cage. You're thinking cage match blood. And you don't get any of that. So, Des, I can see that being the letdown, Robert. For sure, yeah. I mean, uh, they were actually climbing on the cage uh, for a large portion of the match. And uh, nothing happened except, uh, as I alluded to, uh, Muda did did sell being uh, shocked by the cage. But uh, clearly nothing happened. There were no sparks at all. Yeah, I mean, Bex, I could see, you know, like like I said, that that would piss some people off as they weren't getting what they thought they were going to get out of that. I got to think that it was originally envisioned, though, there weren't going to be a lot of spots with it because there's no incentive to climb to the top. Well, no, there was not going to be a lot of spots for sure, but there was going to be, there had to be something 
that was going to be the big spy. Oh, clearly. That all yeah. up to. And the you know the fire marshal pulling the plug and everything. I mean that's you know that, that's the thing that that happens. You know. Also, um, I didn't even realize until we were going over the stuff earlier that it was that they had fire breathing dragons heads on the cage, and that was that and not the electric gimmick that caught fire. <laughs> we never saw it. Yeah, we never saw it on on, on television. WCW, everybody. Um, when it comes to the live versus uh, tape thoughts here, Bix, what you, you think? Day is right on the money. I think so for the most part. Um. It's actually kind of interesting that in this little follow-up here, he didn't really talk as much about how the main event compared, because in the at least at, initially, it seemed like he was saying that it seemed like a better match live, but he doesn't well, he really kinda, add to it more. He kind of, you know, he doesn't really have to, I don't think. I guess not, but it's also interesting that he found that found it that way, because I got to think a lot of the time, depending on where you're sitting, a cage match is better on TV, in terms of being able to see what's going on at least. Yeah, but this was this was this cage though wasn't the normal chain link cage. No, it was huge. Still. So you could see you could see a whole lot better. Mm-hmm. Oh, sure. I so guess it's more like the uh, the Calgary cage from uh, WrestleMania two. Yeah, yeah. In a way, um, I'm guessing it's that so much of the match had you know because the tornado tag split up is one camera on one set of guys. I guess it's more that you can see everything going on is why it came off better live. Yes, because I mean that key spot where Sting drop kicked Muda was not on camera. Mm-hmm. You, you see Muda climb up, they go to the flare of funk, and then you see Muda crotch on the top rope. Don't see how it happened. So yeah, let's talk about technical. As far as technical production, Dave's got a few complaints. The interviews, which were done live rather than pre-taped earlier in the day, for which Dave's got no idea as to why, didn't have the spark of previous shows. And in the prior major cards this year, the interviews with Steamboat and Luger in Chicago, Flair and Steamboat in Nashville, Flair and Sting and the War Gangs teams in Baltimore added drama to those matches beforehand. And in the case of Steamboat, Steamboat Locker in Chicago added to the match afterwards. That spark wasn't there in these interviews. There was anything wrong with them, but there was nothing memorable about any of them, which is why we didn't play any of them, clip-wise. The camera work, which was so bad it was annoying at the clash at Columbia, South Carolina, was just fine here. The only thing they missed underneath a note was the Lane Cornette argument after losing the six man. Yeah, that wasn't good either. Uh, there were missed shots in the main event, but in a tornado match, so much going on, it'd be impossible to catch everything, and they mi- didn't miss a lot. The interests were more spectacular at previous shows, but were still better at those WWF big shows. An interesting note is that a lot of people come in based on the special effects ring interests of Lex Luger. They played the tape of the fans chanting Luger, Luger, while he came in to give the effect the fans were actually chanting his name, which they weren't even though they were being led to do so with the large banners and the soundtrack champion piped in the building, that Luger was the most over-personality and should replace Flair's champion, which is subject for a completely different story another time. Actually, while Luger got a great reaction, Flair was, Flair's was far more impressive as th- was the reaction to the Warriors and Sting, and Luger's was maybe the same as the Freebirds, who got a very baby-faced pop. But the special effects and messages they were designed to get across worked on television, and that is that Luger's a top star of promotion, Jim Ross is excellent announcing, giving all the bio info and getting the store into the matches to make one overlook the slow spots. Bob Cottle stayed with him, but Ross is so on on these big shows that he kind of overshadows everyone else. Only point they could see live that they missed were the two spots in their main event where they put the tension on where the flag would be thrown in. When Muda had flair in the combo Indian Deathlocks chin lock submission 
Emma Funk was hanging upside down by the ankle in the cage, and Sting was holding Moon overhead in the press, threatening to drop him over the top rope for a long time. And Sting eyed Gary Hart for him to throw the tile in. Hart wouldn't. And Sting finally disgustedly dropped Muda into the ring. The effect of that spot live was lost to the preview audience. And they didn't get that effect watching the preview. So to the TV audience, the entire Terminator thing was useless, except for a way out not to have an ending. Hmm. All right. Uh, Jim Ross. Yeah, I mean, Jim Ross was completely fantastic in this era, especially on these type of shows. Yes. I mean, the people that the people that know Jim Ross from you know, the Attitude Era and since then, yeah, I mean, he's the he's memorable for 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 that generation for that. But if you never really watched Jim Ross in this era, you don't get why Jim Ross was as great as he was as an announcer. Mm-hmm. He carried a load. Oh yeah, he had uh, background information on everyone. He had. Told the whole story, even of how uh, Jim Cornette got started in the business. Uh, very, very prepared and uh, had a good rapport with Bob Cottle. Oh, yeah. They were, they were very well together mm-hmm. all those years. Um, Bix, let's talk about Luger. Um, Dave knows that Luger was the most overpersonality in, in, in people's minds at that night and should replace Flair as a champion. I think it was pretty obvious at this point in time that Luger was the one that should have beat Flair for the title. But who's booking? Rick Flair. Flair. That ain't happening, brother. Nope. If if Flair's not booking, um, it's pretty cut and dry, right? That Luger would be the champion. You wouldn't think so. But I wonder who would be the booker that would make that call. Hmm... Because do you think that Kevin Sullivan and Jim Cornette and those guys would push for Luger when they're <laughs> tight with Ric Flair? I'm, I'm thinking no one Cornette, uh, just the way he speaks about Luger. Yeah, I mean, it's just... They got a lot though. Luger... Oh, Luger. yeah, but he's just, yeah. he's just not high on him as a worker. I think... Sullivan, maybe, at the Florida connection. The thing is, is that I don't think anybody in that company that was in creative was a political ally or fan of Luger other than Jim Hurd. Mm-hmm. And you know, we all know that Jim Hurd tried to put a title on him in 1990, and Flair shut it down. So the only way that they could have got the belt on Luger was have Stain beat Flair... If he doesn't get her, and then hot shot the belt to Luger, but didn't have Sting chase. Maybe, yeah. Also, we should remind everyone why Flair was able to just nix that, which is that when he was signed in 1988 and WCW was launched, he was contractually given creative control over the belt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's why you know. He didn't lose the title until Sting came back from his injury. It's also why, even though no one noticed at the time, but it became very obvious when we did that Patreon show, patreon.com slash between the sheets, it's also very obvious that's why everything goes down the way it does in 91. Yes. Even though no one actually reports that. Like, it's mentioned at one point maybe that he has that, but that's about it. Yeah. So, 
All right, we have a couple of thoughts here from some uh, famous newsletter uh, personalities, readers. Incredible. Best review show I've seen. Booking execution were ex- excellent. No flaws at all. Best match of the main event, followed by the sixth man. The only bad match was Zink versus Rotunda. Everything else was two stars or better, and the main event was five stars. Signed, Scott Hudson, Atlanta, Georgia. <laughs> Almost sounds as though he wants a job there. <laughs> and uh, I hope they never run a gimmick match like that again. Your average fan hearing about an electrified cage to see them climbing all over the cage would have felt ripped off. The best match was the sixth man. It would have been a good baby show for the WF, but the second worst one the NBA has done. This was a totally unnecessary show, and they should have used the time to push Starcade instead. Signed, Jeff Bowdrin, in Plantation, Florida. So that makes, there's the yin and the yang there as uh, <laughs> it comes to the response on this show. If only you knew what they had planned for Stargate. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And speaking of Luger, Matt Watch reported that Les Luger drew 113 fans for Joel Goodhart's Squared Circle Lunch in the day of Halloween Havoc in Philadelphia. It was their biggest lunch ever. <laughs> Uh, how many of those uh, 113 people do you think Lex actually spoke to? <laughs> I'm guessing he spoke to some of them, but he made eye contact with none. <laughs> well, you know, thinking about our uh, the friend Arn Anderson, I didn't know they had lunch at the horse stalls. <laughs> it's about Luger having the horse teeth and all that stuff. Um, but yeah, I mean that's impressive, and that sh- and that shows you in that town Luger was over because he's the heel. Philly's a heel town, so yeah, 113, not bad. All right, so let's talk about the NWA now post Halloween Havoc. The next big thing on the agenda for the NWA is the clash of Troy, New York, on November 15th, which has a whole slew of problems built into it just for the choice of the live venue. There's a note uh, to the Ric Flair Terry Funk on a quit match main event is that it would probably be Funk's final match. As he schedules to retire after the match and become the color commentator for worldwide wrestling, working with new host Chris Cruz. This is not to say that coming out of retirement feud is impossibility, but for now, nothing's in the works. Ironically, at 45, with a broken down body, Funk was far and away the most impressive form on the pay per view card. And thinking about it, for a night after night consistency, probably the only wrestler in the United States this year who you could put ahead of him would be Flair and Steamboat. As far as getting the most out of his physical ability, even with Flair and Steamboat, they have to take a backseat to Terry Funk. Oh, I love all this Terry Funk retirement talk in 1989. <laughs> well, I will say I, I was uh, kidding the Crispy Cruiser earlier, uh, Chris Cruz, <laughs> but uh, I actually have uh, fond memories of him uh, calling worldwide with Terry Funk. Uh, Tuxedo I, uh, Terry Funk. <laughs> yes, with this... Again, this uh, makes me sound 100 years old, but uh, I used to watch that show on my dad's uh, black and white antenna television from the 60s. It was on uh, Saturday mornings at 11 a.m. on uh, Fox 29 Buffalo. Yeah. At, uh, I had a sign uh, taped to the wall in my room beside my bed uh, so I wouldn't forget. <laughs> it's a very, very sad childhood, but uh, it's the highlight of my week. Um, I, they were they were really good together worldwide. I thought, mm-hmm, yeah, gave it a different feel. You know, I was I, I was like Chris Cruz as an announcer. Chris Cruz on Twitter is a different story. Well, how how much did you run into him uh, in indie shows? 
Uh, I want to say he was around, but uh, did did not interact with him much. Okay. All right. But yeah, it's funny talking about Funk and retiring in 1989. Always hilarious. All right, the car for Starcade 89 on December 13th in the Omni Atlanta, which is the nation-based next preview of it, will be two King of the Hill round-robin tournaments. This single tournament will have Ric Flair, Sting, Les Luger, and the Great Muta. Tag tournament will have the Road Warriors, Skyscraper, Stiders, and Dune. Whereas everyone has to wrestle everyone else. So it ensures unique matchups like Flair vs. Sting, Luger vs. Muta, Warriors vs. Steiners, that fans normally never get to see. It also ensures the first Flair-Luger match, although it would be non-title. They think this would be a great idea if this was Japan or if this was held on a clash. Dave's own thoughts is that for Starcade, the biggest show of the year is you need a main event with a long buildup, more focusing on individual matches than this idea will allow. Shorter grudges in this format will allow and key titles on the line. If nothing else to get the importance of the titles over, those will be, as it stands now, the only matches on the card. So you have an NWPV event without the Freebirds, Midnight Express, Pillman, Def, Tully Blanchard, or Arn Anderson. Who Dave believes will be starting up on Christmas Day in Charlotte as baby faces. Oh, we'll have more on that later. Um, yeah, Robert, I'll, you know, that show I always thought was the weirdest thing. Now, <laughs> why? Why are we doing this? And this begins the theme Starcade shows mm-hmm. because every year after this, for the next few years, there's a theme with Starcade. Mm-hmm. Why? Yeah, I, I mean, I was uh, a big uh, Great Muda fan at the time, so uh, not <laughs> not my favorite show. But uh, oh, no. yes, it's rather uh, inexplicable in hindsight. Yeah, and Bix, we've talked about this before. I mean, Flair, I mean, Flair and Luger should have been the main event. You do your big sting Muda blow off here. And do whatever else, you know, as far as matches. This tournament concept was dead to rights. I don't get it. I've never gotten it. I what? What's the reason for this? Yeah, if you're gonna do this, do it at a clash. You know, yeah. do it at a clash or something like that. Don't do it on your biggest pay per view of the year. On a Wednesday night at that, too. That's another whole story. Another story. Starcade was on a Wednesday night. So, and just a God. regular Wednesday, not even a, during the holiday week or anything. Yeah, December 13th. <laughs> Made no sense. All right, so now with Terry Fun being retired after the clash, his spot in Gearheart's army would be taken by Sawyer. Sorry, it could be one of the best workers around, but his track record shows it's quite a risk using him, particularly such a key position over the long haul. The Dragon Master, Kazuo Sakurada, was at Payview, came to the ring with Muda, but nobody in the Philadelphia even knew who he was, and they just think he wasn't even an eligible Payview either. Well, yeah, because he was wearing glasses and a suit, his uh, fedora. He didn't have his face paint on. And so he just debuted, have... yeah. Yeah. But, uh... So... Not to be confused with uh, Burt Prentice's uh, Dragon Master in the USWA, the big goofy white guy that they wheeled <laughs> out in a casket. Yeah, that. Yeah. Oh, but um, Buzz Sawyer returning here, Robert. Uh, it's always good to add nice, upstanding citizens to your promotion. <laughs> yeah, 
Yes, uh, did Buzz Sawyer, uh, who once uh, borrowed uh, George South's boots and uh, <laughs> never returned them. Yeah, he borrowed them, all right. <laughs> <laughs> and George, wasn't going, George was not going after him. You better believe that. <laughs> oh, no. But, Bix, what, you, what were your thoughts on uh, Sawyer being Terry Fonts' replacement in the JTEX? I mean, as a replacement, he didn't work because they weren't pushing him at that level. But otherwise, I I mean, it's hard to judge because they dissolve JTEX pretty quickly once he's in. And then he's briefly in Sullivan's slaughterhouse until he breaks his wrist. Mm-hmm. So there's also yeah. that. It just... It, I mean, it was a good idea, relatively speaking, as far as, you know, well, uh, you put in that spot. It's, but. it's also a sign that Ole Anderson has a little uh, pull again, mm, you know? Yeah. So there's that, too. Well, let's talk about the TV ratings. TV ratings were way up last weekend. We need to be a main event. Show on the October 29th. Flair versus Mike Rotunda, which is a better match than anything on the pay-per-view, say the main event. Join a 3.5 rating, which is the highest rating for the NWA in that time slot since Sting and Luger and Wyndham be, uh, faced Flair, Arn, and Tully in April 1988, which drew a 3.7. That's one of the very first NWA main events. Uh, World Change of Wrestling on October 28 drew a 2.5. Misleading because first hour drew a 2.7. Then about 200,000 homes tuned out in the second hour, but the same number of homes is tuned into the pay per view. Well, Power, I'll do a 2.1 on October 27th for the second-best rating ever. That Sunday show probably had the highest NWA rating in competition with the NFL in years. Yeah, yes, folks, yeah, this show, the main event, is airing, what, is it 5.35 at this time, Bix? Somewhere, right? It's 5.35, 6.05. I forget which it is at this time, but it's one of those two, yes. and So, yeah, it's going head-to-head with NFL. Yeah, and also I just pulled up Matt Watch to get the households. Um, here's how big a gap you actually had between the different shows that week. So main event is a three, four, six share, one point seven two million homes. Primetime is in second place, two point eight four point two share, one point three six million homes. And then World Championship Wrestling, which obviously has the weird pay per view thing going against it was a 2.5, 5.3 share, 1.26 million homes. And looking at what it's going against NFL-wise, it's um, it's going against uh, the Rams and the Saints, which was the CBS game. Um, and it was going against um, either Denver and Seattle or New England and San Francisco on NBC. So Rams and Saints, I mean, they were both good playoff teams in that time period. So, I mean, decent competition. But, yeah, I mean, that's style. And main event that day aired at uh, 6 5. Okay. And uh, also looking at uh, something else that Steve Beverly has, um, that World Championship Wrestling, yeah, peaked at a 2.8 at 6.30 before dipping opposite the highly rated FSU Miami game in the second hour. Well, the pay-per-view. And the pay-per-view. I mean, come on, yes. Steve. No, I know. And it was the first I mean, week... that's the most important thing. It was the first weekend of the fall season that all of the first-run shows posted a two-rating or better. Yeah. Including Power Hour. Yeah, 2.1, 3.5 share, 1.06 million viewers on the first run on Friday. Yeah. If you, do, if you do combined, which who knows how much overlap they had, then Power Hour is actually the number two show of the week if you go by homes. Yeah. 
All right, well, let's go to the torch for the first time. There's a lot of tension within the promotion right now. It's meaning feel that Ric Flair is doing a very poor job as the booker. It's been said the top NWA personnel would like to see how Luger would draw a world champion. Flair's booking just isn't drawn on the road. Starcade, if Flair makes it that far, could be Flair's last chance as the booker. Just keep in mind, most bookers slash wrestlers when fired as a booker do not stay with the promotion as a wrestler. Hopefully, if a replacement is needed, Flair respectively step down as booker and continue to wrestle from the NWA. Well, hey, you know, Rob, Rob Naylor, our dear friend, always preaches this. He preaches that the NWA before Ric Flair as the booker was a far better NWA than it was for Ric Flair as the booker. In his mind. It was more entertaining. It was fun. And he's not knocking the Flair booked NWA. He just thought that the other one was better. And here's the thing, though. Flair's booked NWA is doing the best TV numbers ever, basically. But it's not drawing shit on the road. Now, that's not Flair's control, per se, of all that. But still, what a weird dynamic they got going on here, Bix. Yeah, and also we should stress, too, you call it Ric Flair's booking. There's a little bit of an asterisk because... He's mainly concerned with the big picture in his programs. The TV is being written by Kevin Sullivan and Jim Cornette. You're right. You're right. Yeah. But still, he's the head booker. Yes. And I'm curious who was handling the house shows. I gotta assume that's probably also Cornette and Sullivan. Um, actually, no, it was Jody Hamilton, wasn't it? Well, I think so. And always, always in creative at this time, too. But... Mm-hmm. I wonder if there's also just not as much continuity between them and Cornette and Sullivan, too. And that's hurting things. But it is weird that they've built the TV audience back up so much and will continue to do so the next, you know, five months or so. And it just pays no dividends at the box office, which is what goes back to that discussion we've had on and off the last couple of years on this show. I feel like in this era, at least you really can put a lot of the blame on the, you know, Don Glass led inept live events department because so much other stuff is trending in a positive direction that it just doesn't make sense. Well, I mean, what do you think about it? Do you think that people are just watching the TV, but they don't care? Just watching the watcher, Robert. I mean, what 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 is your what is your feelings on this? Um, I mean, there's probably some of that. I mean, there's always uh, casual fans out there, but uh, I mean, obviously, being a young kid at the time, I had no idea uh, who was booking or any of the uh, behind the scenes machinations. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, I I enjoyed the product at the time. Uh, I mean, I will say, uh, knowing uh, Ric Flair a little bit, uh, having been around him, I just it's just hard to imagine him uh, being a good booker. No, no. It, 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 Flair, Flair was great at anything involving Ric Flair. Mm-hmm. You know, if it doesn't involve Ric Flair, then he's suspect. <laughs> but it's like, who, 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 I mean... Who could they? Who would they get? You know, and then mm-hmm. Bill Watts and all these other names we always mention in this era and all this other stuff. 
I think if you have any other boss with Jim Hurd, then maybe you know we get we get some things. We may we have some changes. I think as long as Jim Hurd's in control, you're never going to get what you need to get. I think that's the bottom bottom line in all this. Who knows how different this this promotion would have been if Jim Hurd wasn't in charge? But here's the thing about Jim Hurd though. That's on the creative end. Jim Hurd in the business end did his job very well. As Kangaroo Athletic Wear will be doing a major promotion in the NBA besides coming out with the new shoes, bearing the names of Rip Flair, Sting, Road Warriors, Rick Steiner, and Lex Luger. They'll have life-size posters of six wrestlers on display at sporting goods stores throughout the country, plus be marketing Sting makeup kits, Rip Flair combs, Lex Luger sunglasses, and Road Warriors spike bracelets. The contract in the NBA specifies that Kangaroo gets 10 days per year with each wrestler for the promotional work. And they'll have a party for Kangaroo's X and have the company Big Wigs in attendance at the November 18th St. Louis card. Problem is, I see a lot of empty seats since only 250 tickets were sold for that card as of Monday. <laughs> I would, uh, I will add a note: uh, the Ric Flair comb uh, was specifically for pubic hair, by the way. <laughs> no hair, no flair. Uh, that's right. But uh, <laughs> another thing, uh, Dave uh, failed to mention. Uh, uh, this only came about uh, after uh, Big Kangaroo was highballed by uh, Al Costello and Don Kent. <laughs> yes. Their, uh, their original target. But uh, <laughs> did, did you guys know uh, they they still make these stupid things? Um, I've the seen Rue's it. Rue's shoes, yeah. I've seen it. Yeah, Rue's is still in business. Yeah. They, saying that if they, I still want shoes for feet and pockets for my stuff, I can get that? <laughs> yes, Bix. Well, they accept uh, now uh, they refer to themselves as a, quote, global lifestyle brand. Of course they do. No, it's it's a running shoe with a fucking zipper in it. It's <laughs> <laughs> not a lifestyle. But uh, I, I do remember uh, Vince Coleman of the St. Louis Cardinals oh, had yeah. some uh, sweet ruse cleats, which he presumably kept his coke in. <laughs> Yes, but uh, yeah, I, I don't remember the ever seeing them on sale in Canada. I think uh, think we missed out on the ruse. Y'all are more of a Keds, uh, Mark. <laughs> yes. Um, but again, Bix, that's what I'm saying. You know, who else was going to make these type of deals? And Jim Hurd, Bix. Nobody else. Yeah, like we said before. Notice how all the stuff goes away until Bischoff takes over. Mm-hmm. After Hurd's gone? Mm-hmm. He gets them a shoe deal. He gets them all sorts of licensing deals. We get... Galoob? Yeah, pretty high-value sponsors sponsoring the ad... You know, not the ad breaks, the replays and stuff. He, he clearly did a good job with all that. Yeah. Oh, 7-Eleven, too. Don't forget that. 7-Eleven Collector's Cup's coming back in 91 uh -huh. as well. He just, he just wanted to be have his hands at creative. If he's just stuck with the business side of things, he'd been great. If, but, he oh. if he had the humility to be the Linda and have someone else be the Vince, who knows how different WCW is? Yeah, absolutely. All right, October 27th in Richmond, drew 4,500 fans as a dynamic dude, beating the Museum Militia, Tom Zink over Bob Bellerowin, Brian Pillman over Mike Rotunda, Steiner's double count out with the skyscrapers. Sting double count out with Muda. Luger over Dr. Death in the best match in the card. Freebirds over the Road Warriors by DQ and Flair over Terry Falk. Wouldn't mind seeing Luger and Dr. Death. Yeah. 
I'm sure Luger probably didn't like working against Dr. Death that much. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But yeah, you think Doc like ruined fun. his sheen? <laughs> I'm sure he did. Tommy Rich suffered a broken eardrum and he had 30 stitches after missing the match with Lex Luger on October 30th in Gainesville, Georgia, at the TV tapings. Lovely Georgia Mountain Center. Because of that, the announced Muda Rich TV time match at TBS this Saturday won't take place. And instead, Muda beats somebody else with Rich in the corner. Dr. Death wrestles Sid Vicious, ending with Dr. Death winning by DQ. When Dance Five interfered and Norman made the save for Doc, Norman turned face earlier in the show when Doc gave him a large teddy bear. Aww. Well, Norman, Norman was a big old bear, so uh, I guess it, you know, it, it worked together. Yeah, it's trucker Norman, especially. We talked about Luger working with Dr. Dev. I'm sure Sid didn't like working with Dr. Dev. <laughs> oh, my God. No, no softballs in that match. <laughs> Tommy Rich up in a broken ear jump at 30 stitches, Robert. Man, what, bad luck for him. <laughs> yes. Okay, Hopefully he uh, didn't oh, dip ahead. it in peroxide like he did his <laughs> right, Let me see something, though. Cause, okay, so I don't have it in front of me as I look this up. What's the date of this taping? October 30th. Okay, so October 30th. Okay, so if I, I really should be looking at November if I want to see if he took time off, I guess. Well, because did they run Halloween? They didn't, right? I don't think so. Okay, so let's see. Because I'm curious, I have I have a theory on something here. Okay, it looks like he, at least from the results that are available, he's off for till the seventh. But I'm not sure if they're running any shows in the interim. Um, but why does it kind of change the narrative of the Tommy Young injury, knowing that Tommy Rich was recovering from a bad inner an ear injury that he did not take time off to heal? Doesn't it? Yeah, it adds a little more. Uh clarity to that yeah, yeah but it also makes you wonder if maybe he wasn't drunk yeah you know because tommy young understandably was bitter about it and has always said that he felt he thought that uh, tommy rich was in no condition to perform but maybe it's not that i wonder though i want because it's after this is when Tommy really starts getting into better shape, too. The to- the Tommy Young thing. I wonder if that could have been a catalyst mm-hmm. for him to you know quit doing the stuff he was doing mm-hmm. and focus on getting in better condition. Well, he's already in better condition than he was earlier in the year. Well, well, yeah. I mean, I wish people could see him in jo- Georgia All Star before this run and see how he looked. Oh my God! With Mister Donnie. Yeah, <laughs> he's the Mister Donnie diet. Yes, uh, yeah. that'll yeah. shed the pound. By the way, so someone really needs to put the the that uh, the Tommy Rich story home video up on YouTube that covers a lot of the Mister Donnie saga. Yeah. All right. Um, they take the center stage on the first. Steiner's won the NWA tag belts at that show, but it won't air until November eighteenth on TBS. Dad doesn't know this is a fact, but he's assuming the change won't be acknowledged till that weekend. And they'll build the Freebirds and Road Warriors match on the, at the Clash as a title match, which is what they did. Speaking of which, if you saw the F-Tag title change this past weekend, you saw the promise that finished to be presented as controversial due to pitting the wrong man reneged upon. 
It all evens out. Blanche Anderson, when they gave notice, claimed they were leaving because of a Japanese offer, not going to the NWA, and type folks still swear they aren't NWA bound as they were still claiming to the office staff they weren't going as late as this past week, but they are. So and that again, explains a lot. More on that, more on that later. Okay, I got to get my one thing in here, though. I'm not going to dwell on it. We'll talk about it more later. If that's what happened, and let's for a moment assume that it is, I'm not defending it because it was still a messed up thing to do, especially with the repercussions it had. You can see a little bit more why they decided to leak out that Tully failed the drug test. Yeah. Because they felt lied to which, as, as we all know, only the office is allowed to do. <laughs> That's right. All right, they talked with Stan Hansen about coming in. Well, it takes a while, but he, he does. So again, there's your sign. Ole is, uh, is, is got some power again. We got Buzz Sawyer. Now we got Stan Hansen's names. Lord Littlebrook, the former midget star, I don't know if he's not a midget anymore. It's coming as a manager of the New Zealand militia. <laughs> <laughs> I love it's so easy to make fun of that. The former midget star. When when he did not become a midget anymore. Well, he's not a midget <laughs> star anymore, he means. Well. The New Zealand militia turned to the royal family, Robert. Wasn't that, wasn't that such a wasn't that a great deal there? Wasn't that wasn't that fun? <laughs> yes. Lord Littlebrook. Coming out. And I love when he shows up. He's in regular street clothes. You know, and he gets them to join him. And then when they all join together, they're all in their uh, regal costumes. <laughs> well, I know uh, some New Zealanders uh, took great umbrage to them uh, carrying the boomerangs around. Because uh, <laughs> I guess those are uh, an Australian thing. Not unlike who's who picks who's the uh, the current indie wrestler, the Tongan who keeps being uh, misidentified as a Samoan. Oh, uh, juicy for now. Yes, yes. Also, <laughs> how about for as much as it went back and forth over the years, how about that the Observer has Lord Littlebrook's actual real name here as opposed to the other name that people thought was his <laughs> real name? Yeah, Roger Brooks. Because it was because as far as I know, that's the legit real name, not Eric Tubby. Yes. But Eric Tubby is a name he also went by, so I'm a little confused on what it is. Um, like, you know what I mean? It's not like that's a name he but ever used. He stopped or, being Tubby after having uh, Stu Hart's bacon and eggs in Calgary. <laughs> <laughs> Killed yeah. his appetite, Bix. Oh, my God. <laughs> so this, I also got to think this is not long after he realizes that... Uh, he and his guys are not being used in the WWF anymore. Well, yeah. well actually, wait, the, the Bushwhackers were a year earlier. What am I saying? That's the big change. Still. Yeah. Anyway. All right. Clip time from the Saturday night, which aired this. Uh, this stuff aired the hour before the pay-per-view started. Terry Funk c cuts a uh, go-home promo, I guess. So these are always great. So let's go to uh, one Terry Funk. Venue was this taped at that is looks very empty and darkly lit. Right now, Oops. Cobb County Civic Center, I think. That's what I thought. It does not look good at this. They time. made it look like center stage. Mm. You simple-minded people, get on a telephone and call your cable company. Watch Halloween Havoc 
Watch the Thunderdome. Some people call it a colossal vulgarity. Some people say it's bar barbaric. Some people say it's hideous. Well, I say it's Ric Flair's last professional wrestling match. And what we are going to have, we are going to have a new kind of chicken come out of Philadelphia. It's going to be called Philadelphia Fried Chicken as Ric Flair does a 10,000 watt boogie. Ladies and gentlemen, your next event here on World Championship Wrestling is a one Hey, it's Uncle Ruby. Uncle Ruby, also to Marietta, of course. And yeah, see how they've been doing it up, you know, make kind of make it look like a center stage type facility kind there in a way. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's interesting. Yeah, but um, so yeah, they got a, they got the talent doing these go home promos in this first hour, trying to, and Jim Ross is in Philadelphia. That's the thing. When the pay per view starts. Gordon Soley takes over as host of the show because Gordon Soley is not in Philadelphia, according to what they're saying. He's hosting World Championship Wrestling. Even though they have wrestlers working on the second hour of World Championship Wrestling and working at Halloween Havoc. Yes, and Cornette is hosting Hour 2, even though he's obviously also at Halloween Havoc. Yes, he's, he's on against it himself, actually. So... <laughs> Oh, my God. NWA, everybody. Actually, All right, no, it's Gordon, no, it's Gordon and Cornette the whole show. Well, Ross is, yeah, but Ross is in Philadelphia doing live shots. But as, as or, or doing as, shots from Philadelphia. But as far as in Marietta, it's it's Cornette and... Uh, well, they're not in Marietta. Those are pre-taped. to be in Marietta. Yeah, they're, they're not there, okay. so... All right, so let's go to Cornette and Gordon, as uh, Cornette's having his issues with the Midnight Express... Uh, over the dynamic dude. So uh, let's go to that clip. A great deal of respect, but I must admit that you've now got me perplexed. Okay, what, what's going on, Gordon? What is going on? All right, at the Clash in Troy, New York, on the 15th, the match has been signed, the dynamic dudes against the Midnight Express. You sign all their contracts, so what do you mean, what's going wait, on? Wait a minute, I didn't, I didn't sign the match. I didn't sign any kind of match like that. Well, if you didn't, don't you sign all their contracts? I signed all their contracts, always have, and I did not sign that match. If I didn't... Uh, I mean, how... how... Hey, Jimmy, you want to know who signed it? We signed it. You know why? Because you're wasting your time and our time hanging around those two punks, the dynamic dudes all the darn time. That's why. Wait, hey, hey, wait. I've had enough. I've had enough. You're trying to make me the bad guy out of this, and that ain't going to float. I'm going to tell everybody what's going on if you're not careful. If it was anybody else but Johnny Ace, you wouldn't care if I spent 24 hours a day with him. But it's Johnny, and you can't forget about what happened, and you can't get over what happened. You're trying to make me the bad guy. It's not my fault that she left you, and it ain't my fault hey, that she liked girl, him better than she girl liked out you. Of it, well, what mean, are you leave doing to me? What are you trying to do to me? What are you doing to us? Hey, wait a minute. You know, we never came out here to start any ripping any friendships. You know... It is live. Things got to go the way they're going to go. And if, you know, you want to walk down the path of Midnight Express, that's fine. We don't want to cause any problems. Johnny and I will go our separate ways. Hey, we don't want any problem with Midnight Express. I'm hey. not sure that I want to go if, after what they've been doing to us. Hey, I think the problem is maybe uh, Johnny Ace is scared he might get his butt beat. Hey, listen, what? I said it once, he said it a couple times, he'll face anybody in NWA, and it's not my fault, Stan, that some girl left you. No, 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 Hold on, hold on. Wait a minute. Wait a second. Now. Wait a minute. Come here. This is a bunch of garbage. This is a bunch of garbage from you. This is a bunch of garbage from you guys. 
This has got to stop. I can't believe it. You went behind my back. Six years we've been together, Bobby Eaton. And three years we've been together, Stan Lane. I've always done my best for you guys. Wait a minute. I don't have a problem here on the set. Now man. listen. You guys got a heck of an opportunity here. You got the match. Make the most of it. You guys, you wanted the match. You got the match. I'm sick of the whole bunch of you. Yeah, I can't believe it. We'll see all you guys November 15th. All right, we'll find out. I'll tell you what. Well, we've got a hornet's nest here. Let's go to the ring for our next match, please. It's amazing that Stan Lane, it takes st uh, stealing a woman from Stan Lane to get him so riled up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's, that's fantastic. But uh, Also, the whole storyline makes much more sense if it's around here is when Cornette decides that he has to cut bait on the dudes. Yeah. Yeah, because they're, they're, they're fighting back, you know, in a, in a way. So... Maybe he wanted to be subservient. I don't know. But, yeah, it was, it was an interesting angle. And, of course, everybody knew where it was going to go, so, and it did, so there you go. All right, in closing, Dave asks, can you name one masked ad that's gotten over since the new era began? Doom won't either. Today's fans equate masks with jobbers, a fact reinforced both by WFA and NWA for the past five years. And these guys aren't good enough to change that perception. No. That's an interesting point, though, that the national groups have not really had pushed masked guys. Last if one. We, if we've forgotten the ding-dongs already picks. <laughs> well, the last mask gimmick that was pushed was the machines. Mm -hmm. And that was a wink-wink, we know who this is gimmick. Yeah, the last true mass gimmick that was pushed, the top star was Matt Superstar in WF before Hogan. Yep. Well, in early Hogan. Yeah, in early Hogan. But, yeah. So, yeah, it had been five years. Yeah. So, Paint replaced mask. Pretty much, yeah. But Doom, I mean, it was, Doom was not going to be a mask deal for long. I, I don't know if Dave's taking that. But yeah, we're not going to be masked for very long. So, and they're off in February. So, they... Yes, but. they are. And we even get the jokes from Jim Ross about how some fans call it the worst kept secret in professional wrestling. Well, I mean, it was. Good Lord. <laughs> but there you go. NWA, everybody. Let's go international now in a... Very interesting international section, and as we have everything that's not uh, American-based here. And we'll start in the land of the rising sun and all Japan pro wrestling, where they started a campaign for victims of the San Francisco earthquake, starting at the October 28th show. During the last tour, fans were given autographed placards of Abdul the Butcher and Tiger G. Singh or the Can-Ams for $3.50, with all the money going to the Red Cross of San Francisco. During the tournament, they'll be doing that with all the teams in the tournament. Huh. Interesting that they had all uh, a Canadian uh, presence on these placards there, Robert. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> three quarters Canadian. Three quarters Canadian, yes. Butcher, Singh, Furnace. Why? Well, I mean, I would, uh, I, mean I would expect uh, nothing less from the great humanitarian Tiger Jeet Singh. <laughs> with, uh, <laughs> 
we've talked about uh, on my previous appearances uh, the Tiger Jeet Singh Public School in Ontario. Yes. Uh, did you guys know that uh, the school has its own online merch store? No. Yes, you can buy a uh, a Tiger Jeet Singh cheerleading T-shirt. Huh? Uh, Tiger Jeet Singh Gymnastics, which uh, seems like an oxymoron if there ever was one. <laughs> uh, Tiger Tiger Jeet Singh Dance Team. Uh, my my personal favorite, uh, Tiger Jeet Singh Beach Volleyball. <laughs> Just imagine that. Him and the, <laughs> and the, uh, the sports uh, team names, uh, by the way, the Tiger Jeet Singh Tigers. Well, very, natural. very creative. Oh, yeah. So uh, good for all Japan, though, in, in doing that. Yes. Yes. All I, right. I also wonder what the impetus for this is. Is Doug living in California yet? Like, was this maybe no. his idea? No, they just were concerned. Okay. Hmm. No, it's that big uh, Japanese population in San yeah. Francisco. In Japan, yeah. and Japan, there's about earthquakes as well. So Yes. All right. That show is Sakamahara. Most TV taping on October 28th. We have Isamu Teranishi over Shiyoshi Kikuchi, Ms. Momoto Richard Slinger, Akira Tawe over Goro Shirumi, Akio Sato over Yoshinari Ogawa, Mighty Inoue and Russia Kimura over Haruka Egan and Matoshi Okuma, Joel Deaton and Dick Slater over Joe Malenko and Ken Shamrock, <laughs> Dan Croft and Doug Furness over Masafuchi and Kenakabashi, Footloose. Sansafuyuki and Toshiko Kawada with Tenugurichiro Revolution over Jaya Baba, Great Kabuki, and Shinichi Nakano. And our main event, Abdullah Butcher and Tiger G Singh over Shunji Takano and Jumbo Sharuda. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, interesting card there. Yes, and Shamrock is green, but I guess because of kind of the style leads him to work. The matches that we have with him and Joe Malenko as a team are very good. Yeah. Well, I mean, they had a lot in common, so yeah. Well, and at well, at this point, wouldn't Shamrock be training in shooting thanks to the Malenkos? Yes, pretty much. Because in this era, and it wasn't even that he was make would have been making a concerted effort to become a shooter. You know, Sean Wallman's talked about this. Uh. If you went to the Malenko school in this general time frame, you were also going to Masami Soranaka's house to learn catch wrestling, like, what was it, like twice a week? Something like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's presumably what that gets him in UWF, and here I gotta think it's Malenko who got him booked. Mm-hmm. And this also predates, or does it, when does Dean start in All Japan? Already has. That's what I'm saying. So, is there any indication of why Shamrock places Dean on this tour? I don't think it was a replacement. I just think Joe was on this tour solo and they teamed him up. True, because Joe is a singles in a way that Dean is not. Correct. All right, uh, New Japan, they're on tour. Their show of the week was in Toki, Japan, at Sports Center on November 1st, 2140. We have Hiroshi Diary going to a draw with Takeshi Misawa. Well, if you ever wanted to see, yes, more a Young Lions match where they did the least possible after their Young Lionness. Here you go, both of these guys. Well, Misawa was important though, and he got hurt, right? Yeah, well, Misawa was 
is the doctor. He became the New Japan doctor. Yeah. That's right. Diary, I don't <laughs> think I'd ever heard of before. No, he faded. He just faded away. Uh, Black Cat over Osama Masuda, featured El Samurai. Kentaro Hoshino over Hirokosu Hata. Super Strong Machine and George Takano over Matt Bourne and Daryl Peterson. Daryl Peterson, who we can now report, is alive. Yeah, uh, yeah he's... Uh... I believe uh, he just did an interview with our friend Chris Hero for High Spots. Yeah, God bless Chris Hero, mm-hmm. my dear friend. Uh, interviewing, you know, some 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 interesting guys. Yeah, it? yeah, he did. Uh, he did a few in Charlotte uh, at the convention. I know he did uh, Derek Dukes, which I'm uh, Starfire Derek to watch. Yes. yes, yes. So, well, Hero yeah, also lives in Charlotte now. He does, yes. Yeah, he's going to live. Actually, uh, told me something uh, about Max Payne, which I had no idea that uh, a teenage Max Payne was in a 1979 Lorenzo Lamas movie. Holy shit. I, I had no idea about Apparently, it's uh, an amateur wrestling themed movie, and. Uh, Daryl Peterson was uh, an accomplished amateur wrestler, so uh, yeah, I'll have to uh, check that one out. Oh, I just found it. If I, I just searched for uh, Daryl Peterson and Lorenzo Lamas takedown, seventy nine. <laughs> there you go. Uh, how we... many? How many stars do we got on that one? Oh, uh, I mean, I was clicking the IMDb. Where should I click to get some kind of? I mean, there's no. It doesn't appear there's a Rotten Tomatoes Gee. or anything. It should be on the main page somewhere. So you want to see what kind of average it has on IMDb? Oh, it's a yeah. 6.1 out of 10. So about three stars out of five. <laughs> All right. Not bad. The poster for this is amazing. <laughs> I'm sure it is. Is this the action? Right, uh, is this TV? What is this? Probably TV movie. Anyway, Matt Bourne and Max Payne. That is quite the team. All right. Osamu Kido and Ken Kamura over Takuki Azuka Shiroko Shinaka. Naoki Sano over Norinaga. Tess Toshigoto Hirosaido over Hiroshi Hase and Kunya Kobayashi. Shin Yashimoto over Kokina Maximus. The feature Yokozuna. Big medium. And then our main event. Of course. Yes. Well, yeah, and then our main event. What a main event this is. Masiro Chono, Jushin Naliga, and Riki Choshu defeated the team of Big Van Bader, Dr. Tom Pritchard, and Tony St. Clair. <laughs> you forgot to list one of the partners on the heel team, though, Chris. Tom Pritchard's hair. <laughs> wow that is a six-man match my goodness is this the famous one or is that with someone else instead of chono what's the famous one the one where the whole match is liger just endlessly fucking with vader oh i'm i'm not positive kicking over the helmet Which... and stuff i think this is, this is a TV mm. taping you said right um uh, i think it might have been i don't know but because I know yeah, it's Liger, I believe it's a Liger and Choshu and someone versus Vader, Pritchard, and St. Clair match. So mm-hmm. I think this is the one. If you've ever so seen the gif of Liger knocking over the steaming helmet, this is it. Okay. <laughs> there you go. Dr. Tom, uh, New Japan. A couple of tours from New Japan this era. Yes. Well, he does have a karate background. Excuse me, karate. Yeah. Yes. All right. CWA. Auto Vance's group in Hanover, Germany at Schutzenplatz on October 29th. We have Kendo Sasaki, Kensuke over Drew McDonald, Ben Doon McDonald to you, Stampede. <laughs> yes. 
Mile Zerna over Fit Finley, Franz Schumann and Steve Wright over Cannonball Grizzly and Colonel Brody, Klaus Karoff over Rex. That's presumably uh, Mad Ballbuster Rex, I would think. I guess. Eddie Steinblock well, over be, What Sal- am I saying? It could be Moondog Rex, too. Eddie Steinblock over Salvatore Belomo. And then the finals of the World Cup. Otto Vance over Rambo. Luke Poirier. <laughs> hey, uh, d- do you guys think uh, if uh, Jimmy Valiant were German, I feel like he'd spend a lot of time in shoots and plots. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> He would have been he would have been interesting on on some of these European tours. <laughs> yes, I mean they brought in other guys. I mean they had you know Ed Wiskowski used to go over all the time. I mean why not Jimmy Valiant? Oh. Ian News is over there. Why not Jimmy Valiant? Good lord! So yeah, that's Anabonsa's group. All right, now let's go to Canada, which uh, is there. One of the main reasons why Robert's on the show. We have great Canadian stuff this week. Let's start with Angelo Mosca. He's been campaigning in the press to get the soon-to-be-vacant job of commissioner of the Canadian Football League. Mosca said he used pro wrestling marketing techniques to bolster the financial distraught league. Being that Mosca had such a long successful run as a promoter, one would think that would make him qualified to run a football league. How many shows did Mosca promote? Dave thinks it was one very successful show. Then a year later, two unsuccessful shows and never again. It's a saint, Robert, that we never got Commissioner <laughs> Mosca in the CFO. Yeah, so I, I'm sure his uh, first move would be uh, installing himself as color commentator and uh, <laughs> Angelo Jr. as the quarterback of the Hamilton Tiger Cats. <laughs> yes. How well, would he, he have resolved the Rough Rider situation, though? Well, well, <laughs> Angelo Jr. played Canadian football he now. He did. He was a, a very big star, yeah. Yeah, let's not let's not overlook that he and, was a Canadian football player. Yeah, did uh, Dave mentioned uh, Moscow Mania, and I actually remember seeing uh, posters for the inaugural Moscow Mania around Toronto as a kid. It's about uh, an hour away from Hamilton, and uh, yeah, I, I recall them vividly because uh, the main image was uh, rather curiously of uh, Angelo posing with a wheelchair. It's not not a kid in a wheelchair. It's just Angelo posing with a wheelchair because uh, I believe the the show was a a benefit for cripples of some sort. Oh, Jesus! So, which was as we called them back in the eighties, Bix. That's uh, oh, yeah, a different time. Yes, but uh, yeah, a- Angelo Angelo Junior did play. I mean, he uh, he was a. I don't know how much he played, but he played played for the Tiger Cats for a little while. Yeah, well, he was. Uh, there's a big uh, Italian Canadian population uh, in Hamilton, so uh, very very popular uh, with the Italians. Yeah, but um, yeah, just amazing. Imagine the promos he would have cut and all that stuff for this this job. <laughs> oh my God. But this, uh, ironically, this uh, 1989, I believe, uh, still considered one of the greatest Grey Cup finals of all time, was the uh, the, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, I believe, uh, uh, pulled out a, a dramatic win over somebody. It wouldn't have been Toronto, would it? 
Uh, let's no, see it here. was uh, the Tamoxic Tiger Cats. There, well, there you go. It was, and it's listed as the most exciting great cup in CFL history. <laughs> there you go. Um, at least see, until uh, the the Baltimore Calgary Great Cup. Oh, a few yeah. Years later, uh, forty three to forty was the final score of that game. Um, Kent Austin was the most valuable player on offense, and uh-huh. Chuck. Chuck Klingbaugh, who played for the Miami Dolphins, he was the most valuable Canadian, or the most valuable defensive player. <laughs> Dave Ridgeway was the most valuable Canadian. Okay, I love, love that we have to have a, a most valuable Canadian. Oh, and um, yeah, I mean, uh, oh, and I love how, you know, we have the uh, announcers here. Uh, Don Whitman, Ron Lancaster. Mm-hmm. CFL legend. Uh, the other Brian Williams. Uh, yeah, yeah, very, very famous. Uh, did uh, He's probably the worst uh, Blue Jays play-by-play man of all time, <laughs> uh, Brian Williams. Um, and we had Steve Armitage and Scott Oak. Uh, is there your CBC announcers in front of mm-hmm. uh, 54,088 fans at the Tokyo Sky? No. Tokyo, Toronto. Tokyo, <laughs> Sky, <laughs> Good God. It's our honest guy, though. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go to West Newton Sky Dome at the time. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Let's go to Western Canada and Stampede Wrestling. With the return of Owen Hart, the October 27th show in Calgary picked up to a 1,200 fans as Owen pinned the Angel of Death when Larry Cameron's interference backfired. A given for the show was all tickets would be one dollar off to any fan who comes to the building with a Halloween costume. During the co-feature of Smith uh, Smith challenging David Boy Smith challenging Cameron for the title, someone in a Halloween costume interfered and cost David the title and turned out to be Johnny Smith. Bill is Davy's brother, but in reality, two are in a relationship that both were originally from England and had the last name Smith. I thought they were both his cousins. Well, Dave says they're built as brothers here. So mm-hmm. what is what is a Robert I- cousin from? <laughs> I remember cousins, but uh, it's entirely possible at some point uh, they said brothers and uh, and changed their mind. But yeah, cousins is always what I heard. Yeah. Um, October 27, 1,200 fans. We had the British Commonwealth heavyweight, mid-heavyweight title on the line as Bruce Hart retained over Matt Derringer. Wow. Chris Ooh. Benoit over Skull Mason. <laughs> Sumo Hara. Kukitahar over Brett Derringer, Archangel Curtis Thompson over Biff Wellington, uh, Larry Cameron over David Boy Smith in the North American Tata match, Cole Miner's Glove, and Owen over the Angel of Death. So who are the Derringers? <laughs> so, yeah, the, the Derringer brothers. I, I have no idea what happened to them, but uh, they were Minnesota guys uh, as we had... An influx of uh, Minnesota talent in this era. Oh, so and, they're uh, basically the two guys who did not get run off by the quote-unquote ribs in Galgary. <laughs> yes. They, well, yeah, there was. Uh, we had Ricky Rice came in uh, very briefly. Uh, I remember Derek Dukes was supposed to come in. I, I don't believe he ever did, but... Uh, yeah, the, the Derringer brothers, they did uh, a rather uninspired, uh, effeminate cowboy gimmick. Uh, not <laughs> not unlike the Midnight Cowboys of uh, Rip Rogers and Kerry Brown the previous year, but uh, 
a, a subpar version of the Midnight Cowboys. They're also, wow. uh, speaking of Minnesota guys, uh, T. Joe Kahn came in uh, very, very briefly. They must have... They must have ripped him really badly because uh, <laughs> I think he was only in for a week. He was uh, yeah, he was supposed to be uh, Larry Cameron's white slave, according to a promo. <laughs> yes, he was. That was gonna be <laughs> and Skull Mason. Oh my God, I, I loathed Skull Mason matches on television. <laughs> uh, Brett and Matt <laughs> Derringer was their name in the PWA, by the way. Okay. Yeah. And of course, Archangel, Archangel is Curtis Thompson. Yes. <laughs> so there's that. All right. Um, and Owen's back. So that 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 yeah. was a big well, boost. Yeah, that was uh, so that was a pretty good house for. Uh, of course, this was the the dying days of Stampede, sadly. But uh, Owen coming back uh, always popped a house. Yeah. Edmonton on October twenty eighth or two twenty. Has been Wall returned home and pinned Skull Mason, two and a quarter stars. Archangel, Curtis Thompson, or Biff Wellington, one star. It's noted Thompson doesn't show much. <laughs> well, wait, uh, clearly Dave uh, never saw Curtis in his yellow trunks because well, the- <laughs> he, he showed an awful lot. <laughs> well, this is Trent Walters. This okay. It's a Trent. <laughs> yes. Oh, yeah. I, I uh, traded tapes with him back in the day. Yes. The Derringers over Bruce Hart and Sumohara by DQ when Hara dropped kit one of them over the top rope, two stars. Owen pinned uh, Angel of Death, two stars. Dave over Cameron by DQ when Johnny interfered and Owen made the say star and three quarters. Why is Tatsumi Kitahara still here when Sasaki has moved on? Who knows? Maybe he enjoyed it. I don't know. No. Well, Abdul nice. was all. Abdul was always back as manager, and Lord knows why. <laughs> oh. You want to tell everybody about Abdul was all? Uh, yes, uh, Abdul. Was he? I always thought he was Abu Wizal, but uh, yes. Regardless, uh, yeah, he was uh, a heel manager. Um, I, I believe he's Lebanese. I don't know. Uh, that sounds right. Exactly how he was portrayed on television, but uh, the man himself is. Uh, of uh, Lebanese descent. Uh, Dave, uh, clearly not a fan. I can't uh, figure out why he was on television, but uh, I can can think of a few reasons why. uh, Because Abu's day job uh, was working for Diamond Auto Body, uh, who were a sponsor (laughs) of Stampede Wrestling. Oh, there you go. uh, Also, also the location at which uh, then-aspiring wrestler Hermish Austin uh, (laughs) later tortured a man with hammers and blowtorches for four days before shooting him and burying him in a shallow grave west of the city. Oh, what a story. You you could say he was uh, the Mr. Fuji of the territory in some ways. (laughs) (laughs) Nice guy, though. Of course. (laughs) Uh, Well, Curtis Thompson's here. Talk of Bob Emery, the muscular jobber oh. who worked a lot earlier in the, year in the TVS, yeah. <laughs> is coming in as one of the black hearts who have now disappeared. A muscle bear dream match, if there ever was one. <laughs> now, he, Bob Emery did come in, but uh, I think he was just Bob Emery. I don't remember him uh, being one of the black hearts. No. Bob Emery, Curtis Thompson, Bix, good lord. Remember when the easiest ticket to finding uh, certain things on eBay was just searching for a Bob Emery? 
<laughs> oh man. Too bad Calvin Knapp and Chaz weren't wrestling this time. They were doing covers too. Well, Stephen Dan- well, Stephen Dan's around. Yeah, well, he's in, he's employed by the NWA. He so. well, is he still there this late? Yeah, he's still working house show stuff at times. Yeah, TVs. Let's see if I search oh, YouTube yeah. for Bob Emery Jobber. Search Bob Emery Curtis Thompson. That's one of the most famous matches. <laughs> okay, fine. Bob Emery Curtis Thompson. Let's see. Let's see what the comments are like on this, shall we? We've already read them. Oh, we have. Then why are you? <laughs> oh, no. I'm just saying that's the that's the most. Well, they're both here in Stampede. Ooh, so that's why. Ooh, Bob Emery Ultimate Warrior. Let's see. Let's see what our highest rated comment is. Um, what I don't get is how, after the clothesline, Emery went from being over his stomach and then getting up, and he gives timestamps, to being again on his back. Did the referee also kick him to make him stay on his back and teach him his place? It wouldn't surprise me if even the ref took a chance to kick him and feel powerful against Emery. Oh. Yeah, that's about right. <laughs> no, this is, well, we have Thunder Road Mike as well. Did a muscled jobber look any more weaker than Emery? I can only imagine the conversations when they went over the match plan beforehand with him! Exclamation point. The match didn't even last long enough for your sweat to mess up Warrior's face paint. <laughs> as a side note, it was always funny how Emery would try to act like he didn't know his bulge was showing, yet would put his hands on his hips to draw attention to it. <laughs> just, just want to know if Warrior ever read his YouTube comments. Oh, and our dear friend Libra42Full has a reply. They just told him, hey, Bob, just act like a total inept muscled weakling the whole time. He's using her, I mean, beating on you. Just act like a sissy, a fairy boy. Look as dumb as you can. And obviously Bob did as he was told. Like a good wrestling whore, I mean jobber. And how great must have Warrior's nuts been tingling during that pin. Well, um, speaking of Libra 42 full, there's this one we never read before. Um, This is from a Bob Emery Mike Justice versus uh, Alfred Larry Zabisco match. And uh, this one guy talks about how everybody's wearing black trunks. Mm-hmm. And Libra 42 full says, yeah, but when Perez wore those white ones, it's Nikita Koloff. There's no way to describe the pleasure of watching Perez riding in all caps on Koloff's back <laughs> in the rear seated chin lock, just bouncing around in those trunks on Koloff. The black are great, but the white ones – Definitely show how much of a man Perez is. You can't deny that. LOL. Oh, oh wait. <laughs> I, we have Libra 42 Full's main comment on this video. First clothesline and the humiliating balls in your face pin on Emery are the best parts. <laughs> he looked like a toy wrestling ragdoll that the ultimate one wanted to just roughly wrestle hump off on. I don't know how Warrior kept himself from just grabbing the weak, muscular wimp by his hair and you. <laughs> it's always this with him and using his face to jack his ball jaw. 
<laughs> that had to take some major self-control on Warrior's part. <laughs> well, we can't top that. Uh, no, you can't. Libra for Google, that was the gift that keeps on giving. <laughs> and clearly yes. has a thing for wrestlers using job guys uh, heads and mouths <laughs> as uh, flashlights. Yes. Um, expect Dave Boy Smith to be injured by Johnny since he's leaving for the All Japan Tag Tournament. Convenient how that always works out. <laughs> yes. DJ Peterson's heading in and we get a big push to the baby face. <laughs> he, did. <laughs> he did come in. Uh, he had a little uh, little program with Larry Cameron, I recall. Stampy going for the muscles. Ah, helped to uh, kill the territory once and for all. <laughs> I guess Bruce wanted to have the blowjobs there. <laughs> yes. Also, apparently coming in, Amanda Guerrero. He's not for the blowjobs. And Conan the Barbarian, <laughs> the top heel heavyweight in Mexico. Well, so we're half right. Uh, <laughs> I, <laughs> I do not remember Mondo. Uh, per, perhaps he got uh, nabbed with weed at the border again. But uh, obviously Conan did come in. Um, I believe it was a guy named Jason Anderson, who was one of the Blackhearts. Uh, later worked as Jason Neidhart, mm -hmm. the uh, cousin of uh, Jim Neidhart, wink, wink. Although he was uh, uh, Something like that. But uh, I believe he was the one who uh, suggested Conan. And uh, now, far be it for me to uh, accuse Conan of embellishing. Uh, I'll leave that to Rob Bahari. Oh, yes. He'll <laughs> but... When Conan speaks of his time in Stampede, uh, he often describes the long, brutal road trips uh, when, in fact, uh, if you hear Ross Hart tell it, uh, uh, Conan only took one road trip uh, to British Columbia while he was here. Otherwise, he just worked in Calgary and Edmonton. And I, mean, I think he was only uh, was only here about three weeks anyway. And uh, I, I believe he was on the actual final stampede show of this era yeah so there you go and Conan. for a long time he was one of the only wrestlers who had bad things to say about owen hart <laughs> indeed that was i remember uh the first time i heard that uh, he did the big uh, torch talk yeah. interview uh with wade keller and he he did mention he had uh, great affection for brett but uh, surprisingly, uh, had some heat with Owen. Now, the the claim was that Owen was unhappy that uh, Conan came in doing his high-flying lucha moves, uh, which Owen considered to be uh, his moves, I guess. But uh, supposedly, he complained to Stu and... Uh, and yeah, I, I don't know if uh, this really happened. I will say I've heard that Owen uh, definitely did not like Conan uh, for whatever reason. So maybe, yeah. maybe Owen ribbed him. <laughs> I imagine a lot of people ribbed him uh, during his three weeks in Calgary. Yeah. For the record, at least from what's on Cage Match, they only have him there for a couple weeks. Uh, well, it's in December <clears throat> anyway. 
with matches mm-hmm. with the likes of Jason Anderson, Blackheart Destruction, who at this time theoretically it it had, does have his Jason Nightheart, whatever Jason Anderson, mm-hmm. uh, Skull Mason, Johnny Smith, and of course Archangel, who he actually had a really mm-hmm. good match with. You would not expect mm-hmm. Conan versus Curtis Thompson to be as good as it was. It was actually <laughs> no. a very good match. Uh, I mean, uh, Conan was all right in this era. Yeah. But you got all these muscle heads coming in. Somebody's got to go. So they fire Bulldog Bob Brown. <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, better have uh, Rufus R. Jones uh, <laughs> put, put in a word at the dog track. <laughs> Kansas City. Well, and luckily for Bulldog Bob Brown, the territory is about to close and Tony Condello is going to get on TSN. Well, and... Yes, you would. He would make his triumphant return to TSN. Uh, <laughs> yes. The talk, and Dave said the top quality work may be short-lived here. Says Johnny Smith and Chris Benoit both being pursued by the World Wrestling Council. Says the Cuban assassin, Angel Acevedo, who worked here extensively, is doing the booking in Puerto Rico. <laughs> yeah. Just uh, just what WWC needed. Uh, <laughs> another booker that famously carried a knife everywhere. <laughs> but... but uh, well, hey, it's a. I mean, Benoit would have fit in perfectly in Puerto Rico. Well, Benoit versus Invader One is a, a killer match right there. Oh, but oh. Uh, no, I, I just cannot see uh, Benoit working the uh, the Puerto Rican style. But uh, obviously, it did not happen. But uh, yeah, Cuban Assassin did bring in. Uh, did bring in some Stampede guys, or he brought uh, Gary Albright in from Stampede we, around yeah, this time. Yeah, Lance Idol and mm-hmm. uh, Gary Brown. Yeah. yeah there, and, of course, she had got the Salvo had been there all year, Leo Burke had mm-hmm. been. Yeah. So there, there was a lot of crossover between Canada and Puerto Rico. Oh, yeah. Champagne, Jerry Morrow. Yeah, yeah. Gamma Singh went over there. Carlos mm-hmm. Colon in the first place. Like yeah, Her- Hercules Ayala. I mean, yes, Ch- yeah, Cheeky Star, a profe. I mean, mm-hmm. yeah, it's a big crossover. Yeah, Harry Hercules Ayala uh, lived in uh, Edmonton until uh, the end of his life. Yeah, yes, and also even some of you know other people like Ron Star. Yeah, like the, there really was a lot of crossover there. Mm-hmm. Gary Brown. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, let's go real. Western Canada now to PCCW in Cloverdale, British Columbia at the Alice McKay building on October 28th. We have Rocky De La Sera over Gator and Long by DQ in a three-way dance. The Olympian, <laughs> yes, the Olympian and Randy Tyler over Michelle Starr and Vern Siebert. Timothy Flowers, Diamond Timothy Flowers over Mike Mazansky. PCCW junior weight title is Randy Tyler beat Iton to win the title. And then Fabulous Fabio of a Randy Taylor in your final. <laughs> okay, I have so many questions. <laughs> so we have a Randy Tyler and a Randy Taylor. Are we sure they're different people and that's not a timeout? Yes. Yeah. And But Randy Tyler is also working twice? Yeah. But he's not Randy Taylor? No. <laughs> also, looking at the people who are on this show, I got to think that either Fabio or Randy Taylor is the promoter. Or well... Or it could be one of those deals where the the last match is not the main event. Uh, who knows? But still, well, it, you know, most of your experienced talent is on the undercard. Yeah. 
Well, speaking of uh, the fabulous Fabio, uh, I am told, I did not know this, but uh, he was the original trainer of our good friend Daniel Maccabi. Wow. Yeah. I, I always thought uh, Doc Johnny Fever was his trainer, but... Uh, Howard Hessman? Evan, <laughs> it's a different... He'll get it. <laughs> You said he mentioned Johnny Fever. I'm thinking Howard Hesman. So there you go. <laughs> well, I was, yeah, I was, uh, I was surprised to see uh, Mike Lazansky from Calgary uh, working out here at that time. Uh, did not know he was out there, but uh, so something I learned recently about uh, Mike Lazansky, which I did not know, is that uh, apparently at one point uh, Phil Lafon had uh, lobbied to return to ECW with Mike Lazansky as his partner instead of Doug Furness. Hmm. Oh, yeah, that would have been something. Yeah, which, I mean, probably because uh, Doug did not buy drugs for Phil Lafon uh, the way Mike <laughs> did. Mike, Mike, Mike Lazansky coming from a wealthy Calgary oil family and uh, liked to treat his friends, uh, shall we say. Yes. Absolutely. Okay, so wait a second. Cage Match has this fabulous Fabio Fabio Chiesa as being 53 years old and debuting in 89. So he's very young here. Mm-hmm. He's got 21. And he's headlining. Mm-hmm. Okay, so this has to be his dad's promotion or something. Again, just because it's the last match doesn't mean it's the main I event. I know, well. I know. We'll, we'll check with Daniel about this one. Yeah, he'll know. Now, which and, I believe the same uh, building he had his first match in, too. The uh, the Alice McKay. McKay building in beautiful Cloverdale. Famous for the Cloverdale Rodeo. Mm-hmm. Wait, you're telling me hey. that an indie promotion ran a building in Western Canada and it was a rodeo? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, there was uh, literally uh, Teddy Hart's first rodeo, Harry Smith. T.J. Wilson, all uh, all had their first match at uh, a rodeo in Alberta. The Rockyford Rodeo. Yes. And to close out this section, we go to Mexico, EMLL, Arena Coliseo. It's only two matches listed. Aguilita Solitario, Facito Guerrera, and Mascarita Sagrada against Experturito, Pequeño Goliath, and Peratita Morgan. And then our main event, Chavo Guerrero, Cien Carlos, and Lafiera against El Faraón, Liz Marquez, and Satanico. So there you go. And I guess this is the beginning of Pena using the guys who would become known as the Micros because Pequeño Goliath was part of that troop of the original Mexican minis who did more of the American quote-unquote midget wrestling style. And Forcita Guerrero was one of the micros in AAA. Mm-hmm. So we're seeing them mixed in with your, you know, more conventional uh, mini super stress. Yeah. All right. Well, that is it for the first half of the show. It's halftime. So some great nineteen eighty nine commercials. We'll be right back where we'll talk about our new Patreon show that's uh, out by now. We'll hit the hit the plugs, come back with Robert, and we go to the independent scene where we have uh, news on uh, promotional war in Georgia, so to speak. Uh, Florida, the first uh, 
the Promotion Federation of Florida undergoing some situa- situation here with their owner. We got Continental. We got all kinds of stuff going on. And yes, we do have Heritage Championship Wrestling, Grizzly Smith's promotion, all that more after the break. Hi, we're the new kids on the block. Now you can hang tough with us 24 hours a day on our brand new hotline. Just pick up your phone and call us on 1-900-9095-KIDS. You hear our most secret day-to-day thoughts. Let's check this out. We'll tell you all about our brand new talking fan club hotline. Word. It'll blow your mind, so call us right now. Plus, a portion of each call helps us support United Cerebral Palsy. So remember, we'll, we'll be loving you forever. forever. See ya. $2 for the first minute, 45 cents for each additional minute. Kids, get your parents' permission first. No little cinnamon gum freshens breath longer than Big Red. So kiss a little longer, stay close a little longer, hold tight a little longer, longer with Big Red. That Big Red freshness lasts right through it, your fresh breath goes on and on. While you chew it, say goodbye a little longer, make it last a little longer, give your breath long-lasting freshness. Corn Crisp from Pringles, the fresh corn fever reliever. Introducing the Adidas Torsion Basketball Shoe. Moves the way your foot moves. Created with one thing in mind. Winning. If you really want it, you can. Adidas Torsion. Herbie Hancock at play on the full-size Casio CT650 with 465 tone bank sounds. This is a rhythm. Let's hit a piano. That's piano. Yeah. The Casio CT650 with incredible tone bank sound, like every tone bank keyboard. It's the perfect plaything. Hey guys and grills, got some party time tips for you from Extra Gold Draft. First, never party with anything less than the full tilt taste of Extra Gold. This is serious beer. Another tip, you know at a party like this, it's a good idea to keep a close eye on the family pet. Hey little buddy, how you been? Come here. Yeah. Oh, you didn't think that. Go for the full tilt taste of extra gold. You guys are sick. It's all right, man. If you don't know. I was very skeptical, but I'm not now. About the new generation hair growth system. It's really filled in through there. And how it may help if you're losing your hair. About 30 to 40% of my hair came back. Then call for this information. Now his hair looks like it did 10 years ago. The call is free. I think I look better with a full head of hair. The information is free. I just like guys with hair. There is hope. It works. It's really great. It's powerful. Hi, I'm Lyle Wagoner. 
If you haven't heard about the new generation hair growth system and how it may help you if you're losing your hair, then call this toll-free number to get this free information on the product that has helped millions. Just listen. Eventually, about 30 to 40 percent of my hair came back. And in three months, it stopped thinning. A lot of this is new hair, hair I didn't have three years ago. Will the new generation hair growth system work for you? There's only one way to find out. Call for this free information now. Action! This is Robert Townsend. I'm Mel Gibson. This is Alfred Hitchcock. I am Dan Aykroyd. Jeremy Jeremy Short. Kim Basinger. Dot Julie Brown. And we encourage you to watch The Big Picture on MTV. This week, Ted Danson teams up with a dead poet in Dad. Look good. They keep growing. Dad, you say that to me every time I see you. I stopped growing two years ago. Rebecca DeMornay plays the market in Dealers. Martin Short is on the lamb in home video. It's a grenade! And I'm pulling the pin, so no funny business! I'm the man that's gonna make you use that gun. And Rocket's Red Glare will join us to talk about his new movie. The Big Picture. Watch Thursday at 7.30 p.m. and Saturday at 7 p.m. It's on MTV. All right, we're back, and hope you enjoyed all those great 1989 commercials as we pivot to the halftime segment of the show. Let's begin talking about our Patreon, patreon.com slash Twin Sheets. And yes, we do have a new Patreon episode up as we did part two of our series on the birth of the New World Order. And yeah, it's quite the show, folks. So definitely want to listen to that. Uh, we'll have a big plug at the beginning of next week's show about it but real quickly uh we'll be talking about uh the aftermath of um you know hogan joining of course and in the july going starting in august so we got hog wild and sturgis we'll talk about that we'll talk about hogan flair at the clash which people forget about that match we'll talk about that we'll talk about the giant turning and joining nwo and, uh, of course, DiBiase coming in, Sean Waltman coming in, all the drama regarding Sean Waltman. Uh, other names that were bandied around about possibly, you know, being in Sean Waltman's spot. If he couldn't be part of the group, so we'll have that. We'll have, of course, Eric Bischoff join the NWO, the NWO at the Cable Ace Awards. We'll talk about that. And, yeah, we'll, we'll have all kinds of stuff on this show. So, uh, $5 a month. At patreon.com slash 20 sheets gets you access to those shows. And, uh, yeah, we might, we might as well go ahead and announce it here now as we announce it in the Patreon show. November in one month, the November episode of patreon.com slash 20 sheets, John Collins's main event championship wrestling. You don't want to miss this one, folks. So get in now while you can get in early. At patreon.com slash 20 sheets. You don't want to miss this. This is going to be salacious. It's going to be entertaining. I mean, we're going to have all. It's like Big said at the end of the Patreon show. It's a little mixture of the global shows, the, the Heyman shows, and the Herb Abram shows. So if you love those shows, you're basically going to get parts of all three in this one. So you definitely want to get in on this at patreon.com slash 20 sheets. $5 a month. Get you access to all the shows we've done. And we'll get you access to that yeah. if you put in this month. Well, and so, we should mention, too, by the time that the show everyone's listening to comes out, it's November 1st. So if you want to join now, you will get both the NWO Part 2 and the John Collins show. And it'll 
all be all part of the initial month without, you know, having to, you know, the extra yeah, payment or anything. Here's the thing, folks. I mean, it, if you want to join a, the Patreon, always try to jo- wait and join the first of the month. You know, yes, we don't if, mind if, if, if anyone does it strategically. It's just we had to do the charge up front because some people, I think in some cases, accidentally were abusing it because I don't like I think I don't know if they have safeguards against it now on ones that don't charge up front. But like for a time, you could just sign up, listen to stuff and then cancel on, you know, if it was one that didn't have the pay up front thing. Exactly. So. Five dollars a month gets you access to that. Dollar a month gets you access to our Discord Thanks in this segment, which we're doing in just a minute. Twenty-five dollars lets you pick a show for the week. Make sure you pick a show that we haven't done already. And if we did, may have a backup choice handy, just in case you have uh, encountered that problem, or somebody may have uh, the week that you want picked out on the calendar. And let us know why you want us to do the show, so we can make sure everything matches up timeline-wise. Of course, we instead of Tuesday and. 10-year rule, 30-day rule of getting that information in. So do all that, and you'll be good to go. $50, I just said it for a segment of the show, and 100 for the whole show if you choose. It's up to you. Patreon.com slash Between the Sheets. All right, Bix, who do I think this week is our new and or returning patrons? All right, just a couple because of that time of the month. We'd like to thank you. Yes, and uh, Actually, it might only be one. Did we thank Prez Ricard last week? If we did, we'll take him again. Thanks, Press. As well as my uh, friend and uh, also sometimes GCW lighting guy, Matthew Baruso. Oh, thank you, Matthew. So, uh, always good to have some GCW folks on board. So, thank you, new patrons, old patrons, returning patrons, everybody, for being on patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, IWTV, uh, we're not going to go real hard on that big so what is uh what's out that catches your eye there is the uh zona 23 or i guess the zona uh trace deathmatch tournament in the junkyard that's up uh that's the main new thing this week and then as far as oh yeah sup well we talked about sup last week going into the live show which well it was live yeah but it's up now Yes, and I watched some of that very good show, especially uh, Daniel Maccabi match. So everyone check that out. With uh, it took me a second to remember all of it. No, it was with uh, Cole Radrick, also sort of a friend of the show. Yeah, yeah very, we got a very good match. Action wrestling stuffs up from their previous shows. So go watch that. Yes, and then as far as the live stuff over the weekend coming into you know after we record this, but. Before this show comes out, you know, latest Beyond Wrestling Uncharted Territory, of course. Uh, the Carinos PWF has their WrestleMania, which I guess if uh, Matt Griffin and Mikey Blanton couldn't do their WrestleMania last year, someone had to do it. Yeah. And just looking real quick, anything of note on the... I'm trying to know there was something that caught my eye on one of these. What was it? It was... Uh... Oh! That, that's what it was. One of the featured matches on... I was trying to remember which, which match it caught my eye. One of the featured matches on the PWF show is... And I'm sure this will be really good. Colby Carino versus John Davis. There you go. So that's on there. And of course, H2O, Match Remont's promotion, has three shows. The Hustle Cup, 
the Tremont Deathmatch Tournament, and of course, you know, a few hours before this show drops, and hopefully I will be there, a co-promotion of H2O and FMWE, Destiny, Onita vs. Tremont, Exploding Ring at the uh, Trenton Thunderball Park, using Onita's pyro guys flown in from Japan. It's interesting because we're recording this a few days out from that, and I'm not seeing the buzz I thought I would be seeing on that. No, I'm not. Um, It's interesting. From the the ticketing site, it looks like I can't get a great feeling, especially especially because you don't know what's going to be walking. I'm seeing I'm, I'm seeing more buzz for Game Changer shows than I am on uh, this. I don't feel like they've pushed it that hard honestly um you know it's you know expensive tickets big building i get that but it's we'll see what happens i i'm honestly not sure what to expect yeah i I, i'll say the one thing that's kind of surprised me though that they really should have pushed because it's a huge reason why i needed wanted to do this i haven't seen h2o or anyone push that they're using onita's pyro guys I haven't even seen it either. You're the only one that said it. Yeah, far which, I, know. I, mean, I heard it from Bahu because he mentioned it on Twitter, I believe. Yeah, like, so mm, that's a know. big deal because oh, remember, Onita was like tweeting and doing interviews coming out of uh, Revolution, saying like, "I want to do a real explosion match. I will bring my people to the U.S. if I have to." And this is yeah. what came out of that. Yeah. Well. So, We'll see what happens, because I, I do wonder if the AEW thing fizzling through no, no fault of anyone in AEW is the fault of the pyro crew they used. You know, I wonder if that potentially hurt this. I don't know. Either way, it's going to be a trip. I'm happy that this is happening. I still kind of can't believe that it is. Yeah. That we're finally getting a outdoor baseball park explosion death match with Onita in New Jersey and... They're going to make sure that they do it right. Yeah. So anyway, if you sign up for IWTV to watch any of this, use code BTSPOD, which is also in the show descriptions, and we will get a referral bonus if you uh, continue to be a paid subscriber. And we also thank everyone who did uh, in the last quarter, which I think were mainly in August, because I did ask because I was curious, because we doubled. I mean, it hasn't been a lot, but we doubled our referrals compared to previous quarters. Awesome. So we thank y'all. Yes. And we also thank Stephen Colby Carino for having a match that seemed to have driven people to want to sign up. Yeah, that's very possible. And that was a great match. All right. Uh, and Viper VPN real quick. Tinyurl.com slash BTSVPN. If you want to get around uh, geoblocks, if you want to have increased privacy for browsing the Internet, especially, for example, if you're on open Wi-Fi, you want to use a VPN service. Viper VPN is one of the best. Their third-party certified is not logging your traffic. They have other extra security options, tons of countries, good speeds. They've got an Android TV app. So for watching on your TV, it's one of the better choices because a lot of them don't have Android TV apps. And, of course, the price, which is if you do the three-year $60 plan, that's less than $1.67 a month for a really, really good VPN. And since we've said it before, I might as well say it again. Other than just giving us money through Patreon, which is obviously direct and blah, 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 
this is probably the best way to support us because their referral fees are outrageously generous. Yes, indeed. So, so tinyurl, yes, tinyurl.com slash btsvpn. And as always, remember, all this stuff is in the show description, as always. Mm-hmm. All right, uh, plug time. Uh, nothing new on any other side project podcast as of now. But next week on Between the Sheets, me and Bix will be back, just us, talking about 1996. So we'll kind of run parallel to the Patreon show in a way. As we'll talk about Hulk Hogan on Reduce of Kathy Lee in his NWO attire. So that's going to be interesting. And we'll talk about all the other stuff going on WCW. We got all the stuff going on uh, on the indie scene, USWA, ECW. We'll have some of that stuff. Randy Hales and Burt Prentice having a wild uh, moment on the air of Memphis Television. So we'll talk about that. Um, all the stuff internationally, but really the main thing of the show that we have next week, Brian Pillman, Steve Austin, and a gun on Monday Night Raw at Brian Pillman's house. All that and more next week on Between the Sheets, and that's going to be a doozy. So be ready for that one, folks. All right, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-O-N-E-R. Show proper at BT Sheets Pod, Bix at David Bix. And uh, Bix, anything going on in your world? Yeah, I did put something up on uh, Babyface V Heel. About... Oh, yes. Yeah, I forgot about that. Yes, about... Uh... I won't get too descriptive for obvious reasons, but that I had done a FOIA request to reprocess some FBI memos about the WWF investigation from the 90s. And it turns out that the video they had of Mel Phillips uh, with some ring boys in an arena before a show, which in the version I had it previously seemed to indicate that he was just quote-unquote wrestling with them and was inconclusive, uh, was probably, I mean, at least from reading it, much, I mean, it seems like it's the exact abuse that the ring boys that came forward had accused him of. And it's on a tape. And they disregarded as not looking like abuse. So, yeah. The actual article, you know, has the various content warnings about the descriptive parts and stuff. But check that out, babyfaceveheel.com. And that's it. I may have something else coming out next week. But I'll, I'll wait till uh, next week to come up. You know, another thing that you never really plugged on this was your thing about the uh, TBS WF ratings. Did I neglect to mention that last time? You you mentioned the the Briscoe you know Bradshaw stuff and Pat Patterson, but you never mentioned that. Okay, so I had found an electronic media article from I think it was May '85 that, among other things, said that the reason that they that TBS and WWF split was more, and this was the WWF side of the story. TBS did not respond to their request for comment. Was that there was a disagreement over what the allocation of promotional time during each show meant in the contract. Vince and company thought it meant they could resell it as commercial time. Turner was insistent that it was like, no, this is about your promos for your events. And then when Turner said they couldn't resell the commercial time, was like, oh, if you want it, you have to buy it yourself at full price and resell it. And 
Briscoe did say that's how he remembered it. And of course, it's interesting that it's the public WWF story, you know, a decade before Vince claims it's like, oh, yeah, Vince wanted to, excuse me, Ted wanted to buy us. So anyway, one of the things I noticed in there, though, was them saying, giving the February ratings info, and it had World Championship Wrestling. Well, yeah, it was still World Championship Wrestling in February. To averaging like a 5.3 rating. And I'd been looking at other stuff. And I was like, well, wait a second. Meltzer says that Mid-South and their whole run on TBS went at during a period of 13 weeks where the, they a- average out to being the highest rated show on cable. That averaged a 5.3. So wait a second, what's going on here? Because that starts at the very beginning of March. So I decided to dig through everything I could find. Newspaper articles from the various TBS press releases they put out because... They didn't want to brag about how most of their show, you know, most of the top 10 on cable was their shows, etc. Trade publications, and then also trade publications to see if they gave an, a universe for TBS at a given time, because not all of these had how many households. So then you can calculate how many households out of that. Basically, what I found was, and this became more obvious once you figured out the number of households and not just the rating, because the universe for TBS increased by like 3 million just in those eight months. It's not as nearly as much of a flop as we've always been told it was. And it goes into all that in depth. But the short version being, it looks like initially it did kind of tank the ratings after a few months, but then they rebounded as TBS and the WWF career. So lots more of that in there. You can check that out, babyfaceviahill.com. What did you what did you think of all that? And then I guess we'll finish up here. Yes, another narrative busted. Some of it's true, though. Like, you look at how things go into Fall 84, and yes, they absolutely did make things worse than even Oli had gotten them. But it wasn't immediate, because in July they still did fairly well, and three out of the four weekends in July were WWF. And then they rebound big, and we, we never heard either of those things. And we never had it couched in terms of the household either. It was always in terms of the rating, which, if the universe is growing by 3 million homes in that era over the course of 8 months, then just comparing the ratings does not give an accurate picture of what's happening. Yeah. So, anyway. Well, alright, well, enough of that. Let's get back to the rest of the show. Alright, we're back from that great halftime set we just had and Ro- and Robert's back with us. So let's talk about the indie scene here in the United States at this time. And we'll start with Bob Raskin's USWA. Yes. There's a USWA that was around before Jerry Jarrett's USWA. Bob Raskin had his United States Wrestling Alliance, or I think of what it was. It was an association, but they were they ran indie shows in the Northeast, and they had a show in Wayne, New Jersey, at William Patterson College on October 29th, in front of 350 fans. And so we had Davey O'Hannon and Johnny Valiant over the Heartbreakers. No idea. Dominic Danucci over Preston Steele. Okay. Ken Patera over Nikolai Volkov. And an AW World Heavyweight title match, Larian Zabisco retained over David San Martino. <laughs> now, that, was this Doey David or Diana Ball David? Diana Ball David. Diana Ball David. Right. Early Diana Ball oh, David. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yes, because he, he was working in Georgia in this time, too. Uh, mm-hmm. 
in, in working for in the George Andy scene. So yeah, it's Diana Ball Day. Heel, right? Yes. I'd love to dyed blonde, too. dyed blonde hair, heel, Davis and Martino. Yes. <laughs> um. Okay. So also looking at this, is Volkov technically not on the WWF roster at this time, or is he being allowed to take indie dates at a time when no one else is? He's allowed to take indie dates because the Bolsheviks are, you know, eighteen still at this point mm-hmm. in time. You know, they're on TV. Yeah, they're not. That's what I'm trying to figure out. Hold on, let me. Volkov could get away with that. He he was he, he yeah. was he, he, was he, he shows up in the results later. Yeah, he's in a lot of indie shows in this era. So I guess I just let him do what he wants to do. It's also just weird to see heel Nikolai Volkov working indies. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, and working against Campitera no less as well. So all right. Speaking of San Martino, Phone Programs Incorporated will be starting a wrestling trivia line with Bruno San Martino and Captain Lou Albano. <laughs> These commercials aired on a lot of wrestling TV shows in this time period, and uh, I can only imagine Captain Lou uh, doing his wrestling trivia, Robert. I mean, <laughs> it just, I mean, what a train wreck that that was. Why, well, yeah, I do remember uh, the ads in the After magazines, and they would always have the uh, ridiculously easy sample questions that uh, made you think if you called in that you could ace it and win the cash prize or whatever it was. Yes. In fact, Bix, here it is. So let's watch. I just got it. So let's watch this commercial for the uh, Wrestling Trivia Hotline. Yes, let's see if it mentions also who the special host is that joins the two of them, who is not mentioned here, at least in the Observer. And in this corner, the living legend of wrestling, Bruno San Martino. So you think wrestling's easy? Well, put on your tights and boots and step into the ring. Cash in your wrestling knowledge to win big bucks and the ultimate wrestling entertainment package. Just pick up your touchtone phone and dial one nine hundred six game. Or are you scared? I challenge you to dial nine, beat me in a battle of wrestling trivia. You could win one hundred dollars today, or the mega grand prize of live screen TV, a VCR, and a videotape library of wrestling's greatest hits. But wait, that's not all. You'll also win a complete Nintendo package, including the ultimate game controller, the Power Glove. But you gotta get past the big guy. I dare you. Dial 1-900-8604-GAME. Wrestle Trivia. You and your telephone, the ultimate tag team. $2 the first minute, $1 each additional minute. Callers under 18, get your parents' permission before you dial. Contest end date, February 17th, 1990. And yet somehow uh, the toll-free backdoor for this number was still working well into 1995. <laughs> as I learned when the, it was given out. Oh, it was uh, Coach Kurt. Coach Kurt. There you what go. Do you, they what do you a, think that oh, go ahead. video library prize was? Uh, it was the, I'm guessing Wrestling the black Gold. And white. It was oh, a black, okay. no, it was the black and white wrestling. Oh, the uh, uh, World Vision ones, maybe? And, and, and obviously, I mean, they were showing Bob Lou's footage in the video. <laughs> yes. So, probably had some of that going on, too. Yeah, maybe. Well, yeah, he did release his home videos around this time, didn't he? Yeah. So that actually, probably, that's in the mix as well. 
But um, Bruno, but Bruno and Lou had had you know they've been working together in this deal. They eighty eight. They had a hotline. And I you know? think they really and I just I just got a uh, yeah I just sent you on a commercial for the eighty eight one. Oh okay. So. Yes, the eighty-eight one is uh, just a uh, just a wrestling hotline. Oh, is this the one nine hundred hot brew now? <laughs> uh, I just sent you the link, so watch, we'll watch it and see. A hot Bruno. No, it's not. Uh, this is one nine hundred nine oh nine for Lou. What's a hot Bruno, Robert? Uh, hot Bruno sounds like a, a sex act one might procure in uh, Schutzenplatz. <laughs> I think about. We now join a press conference with the living legend oh Bruno Sammartino. And I held that title for 12 years. Next question. Why'd you join the Wrestling Phone Federation? Well, I felt Hold that. it, Bruno. The only place to hear the answer to that question is the Captain Lou Albano Wrestling Hotline. All right. Call the Captain Lou Wrestling Hotline right now for my story. This story won't be heard anywhere else. The uncensored truth. I held back my side of the story long enough. Call now. The Bruno Chronicles. You need to know the truth. The Bruno Call now. Chronicles. $2 the first minute, 35 cents each additional minute. <laughs> so in other words this is just Bruno telling people to call a hotline to find out why he's gone from the World Wrestling Federation so he can just rant about what they did to my son David <laughs> yes the press conference uh, seemed about as plausible as uh, Frank Thomas and uh, Doug Flutie for Nugenics <laughs> it's also very obviously from the same shoot as the trivia commercial <laughs> there's other ones there's the one where they're in the ring um which aired during clash of the champions and wrestlemania for the something uh it aired on the clash of champions i know for sure so yeah they were definitely out there uh pushing this stuff and there's other lou albano commercials they were all over wrestling television at that time with their hotline ads. So uh, they're hustling. Got to give them that. <laughs> they're hustling. Was he, was he doing the uh, Super Mario show at this time? Uh, oh, yes. Uh, right. 89. Yeah. yeah. 89. Yeah. Well, I just tweeted a trade ad about that from the other day, too. Yeah. Which I remember I watched some of that when I was uh, 10 years old. Yeah. <laughs> yes. I was a big Nintendo fan. What can I say? I had the... Uh, it wasn't. I, did the WCW game not come out this year? Eighty nine. Eighty nine. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Well, it's an eighty nine yeah. roster. It might come out in ninety. It was out. It, I think it was out in eighty nine. I think so. It had the, the Road Warriors on the cover. Yeah, I think it came out before the end of eighty nine. Let me check <laughs> real quick. WCW NES game. WCW Wrestling. Wikipedia. Wikipedia says April ninety. Okay. Whatever. Ah, Same. Wow. Well, I remember uh, special ordering it because I couldn't find it in Toronto. And I remember literally running to meet my mom at the subway station because she had it delivered at her office and uh, Did you grabbing from it from her. Ring? <laughs> it's, it is very possible or either, either that or one of my video game magazines. But uh, it was special ordered. And I, yeah, I remember... Uh, my friend and I literally running back home and playing it. It's uh, very exciting. Whoa. <laughs> 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 
Oh, who, man. who would not want to be Mike Rotunda in a video game? <laughs> who would not uh, want to be a Michael P.S. Hayes that's very obviously a uh, pixel-swapped Antonio Inoki? <laughs> um, and to close the loop, who yes, I found the other Bruno uh, 900 ad. All right. What's the real scoop on professional wrestling? There's only one way to find out. Call me on the legend line, Y900-HOT-BRUNO. Let's talk real wrestling. What's happening and where it's happening, I'll tell you. From the inside, call me now and be the best informed wrestling fan in your neighborhood. The number again is 1-900-HOT-BRUNO. And kids under 17, make sure you get your parents' permission before you call. <laughs> Can you, you imagine your parents finding that on the phone bill? One nine hundred hot Bruno. Yeah, and reminds me of when there was the big controversy over. Uh, I guess when they made the movie The Santa Claus, whoever was writing it was not aware that there were phone sex lines that were toll free where you used a credit card. So there's a joke in the movie about one eight hundred spank me, which was a real porn number. And if I remember right, it was press one for hot, horny girls. And then press two for guys who do it with guys. Somehow it wow. reminded me of that. How about that? <laughs> All right. So uh, let's segue into uh, the Georgia indie scene. Jerry Blackwell's Southern Chance of Wrestling has had a promotional split. Larry Oldig, who was the producer and director for Blackwell's television show, started a new group called Georgia All-Star Wrestling. It basically took almost every wrestler away from Blackwell to getting the key TV slot on Channel 69 in Atlanta. Most of the wrestlers made the switch because their dream is to be discovered by the NWA. Dirty White Boy Jimmy Powell and Ted Allen, Nightmare Ted Allen are the bookers. And they're using Bob and Brad Armstrong as the top babyfaces and Randy Rose as the lead heel. Now, Gordon Clemens who owns the Alpharetta Auction Barn, where Blackwell was running regularly, stayed with Blackwell because he didn't want to make the switch against Blackwell after all the personal heartbreak Blackwell's gone through this year. He lost a son to cancer and nearly died himself. But they are running without television and ran a show on October 22nd with John Michaels and Steve the Brawler Lawler, who just recently passed away, rest in peace, as the only holdovers, and using Bobby Fulton as the booker. And uh, Matt Watch notes here that Bonnie Blackstone had the Halloween episode of Superstars of Wrestling, on Channel 69, real party atmosphere of all the Georgia All-Star guys dropping by in some kind of festive garb. Bonnie donned the bald wig before the show ended and wanted to be known as Telly Blackstone. <laughs> Would that make uh, Joe Pettacino the lollipop? <laughs> Who loves you, baby? <laughs> Bonnie Blackstone Players Club ads. <laughs> oh, oh my goodness but anyway yes um i vaguely remember this um georgia all-star basically started taping in my neck of the woods in fact uh, the, they had a tv taping around this time period in the uh, lovely griffin georgia at math field which was a uh like an, a, a complex, recreation hmm. complex. Sort of like, and a, that, uh, like a Rexplex type place? Well, yeah, but do you, do you remember watching the Georgia All-Star stuff on the High Spots Network, Bix? 
Yes, which is strangely, given that it's a completely separate company with no ownership continuity, the show numbers start as if it's a continuation of uh, Southern, doesn't it? In a way, yeah. Um, that That is the taping. <laughs> that's for that, that, that so that's around this time period um so tim dix of course uh who's i see tim dix all the time in the grocery store lives here uh went to work at Wildside, georgia indie ring announcer legend around here basically announced for every promotion he was their lead announcer and they were, were based out of the griffin public access tv station that's where they uh, did their taped interviews at, and that's where the offices of the uh, promotion were at for a short time before Pettisino got involved and they moved the operations back up into uh, the Alpharetta auction barn area. And that's when George All-Star took a... Basically, Blackwell shut down and Clemens went with George All-Star and the rest is history. So, uh yeah, George Andy said, man, I wish we had all this shit out there so people could just see the wackiness and craziness of George Andy wrestling in the late 80s and early 90s, man. It is a damn hoot. O'Connor, you would love it. <laughs> I'm sure. Love it. Uh, just, just some of the, I mean, you, Danny D's, I've, I've told this story before on the show, Danny D's, who. Mustafa the Gangsters mm-hmm. was was one of his charges, but he was like a a Bobo version of Ross the Voodoo Man, <laughs> and Danny Dees was was dressed up as like a cracker plantation owner, but oh not God. as a not as a plantation owner, more like a if he was in a jungle somewhere. <laughs> so yeah, so and he, he oh man, it, it was something else, and he would feed with Uncle Sammy. So Samuel Kent with the Sammy puppet, and uh, man, yeah, I mean, just yeah, uh, wild, wild television. Hillbilly Festus and New Jack as a tag team. <laughs> yes, um, there's a lot of crazy shit. Leona Helmsley, who <laughs> was a trip, and uh, not Leona Helmsley, Diana Helmsley, excuse me, doing a Leona, a Southern Leona Helmsley. <laughs> yes, but man, yeah. I wish we had more of this shit out there, but that's where Bagwell got his start. Disco Inferno got his start. Um, a lot of Chris Walk, Conan, Chris Walker. It's, it's around this time period. Um, a lot of a lot of guys got their starts. Billy around. Black around. Billy Black's always yeah. around. Yes, uh, let's see the brawl all or uh, Joel Deaton, John Michaels. Um, yeah, just all kinds of people. It's uh, it's quite the trip. I wish all that. I wish the whole Georgia Indie run, Deep South, starting Deep South 86 with, with Assassin, moving into Southern, moving into Georgia All-Star, North Georgia Wrestling, all the variable groups I wish was, was around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, well, we know who to nag, at least. Um, well, depending Rock on Parsons. how much... I was going to say Rock Parsons and also Michael, depending on how much stuff he has that isn't on the <laughs> High Spots Wrestling Network yet. Yeah. Um, by the way, going back to the Volkov thing, I almost forgot about this. I pulled up his wrestling data page. So January and February, he's mainly doing singles prelim jobs, plus finishing off the, you know, introductory putting over the Bushwhackers run. And then he doesn't wrestle pretty much after mid-March until September, it looks like. 
I'm sure the Bushwhackers enjoy Nikolai finishing them off. That's <laughs> <laughs> well, what we've heard. Well, maybe one of the Bushwhackers. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, and then he uh, he comes back in September. He works for the Trans World Wrestling Federation. That's on, the Samoans. Yeah, in uh, Hazleton, Pennsylvania. And then works in, and then starts working on the road for the WWF again, but again doesn't seem to be necessarily on a like a full full schedule. Um, he works for an alleged AWA in Wayne, New Jersey. That's that's uh, Raskin against Patera. That's that's this show. Oh wait a second, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I just see the date. What am I thinking? That's Raskin. Yeah. Why is it listed? The reason why they call it <laughs> well, the reason why they call it is because Zabisco is defending the title. Okay. Again, these results sites picks, they don't get the, they don't give you the full story. That's a weird one though. They don't give you the full story. I but anyway, all right. all right, let's move on. Yeah. All right, so let's go to Florida. Wayne Coulter's pro- professional wrestler from Florida promotion is trying to put together a public stock offering to raise capital. Uh oh. PFS officials are working with Tampa underwriter American Wall Street Securities, Inc. to get Securities and Exchange Commission approval. Coulter is hoping to raise between $500,000 and $2 million in capital to keep the promotion going and make it more competitive with the larger organizations. The only promotion which sold stock to the public that Dave knew of was Global in Florida, which went out of business within one year. And turned out to be a mafia scam. Yeah, but Steve Beverly has maybe a reason why this is going on. According to Matt Watch, Coulter said to be on his way out of the promotion. According to their informed sources, calls to the PWF office were not returned over the weekend, but insiders say that Coulter is either resigning or being forced out of the group. Indications are that Mike Graham and Steve Kern are back in managerial control. Basically, he got aced out. And this was, he was trying to save himself <laughs> and trying to basically. He was trying to buy the promotion altogether from the other partners, and they aced him out before he could do it. Hmm. That's what it was. That's what this is. But then he appears on television um, still in his role like a week or two after all this goes down. I don't know if it was taped beforehand or how it was, but yeah, he was still on TV after after being aced out. But anytime you see something like this where indie promoter is trying to uh, do a public stock offering, <laughs> run for the hills. Yes. Well, I, I just know uh, the only PWF I would invest my money in is the uh, George South Italian Stallion <laughs> PB, PWF. Yes. Yes. The only one that really matters, isn't it? <laughs> but, I'm, but a lot of that money would just go to spaghetti. <laughs> well, he's got to practice. <laughs> so go in the the next fifty fifty draw, if Stallion <laughs> had his way. Yeah, Kendall Wyndham beat Ron Slinker on October twenty ninth in Orlando to win the Caribbean title. <laughs> Iceman King Parsons and Brickhouse Brown has some dates in Florida this week against Florida Tag Team Champions Dennis Knight, feature Tex Lassinger meeting in, and Jumbo Beretta. So the Blackbirds will be in as baby faces. Okay. Why they have a Caribbean title, I don't know. Because I guess I mean I guess they were I guess the Bahamas they they wanted to do some all encompassing thing, but 
There you go. Yeah, they, yeah, they, they, they have Tyree Pride, so. Yeah. Speaking of uh, bad investment decisions, Kendall Wyndham. <laughs> Kendall Wyndham could have gave Wayne Coulter all kinds of money. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Give him a week, he'll have that two million. No, no, Chris, you missed you missed the obvious joke. Kendall Wyndham could have made Wayne Coulter a lot of money. Yeah, <laughs> he could have. Uh, so, uh, there was the old uh, Gene Okerlund joke. I don't know who he stole it from, but uh, it's like my I had an uncle that made big money for years, about a quarter of an inch too big, doing eight to ten. <laughs> Mark starred an interview on the Florida TV show, challenging Steve Kern for the Florida title as a heel. So he's coming back home. Chris Champion's staying in Memphis. Because he's got to uh, fight for the love of the dirty white girl in Memphis. <laughs> All right, November 2nd, Orlando drew 134 fans. as Ron Slinker beat Mike Awesome in a dud? Oh, my goodness. Steve Kern beat Jimmy Backlund, future Jimmy Del Rey, half a star. Kendall Windham over Tyree Pride, star and a half. Lou Perez... Al Perez's cousin over Jumbo Barreto, one star. And Steve Kern over the Terminator, Mark Laurinaitis, who's leading for the NWA, two stars. <laughs> yeah, that talent took a huge dip since Dusty left. <laughs> Do we know if uh, Mark Starr is a Satan as like his brother? I have never heard if he if he shared the proclivities of his brother. <laughs> Let's hope not. All I know, he was just a man at work, so... Uh, who knows what he did at, other than that. Continental. They take TV at the Montgomery Civic Center in Montgomery, Alabama on October 29th. Uh, we have Brian Lee, Cactus Jack Manson, and Jimmy Golden over the Black Panther, Chief Little Lynn, and Daryl Hall. No, John Oates wasn't around for the match. Uh, Jerry Stubbs over Lou Fabiano. Dennis Condry over Johnny Gilbert. Dixie Dynamite and the Southern Boys over the Eliminators, not Saturn and Cronus and the Mercenary. And Adrian Street beat the Beast, Mark Gulleen. On the second TV, we had the Southern Boys over the Black Panther and Mad Max, not Mel Gibson. Brookhouse Brown over the Gladiator, uh, not Mike Awesome. Brian Lee, Jimmy Golden, and Robert Fuller over Chief Little Lynn. This is Lynn. Dean Ho, <laughs> not the Dean Ho from no, the no. 70s. He's dead. No. And no. Daryl Hall again. Dennis Condry over Brad and Dennis Condry over Brad Armstrong. Wait, do you, well, I, I, you've seen this stuff, so you know someone else. But I, but Dean Higuchi's not dead at this point. Yeah, he is. When did Dean Higuchi die? In eighties. Oh I think he was oh, no, 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 he retired in, in the eighties, mm-hmm. but I remember people thinking he was dead. So that's where the, that came in. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he retired. He retired in the eighties, eighty three. Yep. He retired in eighty three. Trained by Dick Byer. He uh, died in lovely Kelowna, British Columbia. Well, there you go. That's he where, uh, where all Canadians go to die. He ran a deli and was a social worker in Vancouver. Huh. That's nice. So there's that. But yeah, I remember people thinking he was dead. And that's where I always got that from. I always thought he was dead. Because I always, uh, people always could, uh, like, we could mention him with Peter Maivia as both dying, you know, around the same <laughs> time period. But um, I don't know. 
But ain't him here, I'll tell you that. <laughs> so anyway. Well, Dean Ho had worked the original Dean Ho had worked in Knoxville in seventy nine. Mm-hmm. So I could see Robert Fuller because Robert's booking. Naming some uh, Polynesian-looking guy, Dino. <laughs> yes. I want to know why he named someone Chief Little End. It's it's really it's really Little End, Little Lynn. Little Lynn. I don't know. Yeah, because I never changed this for the results. For my results, uh, the first result has Little Lynn, and the second one has Little End. This was a Little Lynn. Okay, because the Chief Little End is like. Who are they talking to? Like, what female fans that are making fun of him for not having an ass or something? But I guess not. <laughs> well, uh, all right. Brookhouse Brown's headed here. No word on his next destination. No word on the next destination right to King Parsons, but he won't be returning to Tennessee. As Dade knows, the money is horrendous there now. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is Memphis. All right, so let, we got some clips from Continental. All right, Dennis Condry has got a thing on television where he is DDTing people, and if they get up from the DDT, he gives them like a thousand bucks or some shit like that. So uh, Jerry Stubbs, with his toupee, is a willing <laughs> participant in this angle. So let's go to one uh, Dennis Condry and Jerry Stubbs. Uh, a lot of people have tried, but no one has even come close to success. It's all flat. Challenge, and right here is the proof. I just gotta say, it's embarrassing how much the production slid under David Woods. A guy who had his own television production company. <laughs> yes, although I've seen people argue that, or say that his that WCOV actually didn't have any original programming. So he didn't have, like, Production equipment, necessarily. They didn't have a news? I think the person said they didn't even have local news, no. Wow. That it was a weak enough station that they didn't have a local newscast. Hmm. So that could explain some of it, but still, like, Continental was always a very nice-looking TV show. And Southeastern before that was one of the best studio shows and probably the overall best-produced studio show. And he takes over, and oh, those early shows! Oh, oh my the God. early shows are even worse with the with the lighting and stuff. But I don't think it's an exaggeration to say that Woods Continental looks worse than like ICW, you know, Savoldi ICW. Yeah, which is not a particularly well produced TV show. Well, no, they have some nicer graphics on Continental, but that's about it. But I, but at least Connell has Charlie Platt uh, instead of what's the guy that announced ICW? Which one? Oh, and this there, era, uh, Brian Bristol. Are you thinking of? Yeah, Brian Bristol. Yes, with the British accent. Yes. Yes. And there was also in this era, um, who was the guy with the mustache that was gone by this time? But that's all over like the eighty six, eighty seven, eighty eight stuff. I don't remember. Yeah, and then, name. And, oh, um, and then the other, and why am I forgetting his name? Bob Dow. Around this. Bob Dow, yes. Bob Dow was the older gentleman. Yes. If only they had Milda Bruskin. <laughs> yes. All right, back to the clip. Andre, you know, Charlie, I got $1,000 right here in my hand, just burning a hole in my pocket. I am trying my hardest to give this $1,000 away. Is there a man in the house? 
Is there a man in the house that wants to make a thousand dollars? That's what I want to know. Because I know all the people from Alabama are gutless. They're gutless dogs. That's exactly what they are. Certainly, this man don't want to. No, this is a good friend of mine right here. Come on in here, Robert. Come on in here, Robert. This is a good friend of mine right here. You know what? You're the finest that DDT I ever saw anybody in my life. I got to say that, Dennis. But you know something? I got a little idea for you right here. You got your $1,000. Charlie, I happen to have my wallet in my back pocket. Referee, you look through that wallet and see what's inside of it. <laughs> I think you're going to throw him. It's totally jammed with dollar bills, baby. What a mullet on that referee. <laughs> now, what I'd like to do, if you don't mind, I'd like to answer your challenge. He got $1,000. I got $1,000 that says Mr. Jerry Stubbs, Mr. Perfect, as they call him, can't take no DDT. What do you think, Dennis? I know he can't take it. And he ain't got enough guts. Team come out here and try it. Ted referee's mullet would make the ref the mullet from Blackjack Brawl look jealous. The referee would like the ponytail mullet. You're exactly right. Take my DDT, get up within a minute and touch all four corners, brother. I think you might have a taker here. Wait, get up within a minute and touch all four corners. Yeah. Look at that hair. I'm no idiot. I know what your DDT can do. But I'll get up a thousand. Now he's finally a babyface without Matt the mask. Dillon, you just let Chester alone over there, cause he's through, as far as I can tell. Cause I'm talking to you. I'll get up a thousand dollars if you can take my figure four and get up in a minute and touch each one of these posts. That is an interesting challenge. All right. I can do it, baby. I guarantee you, I can do it. Now then, put your money where your mouth is. My money's there. You just let me say what you're going. Well, this well, a minute. Wrong man, you tip. Figure four going back on Robert Four. It's going on Fuller. Figure four went back on Robert Fuller. Now the DDT being applied by the lethal weapon, Dennis Congress. Now both men go to work. This referee's terrible. On Robert Phillips, here comes the southern ball. The classic rim is empty out. This wing is filling up. Steve Armstrong, Brad Armstrong, you name it, they're in here. Keeping peace. And this host, my God, what is going on? We have about 20 or more in the ring. If the ring can take it, I don't know. We're going to have to... Get some order restored on this one, I guarantee it. All right. All right. They're sliding all over the building. We'll be back. Can you tell they're getting ready to do a battle royal? If this is the action we're seeing right now, imagine what it'll be like at the Royal Rumble. <laughs> um, did you notice the absolute best part of the clip towards the end? Steve Armstrong punching air in the corner? Yes, because someone was supposed to be there and wasn't. <laughs> yes! That is my favorite part of the clip. <laughs> I, we need to clip that before the show comes out and maybe gif it. That's one of the most amazing things I've ever seen. <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs>
I, I, I also like how this looks like an AWA Mayo Civic Center taping only if it was dying of radiation poisoning. <laughs> Robert, I think when you uh, notice Dixie Dynamite come in there with his uh, Rebel Flag cape and Rebel Flag mask, I think we need a gimmick like that in the Indies again. What do you think? Nah. <laughs> nah. Not sure how that would fly, but uh, <laughs> I am I am thankful that uh, Stubbs did not attempt the Robert Fuller challenge, which <laughs> yeah. is, uh, where where you stand in the middle of the ring and touch all four corners with your dick. <laughs> how Never far away from done. the corner do you have to be when you do it, though? The rest. <laughs> <of it. laughs> um, are we playing the promo? Yes, we're going. Well, I mean, with the Jerry Stubbs promo. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. I love how he decided to get his wig finally, and his choice was to get the Doug Gilbert. At <laughs> <laughs> just a moment, I'd like to get some comments from Jerry Stubbs, and uh, certainly they, they tried to suck you in on that one. <laughs> yes, Charlie, you know they did, but you know, I wasn't thinking. Sometimes you don't think, you just react, you try to do something. I should have known that I didn't forget about Dennis Condry in that ring. I should have known not to do that and put myself down like that. Well, it won't happen again because Robert Fuller, it makes no difference to me where it's at. It could be out back tonight. It don't matter to me, but I'm going to kick your butt and I'm going to finish what I started. You can bet on that because I'm not through with you. Just remember, anywhere, anytime, don't turn your back on me. That's all I tell you. Uh, the words of Jerry Stubbs and uh, certainly paid attention to by Robert Fuller and these Southern boys right. and Dixie Dynamite. Why does he go with the wig instead of being Olympia here? Just because he decided to get the wig in real life? Yeah. <laughs> and that's it. Yeah. So he's like, well, okay, I guess I can be a babyface without the mask now. Well, he was a heel with the wig first. Oh, okay. He turned babyface, so he 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 got the wig, so they quit calling him Peanut Head. Mm. <laughs> so uh, yeah, he got the wig, and then he turned baby. So there you go. All right, so let's go to the stud stable, shall we? And uh, Wade notes, and I mean, not Wade, but uh, Steve Beverly notes in the uh, in Matt Watch the saving grace of the CWO TV show has been some of the byplay between Charlie Platt and the erstwhile abrasive downtown Bruno. Charlie is getting in some of his best zingers yet on Bruno. Well, let's I go to this one. I'm shocked that the saving grace of Continental TV right now is one of the people that we know Steve talks to that's on Continental TV. <laughs> Shocking, isn't it? So let's go to uh, Charlie Platt with the stud stable and Bruno, and uh, let's see if there's any zingers here. So our stud stable at this point is Bruno, Ron, Jimmy, Cactus, Brian Lee. That it? Robert, not Ron. I thought I said Robert. I, yeah, I, I, I had wigs on the brain. Yeah, Brickhouse, <laughs> Brickhouse is coming in to be a member of Stud Stable, but he's not there yet. That hasn't happened yet? No. So do they get to the point of doing... Because they only have a month left. Do they get to the point of doing the angle they did in Memphis or no? Yes. Oh, so they really rush it. Okay. Well, another victory for Cactus Jack Mazinema Stud Stable. You know, in the tradition of the stud stable, you see me backstabbed, 
Y'all saw me back jumped out here. An illegal hole poked on me and a private to try to break my legs. I can walk around here all night long, Montgomery. I'm not even limping. <laughs> and as far as Texas Jack Manson or Jimmy Golden or anybody in my stable, Brian Lee, my cousin himself, or downtown Bruno Deddy, you're going to see the same tradition going on and on. You're going to see the champions when you see the stable come out because that's exactly what we are. You're going to see the most devastating man in professional wrestling today. Jack is Jack Manson, and Jack is never going to let you down for some punishing moves because that's what Jack does best. He punishes people, and he does a fine job of it. Now, you know, Charlie, you got your mid-coat tournaments about to come down. As far as I'm concerned, that's a darn waste because if you can't put that mink coat around Sylvia's shoulders, you wasted it putting it on one of these ugly Alabama people around here. And I'll tell you something else, too. The thing that does excite us, that you've got yourself a Thunderdome Battle Royal coming up. $5,000 we're figuring in that. That's stable money. You know, you can figure right now, there's going to be a great big party going on in the state of Alabama, and it's going to be thrown by the stable, and you are not invited, Alabama. Well, there you have the comments from the Tennessee stud himself, Robert Fuller. The Thunderdome is on the way. Thunderdome. You know, everybody's talking Thunderbone. Come as you are. Come as you are. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to come as I am. You know, you think the figure four is bad. You ain't seen this upside your head. <laughs> Just and you wait. you ain't seen this wrapped around your throat. But you will come Thunderdome because I'm going to leave with the money. Listen, in case you don't remember me, I'm a great character. And I'm going to be at that Thunderdome. And remember one thing. The strong shall survive. And the weak will perish. And the kaiser will survive. Yeah, that's the Great Kaiser, Vic. That's supposed to be a German accent. <laughs> the Great Kaiser. <laughs> you remember the story Bo told, right, Vic, about Great Kaiser? Uh, not off the top of my head, no. Just that it was a Great Kaiser would work would work shots um, every so often in the Continental, and it was uh, oh god. I'm trying to remember exactly if it was, it was, I don't know if it's charity thing. It's money involved. There was money, something money involved or doing something. Bo will definitely uh, elaborate after this drops about the Great Kaiser. Because I can't remember exactly, but the Great Kaiser and his manager, who I can't remember his name off the top of my head, would show up every so often. And it's kind of like a, a different version of, um, Oh God! What's the guy that the the bodybuilder guy, Tom Owen, and Continental, the Continental, the guy that had the home. Oh, I don't know. Tom Owens, I think's his name. I can't remember his name, but um, yeah, it's, they they would have these types of people that would show up, and that's Greg Kaiser. So, <laughs> yeah. Candace Jack in the stud stable is always a, a hoot to me. I mean, he was in. All the stud stable alliterations in this era. So uh, Memphis and and here. Wasn't involved well, in the no, world class. Yeah, he wasn't in the Dallas stud stable because he was part of Devastation Inc. In Dallas. Well, the Dallas, the Dallas stud stable really it was really just Robert and Brian. Well, and Jimmy sometimes. Early. Robert and Jimmy was was there first, and then Robert and Brian came later. Okay. But, uh, but yeah, so there's your stud stable. Actually, wait, were right. the Dirty White Boys in the stud stable at one point? Dirty White Boys? No. In Dallas. Um, they were Ronnie P. Gossett guys. 
Okay. Yeah. I couldn't remember. Oh, yeah, Alice the Pug Porto and Ronnie P. Gossett. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes. That was a... Uh, they, they, they were definitely uh, linked there, of course, naturally. Mm-hmm. All right. Ronnie, um, Ronnie had a lot of guys. <laughs> All right. So um, we get a personality profile with Adrian Street now. As Adrian Street's been going through some things, feuding with the beauty and the beast. And Miss Linda's been uh, physically involved in this. So uh, authority figure Johnny Rich, and he's the authority figure here at this time, Interviews Adrian Street in the locker room, and we get a candid interview with Adrian Street, not in gimmick. So let's go to Johnny Rich and Adrian Street. If this is what I think it is, this is probably one of the best promos on all wrestling TV in 1989. Well, a man who has survived a lot of adversities in the recent months here in the Continental Wrestling Federation is the exotic Adrian Street. And in a special profile right now and some great action cuts. Let's go to Johnny Rich, who had this conversation with the exotic Adrian Street. He survived a lot of adversities, including lose your leave, and he will be in the Continental Wrestling Federation. Well, Adrian, nobody knows better than you that how easy it is to get injured in this business here. But uh, the incident that happened with Miss Linda in Dothan in the mixed cage match uh, is just uncalled for. It's absolutely uncalled for. In actual, I mean, that was absolutely unnecessary. I mean, it's me he had a beef with. And it's it's just, it's just the act of an absolute idiot and a coward to go and pick on uh, to pick on uh, a lady like Miss Linda instead of taking it out on me. I'm the one he had to grouse with, and I thought that was that's one of the worst things, not the worst thing that's ever happened to me. Well, it's ever happened to me in this in this uh, wrestling business. I agree with that. We've got a little bit of footage of it. If we could go to that now. What is what is that? That's the original partner. That is the original partner of Terry Garvin. That is the beast. They have been tag team partners all over this country. That is the original beast in the ring. And he has a pair of wire bolt cutters over the back of the head, the street. What? He, he's going at Street again to the top of the head. And now this beast. This beast. They body slam this Linda. What? Oh, down into the arms. Oh my god. Into the arm of Linda. Well, if that wasn't enough, uh, you come back and they ask for a loser split team match between you and your partner, Todd Morton. Now, I know Terry Garvin and the Beast are a team to reckon with. They've, they've been all over the country. And uh, you had your hands full there, but you and Todd didn't back down. You went in there. I was delighted. I mean, Todd, Todd and I, he came, the, the whole thing came when he, he, he sort of came to, um, he came to our rescue more or less when we were in that, uh, in that cage. He got involved and... If nothing else, the only thing that this, uh, this, this whole situation has done is brought Todd and myself closer together. I love him like a brother. He's, he was right behind me. He helped me. I've helped him. It, it, he was great. And the fact that we were only a tag team for such a short time, and his Beauty and the Beast, I mean, whatever you think about him, animals, maniacs, whatever you think about him, they've been together for a long time, and, and they're 
win-loss. Uh, they've got a fantastic record. Well, I certainly agree so, with you that uh, y'all would certainly make a good team. And uh, we've got a little footage of that match there, if we could go to it now. Call for the help of Mark Gulen, the beast. Now. And. That one will certainly slow down the exotic one, Adrian Street. Todd Morton thrown out on the floor. And this leaves Street in a very vulnerable Situate, whoa, double elbow by Mark Uleen and Terry Garvin. Boot to the midsection and again by the beast. Now he's picking that bone. Oh, street ducks. Now he pins Garvin. It's over. It is over. And your winners of the match are Todd Morton and the exotic Adrian Street. Morton Street, your winners of the match. The losing team, the losing team must split as a team, so. Well, Adrian, that didn't seem to be enough. Terry Garvin come back and challenge you to a loser leave town match. Now, I know that you got a lot of guts and you ain't never backed down from nothing. And you didn't didn't waste any time in going out there and, and accepting his challenge. He came out. He was absolutely hysterical. He couldn't believe that we'd split his uh, his tag team. And the stipulations that he ran was that not only if I lost, not only would I leave town, but he and the beast could actually get back together again. And and that he gambled all the marbles. He gambled all the marbles on that one thing, and it was fantastic. I couldn't believe. My, I mean. Okay. <laughs> I'm assuming there was music or something that someone had to cut out on YouTube. I don't remember what there would have been, so... But anyway. Yeah, I was thinking of uh, the promo that he cuts right after the Linda angle. That's yeah, what that, I was thinking yeah, of, where he's crying yeah, and doesn't have the paint on and stuff. Yeah, this this was earlier. But, pretty um, hardcore angle. Yeah. Well, well, I mean, you notice, <laughs> notice, notice that Charlie Platt kept calling him Mark Gulen because they had another beast. It was a female wrestler as mm-hmm. the beast feuding with Miss Linda. That's the other so, woman in the cage during that act. Yes. Mm-hmm. So that's why they didn't uh, call Mark Gulen the beast, really. Mm. I forget. So. Who was uh, Lady Beast? Diane Von Hoffman? I think so, yeah. Moondog Fifi. Yes. Now, uh, Terrence Garvin is the latest CWF guy to jump to run West North American group, according to Steve Beverly. He lost to Lose to Tom Massey, Adrian Street. The Beast, though, uh, is now the newest member to Stud Stable, and Robert Fuller has some plans for him. So let's go to Robert Fuller and Mark Goulain. He is a madman today on the Continental Wrestling Federation. He is certainly a madman. I'm going to kill anybody that gets in the ring with me. Everybody is going to get the same treatment. You, him, anybody that gets in the ring. I am mad. (laughs) (laughs) Boy, okay. We get a kick out of Mark Lean's talking, but... Boy, did he not have the right voice to talk as Beast. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no. 
on, t- no, on top of all that, <laughs> I am mad. And also, <laughs> the back of his trunks have the word scary. No, it's beast. No, it's beast. Okay, sorry. The picture quality's not great. It took me a second. All right. See, when you zoom out, it looks like scary. <laughs> and then when you zoom in, you realize it's a beast. Anyway. Well, obviously, this is caused because of what has happened uh, with his uh, partner, the beauty Terry Garving, losing that loser lead. And... Yeah! I can see this man's pretty angry. I didn't come out here to cause you any problems. I'll tell you what, if there's something I could do to take that grimace off your face and put a smile there, I'd sure try to do it. I got an idea here, Charlie. You know, the man had a beauty with him. He was beauty and the beast. He's torn up because he don't have a beauty anymore. I think I can solve your problem. Just stand there just a second and listen to me. I believe I can solve your problem because I think what you need is a beauty, and I just happen to have one. Can I get my beauty in here? Get a camera on this stuff. Get a camera on this stuff coming in here, baby. Well, it's uh, Miss Sylvia. And, uh... <laughs> I, uh... <laughs> How about it, Charlie Plath? <laughs> Let me tell you what you do, beast. <laughs> From now on, son, you go out to the ring and have your matches. I want you smiling. I want to see you a happy man. I want to be your friend. I like it. I like it. <laughs> so what I'm going to do, I'm going to see that this little lady escorts you to the ring in every town, every place that you go. We reunited right here, Charlie. Tonight, wouldn't you say, fans, Beauty and the Beast? What do you think, Charlie? Well, uh, could very well be... Uh, and uh, Robert Fuller gets <laughs> up and uh, the beast leaves with uh, his newfound beauty straight through the curtain. Oh, brother. Robert Fuller is uh, seemingly uh, pleased this man uh, tonight. And we'll be back with more great action on the Continental Wrestling Federation. You stay with us. I wow. said it before, I'll say it again. <laughs> if I had a swing set like that, I'd never leave my own backyard. <laughs> Sylvia definitely was uh, back heavy. <laughs> to her top. It's an upgrade over Terrence Garvin. Uh, I would say that. <laughs> or hang, hanging out with T. Joe Kahn by the lake. <laughs> I wonder if he got the Brickhouse Brown treatment, though. <laughs> Oh, man. All right, so anyway, uh, CWF lost their Morristown, Tennessee affiliate as they switched only carrying the NWA and WF, according to the torch. Tim, They must have pissed off Tim Horner, Robin, that uh, Morristown, Tennessee <laughs> yeah. dropped them. <laughs> well, he's in WF, so there you go. <laughs> Tim Horner brokered that deal, I, I'm sure. Yes. So anyway, there's your CWF stuff. All right, let's go to, oh, yes, Heritage Championship Wrestling, which is Grizzly Smith's uh, startup promotion. And, of course, you know, you think of Heritage, you think of family, and you think of family, you think of Grizzly Smith. So October 28th in Greenwood, Mississippi, they ran a show where we had the Rock and Roll Express with the double disqualification with the Fantastics. How about that? Terry Gordy went to double count out with Dustin Rhodes. How about that? 
Mr. Olympia, Jerry Stubbs. He's working with the mask here. Robert Be- Beanie, Buddy Landau. Jimmy Valiant, a raging bull, Manny Fernandez by disqualification. Plus, uh, you had lo- some uh, guys like Steve Pritchard, who was a local guy around here, Jumpin' Joey Mags, and Dirty White Boy Jimmy Powell working underneath. So he Grizzly had a crew here. <laughs> well, he did. I mean, Grizzly did have some uh, unique promotional ideas. Uh, uh, for example, uh, children 14 and under were admitted free uh, as long as they remain seated on Grizzly's lap. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> all, all kidding aside, this, this oh. actually looks like a good show. Yeah, I mean, in that in that territory, to get a Rock and Roll Express Fantastics match mm-hmm. in 1989, I mean, they're, they're still f- fresh from you know the memories of the fans, and they're still young-ish. So yeah, that's a definite you know dream match for that. For that part of the country. And yeah, Gordy and Dustin, Olympian, Buddy, I mean, Raging Bull, Boogie Woogie Man. I mean, yeah, Bix. I mean, this is a loaded show from Grizz. Yeah, and I'm also curious. So, where would Joey Mags have been based at that time? Um, Probably Atlanta. Okay. In so fact, I know like, he's from. He's not driving from Baltimore, I would think. No, he's based out of Atlanta at this time. He's working uh, George Andes. Gotcha. Which which is why, I mean, Steve Steve Pritchard and Dirty White Boy Jimmy Powell are here. Mm. But yeah, very nice lineup here. Yeah, Yeah, you got uh, rock and roll versus Fantastics on top. It's almost like someone wanted a lot of teenage girls at the show. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, Dustin, too, at this time, because Dustin at this time is... 19, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. And, yeah, quite the uh, quite the show here. All right. Well, speaking of territories with young girls, let's go to Memphis. <laughs> oh, you say that like they have a specific lewd nickname for young girls in that territory. <laughs> yeah. They're now doing the bit with the Loser Street where Kevin Dillinger, the former Mr. Alan Martin, which is a Dutch Mantel original idea, as he came up with the gimmick several years back when Jack Hart, now Barry Horowitz, did it with uh, Chip Russell, Florida. Dave says Titan, but it's really Chip Russell, Florida. On October 28th, Dillinger went against debut and rookie Sean Regal and lost again. So, yes, the losing streak gimmick uh, returns, and that's always a, go- a good thing, huh? Always a good sign. But it, it, it was a comedy. It was a comedy gimmick. It was yeah. It's Kevin Alan Dillinger. It's not yeah, yeah. There's not that much more you can do with him. No. They're building a some sort of angle between a dirty white boy and dirty white girl over a letter to dirty white boy from a girl in Georgia on TV. White boy was to defend the CWA title against Nightmare Freddy, and white boy destroyed Freddy easily and pinned him in the middle when another guy in the Freddy mask, the original one, Tommy Gilbert, ran in and the two Freddies got into it. <laughs> I take it this was only on uh, WMC. It wasn't It wasn't much of anything. Uh, for audio, at least, even though I yeah, it's desperately want to see the two Freddies face off. It was a visual, yeah. Oh. And the other Freddy was a total jobber, so... Okay. Now, does this dirty white boy, dirty white girl angle go anywhere? Um, no. Because it reads like to me, right? Well, we're going through a booking change. 
Um, Dutch is now the booker. Taking over for Lawler? Yes. So, which that took place the week for our week. So, yeah, there's booking changes and stuff. And this is, I mean, what, what it's leading to is going to lead to the Chris Champion angle. So. Oh, with the uh, lesser reprise of I'd Like to Talk to Tom. Yes. Okay, because just reading this on paper here, I'm thinking, like, are they doing an angle where, like, Jimmy Powell's coming in and trick Dirty White Girl to think yeah. that Tony was cheating on her? Do you get what I'm saying? Like, Georgia, Dirty no, White Boy, he doesn't blah, blah, blah. Okay. Well, he don't wear men. No. Um, well, I know that didn't happen, but anyway. Well, we talk about Mars Star in Florida. Well, Ronnie P. Gossett still manager Chris Champion. And, uh, of course, Mars Star is uh, gone. He was fired. So let's go to Ronnie P. Gossett and Chris Champion, shall we? Two all-time greats. At what? At wrestling. For years, Ronnie Gossett has managed the best in professional wrestling. Only the Hey, it's Chuck Mangione. <laughs> that's a Tannic version. I thought that's the original. The Satanic is version, that, that is. I thought Chuck Mangione. Well, Never mind. Is there Don, is associated that with Ronnie Gossett. Only the chosen few ran the roads with Ronnie Gossett. And then it dawned on me, what have I done? I have surrounded myself with nothing but trash. I had Dutch Mantel when nobody would touch him with a 10-foot pole. I picked that moron up out of the gutter. I made him a star. And what did he do? He turned his back on me. I had to wind up firing him. And then the master of pain. I got that idiot out of prison. And what gratitude does he have for Ronnie Gossett? He stabs me in the back. So I I send him packing. And then just the other day, I had to fire Mark Starr. Whoa, whoa, Ronnie. If you and Mark Starr got a problem, that's between you and him. I don't appreciate you coming out talking about my brother. That's my brother. If there's a problem, I wish you'd just let it lie. Well, I don't mean to put him in the class with Master of Pain and Dutch Mantel, but what I am talking about, I'm going to surround myself with the best once again. The old Ronnie Gossett returns to the wrestling profession. I'm scouring the countryside for the toughest, just like Vince Lombardi. I'm going to be the toughest manager in the wrestling business. Those guys will follow orders or they'll get their butts out. When Ronnie Gossett it talks, they'll listen. Here's your Freddy's <laughs> I thought uh, Champion looked kind of like the bassist from Poison there. <laughs> you know, like Richie Sam- He's going for the Richie Sambora problem. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's basically what it is. It's, it's panic, Richie yeah. Sambora. It's wanted dead or alive video version of Rich- Richie Sambora. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Absolutely. Well, I have a uh, a Chris Champion anecdote. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> this is it. Does not involve Ninja Turtles. Uh, actually, uh, from his time as Yoshi Kwan in WCW, and uh, if you recall the big hat uh, that he wore to the ring, uh, a la Raiden from Mortal Kombat, which I said last week, made that comparison. Yes, uh, yes, yes. I, I believe uh, they're called coolie hats. Uh, my wife uh, often wears one, which uh, invariably ends in drunk white girls offering to buy it. <laughs> but uh, I digress. But uh, so apparently, uh, a certain member of the 1993 WCW locker room. Uh, let, let's just say a British gentleman with ties to Calgary. Oh, no. Uh, the, <laughs> this wrestler uh, allegedly 
regularly urinated in Juan's hat as a rib. <laughs> shocked! <I'm>, <laughs> my <laughs> jaw is on and the And I'm floor, shocked right. that you of all people would have this information. I have no idea who you would have gotten it from, or if I could text this person to get more details. I, I don't uh, divulge my sources, Biggs. Well, my whole thing from that promo is uh, I want to hear more about uh, these guys that are running up and down the rugged roads of Ronnie P. Gossett. <laughs> He's apparently looking for men in prison, so... Uh... <laughs> well, he said asses out. <laughs> or butts out, excuse me. Well, Eddie oh Marlin suspended the Blackbirds for one week for hitting Morton with the baseball bat on TV the previous week. So there's that. Um, but, but now we get the best skit they've done in many moons, according to Dave. So they show the tape of Jerry Lawler losing the unified title to the Soul Taker. Touchman comes out to apologize for costing Lawler the match. Lawler wants to set the apology. Bill Dundee comes out trying to smooth things over, and, well, let's take it from there. We'll start from the top, and here we go. Here comes the king right now, still the king, even if he does not have the world unified title at the moment, <laughs> looking to take it back in the upcoming match against the Soul Taker. Jerry, first time we've seen you in a long time without that big belt over the shoulder. Yeah, it's not a real good feeling either, Dave. Um, Just as you said, I started to walk through that curtain there, and I I hesitated just a second. I thought, I don't have my belt with me. (laughs) Lawler is skinnier here, and he's been a long time, isn't he? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And the hair on his body is accentuated (laughs) by the skinniness. What, do you think he's going vegan or something? He definitely was doing something. But, yeah, he, he's uh, he's definitely like a wolf man here in a way. But in, 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 I guess he's trying to compete with Dutch in more ways than one. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so he's wearing his King Lawler tank top tucked into his jeans. <laughs> yes, with a white belt. Yes. So um, let's uh, go back to that look on Dave's face. So let's go to uh, back to Dave and the King. It's just something that's... Uh... Uh, you know, after you go for struggle along for 15 years and, and try to attain a goal, and then you finally do, uh, it's something that you hate to give up, you know. And, uh, I, you know, I really, I've, I've tried all week long not to really get down about this because I, I feel like, you know, I don't really feel like I was beaten by the soul taker. There were some uh, circumstances involved, and, and I feel like, uh, you know, I've got, an, I've got a return match. Holy shit, look at how much more he looks like Brian when he's skinnier like this. Yeah. You can see the resemblance. The, the resemblance is always there, but you can see it more here. Yeah. What is going on with him? <laughs> well, he just was replaces the booker. That's one thing. Is he trying to sell that he's depressed by not grooming his hair and not eating? Well, he's starting off his heel turn as well, so as we'll, as we'll get into. So here we go with the guy. And if I don't let myself get down mentally and that sort of thing, I think I'll be able to go in there and take the take the belt back. Uh, but speaking of those speaking of those circumstances, um, yeah, I've been I've been real upset all week long. It's been I've been you know I've been talking to different people and they said you know maybe it was an accident or try not to get upset about it. But it's real difficult not to. Uh, like, like I said, you know, it's it's hard to relate your feelings to somebody. Uh, that that has not been in a similar situation when you lose something that is uh, is so dear to you, you know, and and 
I, you know, I got some other things to say, but if you could, I understand if we could roll, you know, there's probably a lot of people out there watching don't even know what we're talking about. If we could roll the film of the match that I had with the Soul Taker, the belts at stake, I knew he had Nate the Rat in his corner, you know, and I knew I was going to have to handle both of those guys, but I was prepared for that. But what I didn't know I was going to have to handle and deal with, too, was some other outside interference, and all you have to do is watch this film, and you make up your mind for yourself what you think happened here. again by his hair the soul taker one and up big reverse neck breaker as the soul taker sends lawler into the ropes catches him big back drop sends lawler sky high into the air the soul taker sending lawler into the ropes goes for a back drop lawler says wait a minute and lands a big right sent the soul taker down for the first time tonight lawler Lawler at his best here, lands another big right. The Soul Taker wobbling on his feet. Going down to the canvas, the Soul Taker struggling to stay up. As Lawler really working him over now. Lawler again puts the Soul Taker down to the canvas. Lawler goes into the ropes. Dirty white boy just tripped the king from the outside. As Nate the Rat coming into the ring with that cane goes to hit Lawler. Lawler catches him, lands a right of his own, and goes to work on Nate the Rat over in the corner. Lawler giving him all he's got right now. As the soul taker coming up behind Lawler just leveled Lawler. Nate the Rat just jabbed him in the throat with that cane. As Dutch Mantel in here, after Nate the Rat lands the cane across the back of the soul taker. As everyone's outside the ring now, all the lumberjacks tangling up outside the ring. Dutch Mantel in here for a little payback as Lawler holds the soul taker up. The soul taker ducked and missed. Dutch Mantel just nailed Lawler with the cane. And the soul taker just closed line. Dutch Mantel as the soul taker with a paint cover. Two, three. That's it. Frank Morrell from the outside of the ring just counted three. And has just awarded the match to the soul taker. Frank Morrell has just given the world unified heavyweight championship to the soul taker. trying to help the king out. Unfortunately, things got out of hand and Lawler got leveled with that cane that was in the hands of Dutch Mantel. was a tough one all right I tell you that uh, well we saw what happened well all I can say is it's real difficult for me to watch that without getting pretty upset with Dutch Mantel now you know this organization instituted 
uh, instituted a rule. I don't know if you remember, but and I'm sure some of the fans remember, but they have a bad habit of instituting rules and then kind of letting them fall by the wayside. I remember one time then when there was a 500 and then it was up to a $1,000 fine if anybody interfered in somebody else's match. But now it doesn't seem like that takes place anymore. You see guys running in, you see guys running out of every single match. Now, I think if Dutch Mantell had, a, had a realized it was going to cost him $1,000 if he had interfered in that match, maybe he wouldn't have been down there. What does he care anyway? What does he want to come out of my match for? Because he doesn't have any business out there. Well, the only thing I would say, maybe Dutch was trying to help. It did appear that way. Whether, whether he was trying to help or not, he obviously didn't help. Wait a minute. When you start talking about me, I'm coming out here and I'm defending I'm myself. Now, I know you're hot and I heard you've been running around all week bad-mouthing me to anybody who will listen. Now, I told you I was sorry in the ring. And that's all I can do. I'm t I can tell you that I am sorry. I'm sorry it happened. I'm sorry you lost the belt. And if you're hot about it, then I can't help it. And we've been friends no, a long time. I guess, we should, I guess I shouldn't be hot about it, huh? Well, I guess I you shouldn't be hot. Yeah, can right, you see my right. side of it? No, I don't. That's exactly well, I don't no, see I don't your see side it. of it. And you I see... No, I said I'm sorry. I see that side of it. But, you know, we've been friends a long time, Jerry. And you come out here... You've been riding that high crest. You had to expect to lose it sometime or the other. No, the I don't odds, expect. No, no, I don't the expect odds to are against you. Somebody's going to take it away from you. The odds are against you. Now, we've been friends a long time. Wait a minute. Let me get my Well done, Dean. Talk about us being friends. I've known you for a long time, Dutch. That's all there. That's all it goes. I've wrestled. I've wrestled with you. I've wrestled against you. What, Jerry? Dutchman, come on. We went all this out last week. We all been buddies a long time, man. We've been friends up and down the road and everything. Come on, man. I, he didn't mean to do it, Jerry. No, wait a I'm, okay, no, I, I don't think that he meant to come out there to cause me to lose my belt. I'm not saying that. And I realize that when you say you're sorry, that you probably didn't mean to make me lose the title. But the well, fact let, is, no, wait a minute, let me say my well, piece. Let me say something. The fact is, you did cause me to lose the title. Now, I understand you're sorry, but you're not half as sorry as I am. And, Bill, you come out here saying we've been buddies, and he's saying we've been pals, and everybody wait, out there thinks, wait, look. Will you let me finish, and then you can run your mouth all you want to. But first of all, let me say this. You're saying we're buddies. You're saying we've been pals. Everybody out here probably thinks we're big friends. We are no, not, not friends. You're right. We're, no, not, we're friends. not friends. I know you. I know you, Bill. But I've wrestled against both of you. I've wrestled with both of you. But we're not friends. We don't pal around together. So don't try to make everybody think we're big buddies. Well, let me and say something. I know that you might be sorry I lost my belt, but you're not as sorry as I am. And the fact is, you're standing out here. You ain't lost nothing. Hey, don't get so hot. Don't get so hot. Me. You haven't even lost any sleep. I lost something that I fought for 15 years to get. What have you lost? You lost nothing. All I'm yeah, saying is... I agree with you. I agree with you. But uh, see, well, you know what you conveniently left out? You conveniently left out why I came in the ring. Twice that Monday night in Memphis, twice now, that soul taker jumped on me. Now, one time, dirty white boy and soul taker jumped on me for no reason. I'm coming in there to try to help you, Jerry. That's between you and him. That's between you and him. When you get a match with well, him, you, you, you say, that. okay. No, I really think so. Really I believe this guy tried to save your life, Kingfish. I believe soul taker would have killed you. Yeah, he did. Sure he did. Well, what do you want me to do about it now? Lost was your belt. What do hey, you want me to do about it now? No, here's what I'm trying to tell each and every... I want to tell you, Bill, stand right here. Stay around here. Let everybody see your face. I want both That's of you guys funny, to listen real carefully, okay? Here's all I'm trying to tell you. You listening? Yes, sir. You listening? I right, have been you for 15 years, brother. Hey, come on. So have I. Stay out of my damn business. Do you guys understand that? Okay. When I got a match... Stay out of it, okay? So you I don't care if I'm laying flat on my back. I don't care if I'm bloody from head to toe. Just stand back and watch, okay? So I'm a big boy now. I'll take care of myself, okay? Is that what you I, want? I, I, want, I want you to stay out of my business. You got it, brother. Okay? You got it. 
You stay out of my business, okay? You understand? And one other thing, I want to give you both a good word of warning. I got another match coming up with the Soul Taker, and I got something in mind for him. And I don't want you boys, Dutch, you're real hairy, and you'd catch fire real easy. So don't come in the ring. Bill, you got a pretty little face there, and I don't want it to get stinged or scorched. So don't come in a ring when I'm wrestling Soul Taker, okay? Let me tell you this, Kingfish. Tuesday morning, don't come and ask where we was. And I don't know if you did what was right either, man. Oh, all kind of dissension here. I don't know who, I, I see the points on all sides. I don't know if there's any right or wrong in this particular thing, but it's certainly a lot of dissension on, uh, on that side over there. Well, okay, if he wants to look after himself, I'm looking after myself too. That's my final statement. We'll return. Again, the reason why all this works is look at these three and all the history that they've had together against mm -hmm. each other, teaming with each other. I mean, hell, it was just earlier that year that Dutch was the one to beat Lawler for that title, which got Lawler in deep shit with Vern because, I mean, he, he lost the title when it wasn't authorized for him to lose the title by Vern. So there's yeah, there's so much to ask to this. And before we talk more about this, Dave says it's no secret the promotion has long felt Lawler needed to turn heel since he meant nothing anymore as a babyface. But Lawler bought because he probably made more money for public appearances at softball games than he did as a wrestler. And he needed to stay babyface for the endorsement income. Some have also hinted that Lawler has political aspirations. <laughs> Just wait 10 years. Um, but, you know, Dave's right. Lawler, as a babyface in Memphis, I mean, we are, you know, all ten, um, all nine years in. Because he, he returns from his injury as a babyface in the, in the 1980. So we're nine full years as him as a babyface. Yes, it needed to happen. And it reinvigorated territory when he turned baby, I mean, turned heel. It gave a totally different dynamic. But So, um... This is the beginning of it, and it keeps building up week after week until he goes full force in a few weeks after this. But, Bix, you've watched this stuff. Um, what were your thoughts on how all this was playing out here? Like we said before, what makes all this stuff work different and better in Memphis is that it comes off like actual people having an argument. Yes. Yeah, they're, they're being they're themselves. But what is it? Is it just these guys working together that it like? I'm trying to figure out why we don't really have this anywhere else. It's because they're all they're always there. You know, whether they're not always there, they're always there. I mean, they will leave and they always came back. It's always the mainstays who are in those kinds of angles. So it's Lawler, Dundee, Valiant, Dundee, uh, Dutch, Christopher, later on, etc. And, and guys like Austin Idol and Tommy Rich mm -hmm. and Andy Gilbert and guys who were back and forth, you know, who would leave and come back, leave and come back, leave and come back. You know, that's the thing. When you have when you have those guys who just bring that continuity and bounce in and out, where you know that that they're few of each other, then one of them will turn and become friends with them and 
leave, come back, rent, wash, rinse, repeat, you know? That's what makes Memphis what it is, when you, where you can do these type of angles. But yeah, so, um, yeah, the beginning of Jerry Lowell's heel turn. And the funny thing about that promo, uh, Robert, was uh, Lawler talking about Dutch being hairy. Am I catching on fire? Well, Lawler's <laughs> thing about himself. Yes. Uh, calling the kettle black. Yes. I did like uh, Bill Dundee's look as well. He's uh, never looked as much like a strip club owner with the <laughs> baggy suit and the gold chain. <laughs> yes. He liked wearing now. He wore he wore wear that on occasion. Yes. <laughs> he liked the look. All right. So October 30th in Memphis at the Coliseum. I know the family plan. Two adults can bring as many kids as they want for $15 total. And they sit in a special section with no alcohol allowed and no profanity allowed. Why didn't Chris think of that? <laughs> <laughs> I was going to suggest uh, this has to be a Lawler idea. <laughs> no alcohol, but as many kids as you want. <laughs> Um, there's one adult could bring one kid free as they are desperate to at least get bodies into the Coliseum. Well, the show uh, saw the New York Brawler, Lou Fabiano doing a ripoff of the Brooklyn Brawler, <laughs> beat Nightmare Ken Wayne, Sean Regal and King Cobra over Mike Davis and Cowboy Kevin Dillinger. Brawler worked twice on this show, going to double count out with Frankie the Thumper Lancaster, who is the uh, origin of your son. Frank. <laughs> yes, Frankie the, the Thumper. The real Freddy went to a double countout with the imposter Freddy. Ricky Morton and Bill Dundee beat the Fantastics, Bobby and Jackie Fulton. Dirty White Boy over Dutch Mantel to keep CWA heavyweight title. Soul Taker beat Lawler by DQ to retain the Tennessee version of the Unified World Heavyweight title. And King Cobra won the Blindfold Battle Royal. Okay, so wait a second. The Fantastics and Heritage were... Bobby and Tommy? I'm willing to say it's Bobby and Jackie. Now that I think about it. I was going to say, there's no way that Grizzly Smith is paying for an airline ticket from Hawaii. Yeah, it's Bobby and Jackie. The more I think about it, yeah. Yeah, so. as a rule of thumb, pretty much it's only... It, it, once Tommy moves to Hawaii, it's, e, it's Tommy either in Japan or on some kind of foreign tour or something like that pretty much or if another if a u.s promoter wants to pay the bucks so joel glitart basically yeah yes but uh that and then you know virgin islands which are technically u.s you know stuff like that that's what i meant by the tours but i forgot that that uh, the fantastic fultons were here as heels that's right yeah. now i remember with the uh, <laughs> with jackie's very disturbing bleached eyebrows Yes. Uh, which know, he did not keep uh, forever, thankfully. Yeah. Do we know who the other Freddy was here? Uh, I'm just probably, uh, I think it's just a local. A local guy, and nobody of note. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not Doug. No. Yeah. yeah. This is definitely uh, a far superior angle to the two different Mr. Wrestling 2s. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go to the Dallas side of things, where uh, Steve Beverly reported that Eric Gambrey's out as the booker here, and Matt Watch was told it was a mutual decision between him and Jerry Jarrett. The creative chores are now being taken over by the trio of Jerry Jarrett, Skandar Atbar, and Gary Young. And Steve wondered, how long will Eric hang around now? <laughs> to end of the year. <laughs> I did. 
Depends when they take the couch out of the sportatorium. <laughs> he left in the end of December. He goes to, back to Puerto Rico. Yes. Yeah. Um. So do Jared, Akbar, and Young are they the bookers through the end, or Mm-mm. do we know? So who is actually booking for the Austin Adams and you know uh, Dundee Tatum etc. run? Um. I'm not positive on that. I think it's a collaboration effort. Because it does seem like Adams was booking the Austin feud. I think Adam. I think Adams was booking their stuff. I think Adbar's probably booking most of the other stuff. Bill's probably Dund- booking his thing, though. Dundee's got input. Yeah, it's probably a collaboration. Yeah. All right, so the Sportatorium on October 27th, the kids in free. The combat, the low crowds. It brought Kevin Von Eric back for one shot. And the result was the biggest crowd apparently in recent months. I don't know where or how much was paid. The results of that show saw Jeff Jarrett over Rotten Ron Starr, Sheik Braddock over Steve Williams, the future Steve Austin. Well, when does he start using Austin? At the, end, at the beginning of January. Okay. Solomon Grande over Tony Falk. Billy Joe Travis, PYQI, and Gary Young over... Gentlemen, Chris Adams, Eric Embry, and Jimmy Jeff Funk. Kevin and Carrie Von Erica were the Punisher, the Undertaker, and Tars Bulba, and a Battle Royal won by Jeff Jarrett. Simply irresistible, Jeff Jarrett. Yes. So there's your Friday night sportatorium show. The Saturday morning show saw Billy Joe Travis bring guitar over Percy Pringle's head. So, uh, yeah, there's that. Um, Billy Joe Travis here was really really good this is this is the first time he was really the heel because he hadn't been a heel in memphis yet well this and, is also uh, the beginning of the guitar right yeah it's the beginning well he he did he did some of that stuff in san antonio about he was a baby face and i'm sticking in that deal but that's right, where the really he was sweet music man there or anything like that yeah. Yeah. but yeah he was great great in this gimmick absolutely uh, Buddy Landell and Dustin Rhodes are announced coming in, but Landell probably won't now since he had money problems with Jarrett. He does do some shots in December for uh, Dallas. So, and Dustin comes in and uh, becomes a regular. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, which it's interesting that it was until this point too, because Akbar's who trained him. Yes, he was training presumably at the Sportatorium. Yes. But um, yeah. So uh, Dallas is, is, is there's a cha- changing going on. Embry like, uh, moving out of the Booker, and yeah, there's a, there's a change taking place. So there's that. All right, let's go to the NAWA Killington Brooks promotion in Dallas. And Steve Irwin knows their TV's off to a good start in the first three weeks on TV 39, the Metroplex. Brooks and John Tatum are the heels. Top heels, and they've only drew 1,300 fans for recent taping. Brian and Diaz, Scott Casey, Stephen Casey, a.k.a. Stephen Dane, and Steve do it to a Cox are among the, <laughs> also among the killer's corral. So wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Is Jarrett no longer on 39, or are they both on 39? Both. Interesting. Yeah. I don't, I don't think uh, NAWA is on there long, though, right? No. By the time it's Supersonic Texas Wrestling, it's airing on a different station. Yes. 
And by the way, this is not a North American Wrestling Association or Alliance. It's the North American Wrestling Allegiance. Yes. I pledge allegiance to killer Tim Brooks. Uh, Dave said during 1200 fans of that taping, with the only thing interesting happening being Giant Mantel turning heel on tag partner Kenny the Stinger in the main event against Brooks and John Tatum. So there you go. Killer Tim Brooks. So I guess that means Kenny the Stinger is a uh, Tim Brooks student and not a Chris Adams student then? I guess. All right, now let's go to the AWA. Dave's got a quick comment to make about a subject that's received quite a bit of comments in the other newsletters. Namely the comment by Vern Gagne as it relates to the death of Bruiser Brody. Well, the initial response to most was that Gagne is somewhat lower than the lowest species in the food chain for those remarks. Some have defended Vern, saying that at least he was honest in his comments. Dave thinks that's the problem. He was honest in his comments. If it's just some sort of word, a hyper-grudge match, I'll be forgotten. But in his deluded world, Brody got what he deserved by being murdered simply because Gagne held a grudge against Brody for walking out in the middle of a match once in the middle of a program the second time. And Gagne was no angel in his dealings with Brody either. But the comment truly reveals what a sick individual Vern Gagne really is for thinking that a man deserved to be murdered simply because he had a few business disagreements with the man. And Bix, you want to elaborate on what Vern Gagne said? <laughs> Okay, I'm trying to find it in the AWA Patreon notes, but I believe it was something to the effect of way doing the word associate, well, name association, part of the torch talk, and Brody comes up. I think Vern's answer is something to the effect of got what he was asking for or something like that. Yeah, got what he deserved, something like that. Something in that realm, yeah. Well... Robert, you're, uh, I'm sure oh, you found it. Oh, I found it. I found it. I found <laughs> Hold it. on, yeah, Go ahead. Probably got what he asked for. There you go. <laughs> I mean, there goes Dave again, uh, sticking up for his friends, even <laughs> his dead ones. <laughs> but I don't. I mean, is it tasteless? Yes, but uh, I don't know. Vern was entitled to his opinion, and. Uh, I don't know. I'd uh, I'd watch it if I was Dave. Uh, let's not uh, forget Vern had the same body count as Jose Gonzalez. <laughs> and he, he didn't need a knife or a Glock. Just his, <laughs> bare uh, his bare liver spotted hands. <laughs> oh. Wasn't it? Was it? Bix will probably know this, but uh, of course I'm referring to the incident at the uh, the senior care facility that. Uh, Burn was staying in at the end of his life, but you mean when he I obliviously believe... murdered a Holocaust survivor? Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, I, but I believe the place was called uh, Friendship Village or yes, something yes. along those lines. Yes, yeah. Some and friend. we should also note too, <laughs> Dave is clearly not paying much attention to the torch yet because this was two months ago that this was published. But he's had, he's had a lot of things going on. Nice. Sure, yes. Also he's in the in name Philadelphia. Well, yes. And then, yes, Philadelphia, two months after the Torch interview came out. <laughs> um, but also in the name association. Just to compare how he referred to Brody compared to other people he was on bad terms with, Dean Orkeland. I think he's one of the best announcers in the business. In wrestling today, there's probably none better. As far as him personally, no comment. <laughs> uh Wally Carbo, pause. Wally was Wally, period. And Hogan <laughs> was Jerk Hogan, I guess. 
what a, what a funny man. But the point is, though, is like he went way more extreme with Brody than the others. Of course he did. Yeah, of course he did. Uh, probably got what he asked for. Okay, look. We should probably say, though, this is not defending what Vern said, because he obviously shouldn't have said that. It was not something people like to talk about, clearly, but if you were someone who was on Brody's bad side, you know, and for years after this, you probably looked at it as like, well, it doesn't seem like Jose had a motive and it's Brody, so <laughs> blah, 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 which so I, it's mean... like, I don't think I don't think how do I put this? I think thinking that it's possible that he was starting something and got stabbed as a result is not I don't think that's unforgivable at all. The problem is saying this in this interview and the way he put it. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've talked about this before, but uh, Brody could be a bill. He could be a bully. I don't think there's any doubt about that. No. I mean, it, it, it's just a, it's one of those things where it's hard to try to come up with the reasoning why things happen like they did. It just did. So yeah, I like how you almost called him a Billy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so the torch had uh, this October twenty eighth. Saw the AWA put together a syndicated Team Challenge TV taping. The torch did have a report on the events. His fans were not allowed to be present. The tapings were at the KITN Studios in Minneapolis, and this was the second time they have taped there. As apparently the first one worked out well. When Wade asked how they could possibly wrestle without a crowd, he was told to wait and see. Okay, wait, 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 wait. Um, <laughs> so they have, so they haven't aired the first tapings yet, is what I'm getting out of this. No. Um, so this also tells us, contrary to popular belief, there were two of these tapings. This is the second one. In the pink studio. Uh, I think generally uh, so now people think it's one. Go ahead. Yeah, October 28th, we'll read the results. Uh, World Tag Titles, the uh, Destruction Crew, Wayne the Dream Loom, Mimi Mike Enos retained over Scott Norton and Tommy Jammer. Jake the Milkman Milliman beat Colonel the Beers in the Great America Turkey Hunt. Get the turkey, <laughs> Colonel. Pat Tanaka and the Magnificent Mimi beat Paul Diamond and Candy Divine. Tommy Jammer's over Doug Summers by disqualification. Mike George, Paul Diamond, the Trooper, over Candy Devine, and Candy Devine, over Doug Summers, Pat Tanaka, the Unknown Soldier, Magnificent Mimi. Sure. Scott Norton, Tommy Jammer, and the Trooper, over Wayne Bloom, Mike Enos, and Larry Zabisco. Colonel De Beers and Pat Tanaka, over Jake the Mittman Milliman and Paul Diamond. Candy Devine, go to a draw with Magnificent Mimi. And Wayne the Train Bloom, beat the Unknown Soldier in a press slam challenge. <laughs> Oh, wow. Unknown soldier at this time being Bix. Oh, I forget. Wasn't it Del Wilkes? No, I don't think Is so. It? No, I forget who the I forget who it was because they stopped using the gimmick after they did the thing where it was Saida, right? Yes. Yes. Uh, but I forget who it was. I don't think it was Del Wilkes. It was Okay, so it... Oh, was it like Tommy Ferrara or someone like that? Um I thought it was Dell at first. Or he, oh, it's Ricky Ricky Rice. Oh. That's right. We talked about it on the AWA shows. They, yeah, remember so, they yeah. tried to get him to pay to send the outfit back or whatever it was. Yes, <laughs> yeah, I remember. Yeah, that would have been 
right after he went to Calgary, I think. Yes. Yes. Are you saying he came uh, back starred? <laughs> well, he he stayed for a week and left. Remember that was. Just- <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, he well, was supposed to come in with Derek Dukes, and uh, Derek Dukes did not show. So, uh, yeah, he, he was not there long. No. So, yeah, this uh, I was uh, watching AWTV uh, every week on TSN at this time, but uh, thing, <laughs> things were looking awfully bleak by this point. Uh, to uh, paraphrase Minnesota's own Bob Dylan, uh, it wasn't dark yet, but it was getting there. <laughs> and at this point, the TSN shows. It was dark in that studio, that's for sure. The GSPN <laughs> show that you were getting, right? Yes. Okay. Which means also that you didn't really see this stuff because this stuff, I believe, only aired in syndication. Um, I mean, I yes, remember never... seeing the the studio stuff. Well, they had highlights. They had they highlights. Had, yeah. Well, because they yeah. have the Team Challenge series report deal. But yeah. I don't think the actual yeah, shows was, aired outside of syndication. No. Yeah, it was definitely the ESPN version. Yeah. Well, speaking of... Speaking well, of well, there's uh, another thing I wanted to mention, though, which is the absolute highlight of this, which we talk about on those Patreon shows, and maybe I'll uh, share again the little YouTube... I mean, excuse me, Twitter video I made with it. The absolute highlight of this taping, though, from what we have, the very little we have that's easily available from the Team Challenge series uh, recap thing, is the wacky finish with the Great American Turkey Hunt and Nick Bockwinkle at the commentary table turning towards the camera with a look on his face like, what the fuck is that? (laughs) And then as Slaughter gets involved arguing with De Beers and whatever, Bockwinkle just gets up and leaves without comment. Yeah, he had enough. He's just (laughs) sick of it. It's amazing. Yeah. I'd love to. I, I mean, All I right. the tape is out there. I'd love to see this stuff online. But well, speaking of ESPN, Matt Watch said that AWA has only ESPN airing during November uh, on the 18th. They're only airing in this usual Saturday midnight slot. Golf and basketball preempt the rest of the month. Yeah, they bounced around quite a bit, and uh, but they, they, their normal slot was at midnight on Saturdays by this point in time. So not great. No. Um, hold on, let me pull up something real quick just for reference, because when I was digging into some of that ratings stuff a few weeks ago, so I didn't look that much deeper to see if I could find anything in this era, but for what it's worth, wrestling on ESPN, I don't know if that's just AWA or a quarter, because it's a quarterly number, or an average of that and world class, but at least in, so, two years earlier, Q387, what time slot would the wrestling shows have been in in that time? Uh, bouncing around, but they they would be in prime time some and other. I mean, late midnight. I mean, it's just bounced around. Okay, wrestling. You can't judge it because it aired just different times, right? So whatever was listed just as wrestling was in uh, eight hundred ten thousand homes average. Good enough for number twenty on cable though for Q three twenty. Excuse me, nineteen eighty seven. I once said twenty seventeen. So all right. They have a TV audience, but that's about it. Yeah. All right, let's go to Red Bastine's WIN promotion. They taped on uh, October 28th in San Bernardino at the arena for 70 fans. A Mexican wrestler called Superboy wowed the crowd with Owen Hart caliber flying. 
Also on the show included Conan, Mondo, and Eddie Guerrero, and the Mercenaries, Billy Anderson, Luis Spicoli, and Ricky Ataki. Watch for Spicoli as an NBA jobber and a Bobby Eaton lookalike. Is that Dave's way of saying they huh. have the same body type? <laughs> nothing alike. I guess. I mean, there's a little resemblance. I definitely wouldn't say a lookalike. There's, no. um, who is there? There's an actor. He was on Breaking Bad. He was on uh, the second season of Fargo, which was uh, filmed in Calgary, incidentally. But he, to me, looks a lot like Louis Spicoli. Let me Google him. Do you remember the name of any of his characters? Uh, Jesse Plemons? Yes. Yes, I just searched yeah, for Breaking Bad to, Fargo uh, actor. Kirsten Dunst. And yes, I right. believe they, they met uh, on the set of Fargo here in Calgary. And but yeah, if you if you find a picture of him without facial hair, yeah, if you see the resemblance. You see it. Yeah, absolutely. You, you see it. Yeah. Mm. All right. So the results of this show in front of all 70 fans, <laughs> we have Mr. Pepto <laughs> and Ray Mysterio Sr. over El Nino Asesino. And Terremoto and Quintero. So this so, is a uh, handicap match. Or it's a trios match and someone didn't write down the third guy on the Technico team. Possible. Did, Gang- did, did Mr. Pepto wear a pink bodysuit? <laughs> oh, no. I it's even, well, I don't know if he, I don't remember he had a pink bodysuit. You've never seen Mr. Pepto? He had a mask. I think a mask that was pink and <laughs> the design around the eye holes was Pepto bottles. I love it. If he if he worked the uh, the AWA studio taping, he just disappeared. <laughs> He'd be like Comey trying to blend into the curtains in the blue room or whatever it's called. Genghis Khan and R. Romero over Bobby Bradley and Ultraman Two. Amazonia over La Dama de Altavaz. Conan over Hichol. Black Gordman still working over Capitan Oro. Chicago Vera over Alasta Plata, Tim Talltree over Ultraman 2, Ari Romero over Belo Adan, Los Mercenarios over Capitan Oro, Mando Guerrero, Nini Guerrero, Black Gorman over Caballero dos Mil, Bobby Bradley and Belo Adan over El Savaje and Terremoto Quintero, Capitan Oro and Falcon de Oro over Principe Indu and Chicago Rivera, Mando and Eddie over Nino Asesino and Carlos Vega, Conan and Ray Sr. over Genghis Khan and Huicho. Black Gorman and Ari Romero over Caballero dos Mil and Ultraman dos Mil, Ultraman 2. Tim Taltry over Piloto Suicida. Dama de Altafaz over Amazonia. Mercurio and Ultraman 2 over Caballero de la Muerte and Torano Negro. A lot of TV taped here. Mercenarios 2 and 3 over Conan and Ray. Gorman and Romero over Bradley and Pelo Adan. Mercurio and Pepto over Caballero de la Muerte and Carlos Vega. And Relampago R- R- a Superboy over Prince of Hindu and El Sabaje. We chose about Las de Plata, Mondo and Eddie over the Ku Klux Klan, <laughs> and Conan and Ray over uh, Black Gorman and Romero by DQ. Okay, so wait a second. If we have Caballero Dos Mil and Ultraman Dos Mil teaming together, which one's Damian? <laughs> who knows? I, mean, I know someone who could find out. <laughs> yes, he is. Well, yes. <laughs> yes, it. Yes. We can ask his son, but... Uh, hey, uh, do you guys remember uh, what uh, Las Ku Klux Klan's finishers were? No, and I don't really want to remember. They, they were uh, 
naturally, uh, the Mississippi Burning Hammer <laughs> and the Shining Grand Wizard. <laughs> for, uh, strong style luchadors, apparently. Um, so as far as other stuff on these tapings. <laughs> I thought they used the hangman hole. Yeah, I was surprised oh. he didn't go with that, actually. Um, but Keep it classy for once. I'm a, I'm a father now, Biggs. Yes, he's yes. He's Wait, so we have an now. Ultraman two and an Ultraman two thousand? I don't. Yeah, who in knows? The same results. Who knows? So I'm guessing that okay. So I'm guessing that the Ultraman then in the tag is Damian. I don't know who the new Caballero would be. Um, also, this is not the original Black Ordinum. This is just a guy working as Black Ordinum. Oh, it's not the original. Wow. No. So I. They have a guy working as Black Gorman, even though the guy <laughs> in San Bernardino, where the original Black Gorman had worked for ever and ever and ever. Yeah. Good Lord. Um, trying to think what else of note is on these. All uh, one fall, of course, with this many matches. Uh, from the TV I've seen, they do a good job of hiding that it's so few people there, at least. Um some of these matches would air on ICW TV allegedly as part of the tag team title tournament in a few months. Really? Neither of you have ever seen that? No. I don't think so, they no. They aired all sorts of weird random matches as part of their alleged international tag team tournament. They claimed they were picking up a live feed from Mexico. <laughs> and Tony Rumble was constantly having to correct Bob Dow's pronunciation of Guerrero. <laughs> Um, and then, of course, the big legacy of these shows is that uh, some of the masked wrestlers noticed that when they got their checks from Red Bastine, they were written out to names like Mr. Pepto and not the real names. <laughs> Los KKK. <laughs> yes. Oh, my goodness. And, uh, oh, I guess the only other thing is uh, to call Rivera, I believe was, like, in the 80s, the, like, respected local SoCal Lucha trainer, right? Isn't he the guy yeah. who trained, like, Kurt Brown and, and all those guys in Lucha? I think so, yeah. At, uh, was it Gill's Gym, right? I think Something like that. Yeah. And, uh, oh, what was, uh, oh, Hadco Plaza was where they had all the weekly Lucha shows. All right, let's go to Portland. New Valet Veronica Lane debuted on the October 28th Portland show with Scotty the Body and, and with Scotty the Body. And Scotty agreed to let her be his valet if she helped him get back a girl he once dated and agreed that their relationship would be platonic. Later in the show, when Ginger, Scotty's old valet, came to the ring with Steve Dahl, Scotty gave her a box of candy and she wouldn't take it. Brian Adams didn't beat Steve Dahl by DQ. Ginger came, then came to the ringside with Rex King, and Scotty brought her flowers that she wouldn't take. Jonathan Holliday, who does one hell of a good interview, and is a Roddy Piper lookalike, which by itself should draw him heat here, added to the heat he seems to draw just by being in places. Then wrestled Rex King and pinned him using the ropes, but Carl Stiles told referee Sandy Barr, and he reversed the decision. Billy Francis then came out for an interview and told Scotty he could beat him one hand tied behind his back. They had the match. Francis pounded on Scotty with his right form, but eventually Francis accidentally hit Ball with his form. Jonathan Boyd came out, tied his other hand behind his back, put the snake around his neck before Beetlejuice made the save. And Beetlejuice made a challenge to Jonathan Boyd for a snake, bot ma snake box match on November the 4th. Steps for this match are if Beetlejuice loses, then the little juicer, a ch young child who seconds Beetlejuice in Portland, 
has to go in the box with the snake and have the box locked. And you thought they'd already scrapped the bottom of the barrel this year as far as angles went. <laughs> well, they we have television from Portland, one of those rare occurrences. So let's go to the clip. <laughs> ah, hey, Bill Francis, you were told to start with, and now your neck has been stripped a little bit, and now you're a little bit bloody taller. Baby doll knows what to do. That's an attack snake. And Bill Francis, you will never, ever try to humiliate my wrestler again. His mother still pays me money to look after him, and I'll look after him for the likes of you or anybody else. Nobody is going to humiliate Gunny the Bunny. You are a sick man, man. You take a guy and you tie both his hands behind his back, and then you put a Burmese python on him. That's your way. You know what? I've been reading up on these Burmese pythons. What's with the bloody hammer? You come out to fight me with the hammer. First, all you do is you come out there and interfere in our pleasure. Bill Francis has got nothing to do with you. He's a no relation, and I don't care if he's a friend. You keep your nose out of our business. And that's a warning, brother. That's a bloody warning. <laughs> I don't take it. You know what? Anyway, I tell you, I've been reading up on these Burmese pythons, and I find that in the dark, they can't tell who's who, man. They don't know if it's your snake. If it's in the dark, you don't know. You know, a little while ago, you brought this big black box out here, and the loser had to get put in that black box with the snake. Well, I'll tell you what, egghead. I'll tell you what. Will you bring that little black box next week? I'll wrestle you, and the loser boy gets put in that little black box. But not just put in there. We're going to take it, and we're going to nail that thing shut just like that. So you never get out, man. I'll tell you what I'll do. I will accept that bloody challenge, because it's my match. Last time, a midget went in it. But I'll tell you what, if I lose, I'll go in there with Baby Doll because I love her. And if she bites me, too bloody bad. But if you lose, you're not going in it. You're not going to go in it. You know why? No, no, if I lose, I'll go in it. No, you won't. You come out here and made a challenge. I accepted it. And the stipulation's this. If you lose, your little juicer goes in it. That little bloody idiot there. Get him over here. Don't you talk about it, man. No. Get him over here. No, come on. A little kid, man. He's a little Listen, Cos, you stay out of this. You came out here and challenged me and my snake to my type of match. If I lose, you can nail me in it, and you can ship me back to Australia. But if you lose, that little good-for-nothing piece of Yankee junk goes in to feed my snake. Hey, wait a minute, man. You're talking about a little kid. You're talking about a little kid. I can't believe he'd come up with something like that, Beetlejuice. But that's the... I don't care! I don't care! If he wants to put the little kid in there... Hey, look at me, man. There's not a chance in hell you're going in that box. I'll fight you, boys. I'll fight you. Uh, uh, yeah, uh, mm, okay, we'll be right back with more after this time out. Hi, Daddy. Tom Peterson will turn your color on tomorrow. Tom Peterson's daughter, and there she has grown up watching her, her child to sell. Um, wow. <laughs> <laughs> what a promo that was, Robert. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I've got a few comments here. I'm uh, sure you do. <laughs> I, mean, I mean, I can I can kind of guess what one of your jokes is. Is it going to be that he one up Rob Black? 
(laughs) Instead of feeding a dog to a snake, he's going to feed a child to a snake. Ah, I see where you're going, Bix. But, uh, but, I mean, I was thinking, uh, frankly, the kid might be better off in the box than uh, hanging out in the stairwell with Art Barb. (laughs) But uh, (laughs) if I may opine uh, for a second... Uh, this really does illustrate the difference between uh, territorial wrestling and modern wrestling. Uh, last week I saw a very nice video uh, with uh, AEW's top heel, Kenny Omega, and uh, Adam Cole uh, sending well wishes uh, to a young girl with cancer. Now, yes. Very lovely gesture, don't get me wrong, but uh, I mean, how am I supposed to hate these guys now? Now you have uh, an Australian leather daddy who wants to lock Frankie in his snake box. That's a guy I can hate. <laughs> yeah. Just say it. With a snake named Baby Doll. Because <laughs> as Sam Houston would go in head first. <laughs> but uh, also, I must say, uh, really, you're, you're going to reverse a decision based on the eyewitness account of Carl Stiles, <laughs> a man with a glass eye. Carl Stiles <laughs> friended me on, uh, sent me a friend's request on Facebook the other <laughs> did week. Did he? Yes. He yeah. wanted me to watch some videos. Of, uh, <laughs> put <them> on YouTube. <laughs> I hear uh, Billy Jack Kane's dad uh, backed up, <laughs> backed oh, up his account. No. Oh, no. <laughs> but... but uh, <laughs> Also, you mentioned uh, Jonathan Holiday. Yes. Uh, did Dave referenced? Uh, yes, the the heat that uh, John, <laughs> Jonathan Holiday had, and I I can vouch for the fact that uh, he had heat in Calgary. Uh, I was told he had a gun pulled on him by Dynamite Kid at one point. Sounds about right. Uh, well, yeah, yes. Yeah, so admittedly, not an infrequent occurrence for the Dynamite Kid. <laughs> uh, also, had his head split open in the locker room by Davy Boy Smith. Uh, but yeah, supposedly there was some shenanigans with him uh, helping Bruce and Ross promote spot shows. He was skimming money, something along those lines. The last, actually, last I heard of Jonathan Holiday. Uh, he unsuccessfully ran for governor of Washington. Oh, my God. Just a few years ago, yeah. Just imagine if he would have won. <laughs> what a mercy. Also on this show, Rip Oliver beat the grapple by countout. Kids were made free to this card, and the crowd was about triple what they had been the previous weeks. Notice a theme here. In the <laughs> yes. All, All these dying, ter- dying territories desperate for fans. Yeah, children. And all the territories are known for illegal sex acts with children. <laughs> well, there is that, too. So, wow. All right. Uh, so Dave got a copy of the brochure for the proposed Superpowers Wrestling promotion that's attempted to start up in January. The brochure claims Superpowers Wrestling will be a combination of pro wrestling, amateur wrestling, karate, sambo, and judo. They claim it has the same rules as pro wrestling, but it'll be real and without gimmicks and theatrics. Or as Dave says, theater antics. They claim is they have eight teams. <laughs> a, a U.S. team, Soviet team, Japanese team, Canadian team, <laughs> West German team, Italian team, South Korean team, and New Zealand team. And expect to teams from Australia, France, England, and China. 
The promotion is headed by Earl Greenberg. According to the brochure, was vice president of compliance and practices and later vice president of daytime programming for NBC, producer of the Regis Philbin show, Fantasy, that's a blast from the past, Peter Marshall show, and Live's Most Embarrassing Moments. Real quick, by the way, if you're wondering why we still have a West Germany, it's because the Berlin Wall doesn't go down for another week and a half or so. Yes. <laughs> this may not be correct as much as the info in the brochure regarding the rest is incorrect. Greenberg is billed as executive producer of the TV show. Steve Edwards is marketing director, and his background includes director of marketing for major video superstars. Antonio Anoki is the promoter. Tor Berg is director of operations. Berg is from Alaska, and the brochure claims he was nominated three times for the Promoter of the Year Award by the Professional Wrestling Writer Association. Is there such a thing, Dave asked. And Brad Rankins is the trainer. And real quick, since I don't think people would have understood that from your reading of it, Major Video Superstores is a proper name of a video store chain of some kind. It's capitalized. Yes. It, this is, <laughs> I, I think that might have gotten lost in translation. Um, yeah. Also, wasn't uh, the Pro Wrestling Writers Association the name of the thing that... Uh, oh, no, that was International Wrestling Press, the Heyman Flair Man of the Year thing. What, what, was, yes. the th what was it that allegedly gave the uh, Best TV Show Award to Southeastern? Was that the Pro Wrestling Writers Association? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> okay. They list signers for three teams. Japan would be Masahiro Chono, Riki Choshu... Building the brochure as a world champion, as the brochure was printed up before we lost sight of the Utah, the Big Bam Vader. Kasumi Fujinami, Hiroshi Hase, Shiyashimoto, and Masaino. The U.S. team consists of Bam Bam Bigelow, Jeff Blacknick, Brad Rangins, Buzz Sawyer, Leon White, and Dr. Dusty Williams. Woof. And the USSR team is Vladimir Berkovich, Shosha Shakashaviji, Raka Evelev, Salman Hashmakov, Andrei Zuzev, and Viktor Zangiev. Credentials for some are misrepresented in the brochure were minor mistakes. Shoshua Saito are said to be have been Olympians in 76 and 72, respectively, when it was 72 and 64. Um, Hase is his base, but it's Hase. It's said to be 21 years old when he's actually 28. To outright lies, where Bigelow was billed as a former NCAA champion when he never actually went to college. <laughs> Uh, other claims include on April 14, 1988 in Hamilton, Ontario. <laughs> Listen to this, folks, and you'll love this one. Uh, Pro Wrestling set a record for the largest crowd for any Canadian sporting event of 64,938. <laughs> Such an event never happened, and the largest crowd in wrestling for Hamilton is around 16,000 fans. Well, wait a second. Maybe Dave just doesn't know about it, and this event is why Angela Mosca thinks he can bring pro wrestling promotion <laughs> techniques to the CFL as commissioner. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I wish someone had told me this was uh, happening 45 minutes away in Hamilton. Yes, I know. It was uh, in uh, Johnny Canine uh, <laughs> main event. Was a gorilla monsoon would say John Canine. <laughs> um, the brochure also said wrestling consistently sells at Wembley Stadium in London. Obviously not true. Wrestling never even plays Wembley Stadium. In Paris, Pro Wrestling is the second highest rated TV show behind Dallas. Not true at all. Pro Wrestling Australia is the number two ranked spectator sport in terms of attendance. In reality, Pro Wrestling, except for a few shows at the smallest club level, is dormant in Australia. Some other clients are closer to legit. Claiming a $3.2 million gate for the Tokyo Dome. Actually, $2.781 but that isn't far off. And using WF figures for other claims of wrestling popularity in the United States. 
They're playing this again on cable with the United States in January, plus international syndication, a U.S. tour in May, with a pay-per-view event in May from, you guessed it, Las Vegas, which are broadcast in Japan, South Korea, and Taiwan. U.S. TV syndication in September, full international schedule starting in October, full U.S. schedule starting in 1991, and the first World War pay-per-view in April 1991. Of course, the odds are slim that even a fraction of these plans will ever materialize. And of course, all that comes <laughs> out of this is the Superpowers Clash home video of the Tokyo Dome show from earlier in the year with uh, Bachwinkle and Ken Resnick on commentary. Yeah, that's it. So this is obviously Antonio Anoki doing some type of dealings with Torberg. And they got this guy from NBC, used to be NBC hooked up with him. I guess so. Um, also, isn't it interesting, though, that while we have some name spelling issues outside of Jeff Platt. I think these are all guys who are in, actually in New Japan. So I gotta think that with Ringens as the hookup, this is that period that I think Meltzer talked about in his Blatnik obit where Blatnik did have some preliminary talks about doing pro wrestling in Japan. Yeah. He would certainly fit into this program. It would have been interesting to see him do it. Yeah. And yeah, Earl Greenberg, um, yeah, he was the head of the, he was the VP of compliance and practices department at NBC when Brandon Tartikoff picked him as the VP of daytime program in 1981. He was, uh, he then worked as an independent TV producer for such programs as the Regis Philbin show, which was before Regis Kathy Lee and two of my all time favorites. World's widest police videos and world's scariest police chases. <laughs> and then it became the president of Home Shopping Network. And he was became known as the Prince of Infomercials. He died in 2008 from melanoma at 61. So there you go. Earl nice. Greenberg. I just want to know uh, who the Canadian team was supposed to be. And uh, don't tell me... Uh... Bullwhip Danny Johnson and Troy <laughs> fucking Montour. I, <laughs> you, I was about to say that. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> who knows who Great it would have been? Great minds think alike because I was going to make the same joke too. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, it, it was going to be. Uh, who knows? It, but, it's the go-to joke for. Who is the Canadian team going to be in wrestling? <laughs> there really isn't any other answer. But yeah, so this is the superpowers of wrestling. It doesn't happen. Would have been interesting, but it didn't happen. All right, uh, and we'll close out this section with this story, which we've talked about on Between the Sheets in the past with Bo James. Um, I think it was show as I two two twelve or some shit like that. It was in that in that time frame. It was September eighty nine. The latest on the trial of Leah Maya Vian Company in Hawaii on extortion charges were that John Dunbar Wakayama, the promoter who claims been extorted, testified that he immediately recognized the voice of Ati Soto, who worked in the front office of Maya Vias Polynesian Pro Wrestling Promotion, when a man threatened him and his family if he didn't pay a five thousand dollar tribute fee to Maya Villa before promoting a series of three live shows in Hawaii in November of last year. Soto is, Soho, excuse me, is the vice president of Maya Villa's company. Wakayama reported the threatening call to the FBI, which later wired him for sound during a meeting in a restaurant with Maya Villa and Lars Anderson several days before the cards. The meetings continued in Wakayama's office, 
with Wakayama Wire for Sound and Wakayama Pay my V and Anderson $1,800. I promise to spend another $3,200 later. FBI arrested my V and Anderson immediately upon leaving Wakayama's office. Stowe claimed that he had nothing to do with extortion. He claimed another person, one of my V's referees, made the call. Wakayama testified that he had talked with Stowe many times on the phone before. Wakayama was the former announcer on television for my V, so he would know. And he had no doubts he was a caller. FBI has talked with other wrestling promoters who have run shows in Hawaii, both in the U.S. and Japan, and to ask them if they face similar extortion attempts. Yes, Bix, uh, what's the famous line uh, from Leah Maivia from all this? That if he doesn't pay up, we'll talk to people who go bang, bang. <laughs> and she ain't talking about Katniss Jack, folks, I'll tell you that. No, and... <laughs> Didn't it turn out that the threatening line from the person believed to be Ati Soho was something to the effect of, I will make your son suck my dick? <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't remember that in particular. But uh, that's to be something it was. It was something but, like that. But anyway, Robert, um, we haven't t- had you on for this subject, so what are your thoughts on uh, all the stuff going on here? Which we should know, uh, yeah, since I mean, we've discussed it, it, has been heavily fictionalized into the universe of Young Rock. <laughs> see, now I'd, I've yet to see a full episode of Young Rock, but uh, who who plays Lars Anderson? Oh, I haven't watched either, but I just I just know that there's a loosely adapted version of this. <laughs> in Young Rock. I don't think there's a Lars, though. Yeah, there's there, I mean, there's this... a renamed uh, Wakiyama, but that's about it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I remember the Aptor magazines covered this stuff a little bit, and uh, I remember reading it as a kid. It seemed very uh, exotic and exciting, and, I mean, somehow I was still able to differentiate uh, that <laughs> this was a a genuine news story and not some sort of uh, far-fetched storyline. And, uh, yeah, it was uh, very, very wild stuff. Yeah, just crazy. Crazy story. But, um, <laughs> yeah, if you, like I said, if you want to hear more about this, listen to that show we did with Bo a couple years ago. It's uh, quite the tale, so to speak. Yeah, I, I forget why we ended up deciding just to go down the rabbit hole but we end up just going through all the Honolulu Advertiser articles from the course of the trial to uh, map out exactly what happened. Of all the promoters in wrestling, uh, would you expect Leah Maivia being the one to do extorting, Robert? <laughs> I would not. Yeah, that seems like something that, uh, you know, so, so some other shady promoters over the years would have done, you know? But anyway, there you go. Yeah. And we should know, too, that the reason that Wakayama is even running, quote-unquote, opposition is that Leah's not running shows. <laughs> it's that yeah. Wakayama got in touch with, like, a concert promoter or someone to be like, I have enough connections from working for Leah. I can book some names on the show, on these shows. And he did book legit big names. And figured it would be fine because Leah's not running shows. And mm-hmm. in the real world, that obviously should be more than fine. Mm-hmm. In the wrestling world, however, we know people who go bang, bang. <laughs> the, 
Do you think uh, Anne Gunkel ever threatened to bang bang anyone? <laughs> Ted Turner. <laughs> I wouldn't say threatened. <laughs> oh, me. All right, let's close out with the World Wrestling Federation. With the biggest news of the past week on the U.S. scene is that the World Wrestling Federation fired Tully Blanchard just weeks before he was scheduled to finish up. An official reason was given for the move, which took place after the TV taping on November the 1st in Wichita, which included a taping for WWE Primetime Wrestling, which aired on USA Network both on Sunday and Monday night, so the next week, uh, the week after Dave reported this. Uh, Blanchard had a match on the show scheduled against the ultimate, the anabolic warrior, excuse me, and no doubt they wanted a clean job on television, and there's already received word before the taping that no way Blanchard was going to do it. It wound up with Blanchard in the position of being pinned, but a DQ finished when Arn Anderson ran in, and Warrior wound up making his own comeback on both guys anyway, and held his own when Haku ran in until Andre came in, and he needed help from his Survivor Series teammates at that point. It had been assumed the reason for both Blanchard and Anderson, who will start appearing on the NWA television show's first week of December, stayed on with the WF was because Vince McMahon wouldn't release them from their contract unless they stayed through the pay-per-view show, and also because they wanted to stay through the same show and get the big one-day payoff from it. Payoffs last year for Survivor Series ranged from 2500 to 7500 with no doubt Hulk Hogan and maybe Randy Savage getting sniffly more. Whether it was because he didn't do the job and he did everything but, or more likely because they simply wanted Blanchard out of the dressing rooms because it's well known he was a major influence in getting WF wrestlers to look into going the NWA, an excess of which never materialized because the NWA heads, Jet Petrick and Jim Hurd, didn't want to start up a rating game that would escalate salaries of all the major wrestlers. Stupid assholes. Plus, my man refused to let others out of the contract. And nobody was willing to test contracts. Blanchard was gone, and we were replaced by Haku and most of his scheduled arena show appearances the rest of the way against Demolition. Nobody's been officially announced as replacing Blanchard's match Survivor Series, although the best speculation from this end is that Bobby Heenan will wrestle on the card in his place. All right, Bix, this is the reporting at the time on this. So um, we talked about it earlier in the NWA section, you know, the, the stuff that Dave had there on Tully and Arn leaving. And that was reported before he was fired. So what are your thoughts on uh, what all went down here? Because Dave said they gave notice. They were were leaving because of a Japanese offer, not going to the NWA. And Titan folks still swear they were NWA bound as they were claiming the office they weren't going as of late this past week, but they are. So there's there's some type of lie being told here. Not defending it, but at least I have a better understanding now of why they decided to leak the failed cocaine test to WCW. Yeah. It's still a shitty thing to do, you know, but and I don't think that whoever did it or whoever arranged for it to happen had any idea it would have the degree of repercussions on his career that it had. But if they were leaking it specifically to WCW, they knew it would have some. And that's just a shitty thing to do. Yeah. Like, whatever you want to say about Tully Blanchard, besides the fact that everyone else was doing coke anyway, there are no stories of him being in no condition to perform and missing dates and stuff. It's not like he had become less dependable or anything. It's just it's a guy who they were pissed at and they had something they could use against him. But also, there's a thing mentioned here about how there was talk that he was in the locker room trying to get guys to go to the NWA. 
So you could also see they'd be pissed off about that too. Honestly, after how everything went a year earlier, if I'm Vince or JJ or whoever, that's my thing to use against him much more than the Coke test. And then the thing is, is that fucking Petrick and her didn't want to be part of anything like that because they're fucking idiots. <laughs> I mean, think about it. Wouldn't you want these guys coming in? Wouldn't you want some type of mass access? God knows they needed it. Yeah. You know? So. Okay, so with this in mind, what do you think of Heard claiming last year that he was willing to bid up for Savage, but that it was Petrick that capped the contract that he could offer it's very possible that was the case this is what happens when you don't have a sole owner god knows we see in other sports robert i mean <laughs> hey, well yeah the, the, the braves the braves went through this uh, you know, the toronto blue jays at times are owned by the uh, rogers corporation yeah so we're owned by liberty media yeah you know? so they they got to where they were uh, sort of tight with the pocketbooks in the mm-hmm. in the two thousands. So when you don't have a sole owner like a Jerry Jones or a, mm-hmm. you know somebody like that or Vincent Man in wrestling at this point in time, I mean, yes, it, it, it makes it tougher. But yeah, I, re- I remember reading about this uh, in uh, Norm DaCosta's Toronto Star wrestling column. <laughs> there you go. And uh, I remember that even as an eight-year-old, uh, I was just aghast that out of everyone on this 1989 WWF roster, the guy on cocaine was Tully Blanchard. <laughs> Yeah, of all people. But, um, yeah, it's still Jim. I mean, Jim Hurd did totally worse than Vince did. Can we agree with that? You know? Because Hurd is the one that is basically saying, okay, now you just can't have a job. Pretty much. Pretty much. I think that's fair, but both companies did him dirty. Yeah. Especially, let me ask you this. If All Japan isn't in transition, do you think he gets a job there? If it's still the All Japan of a year or two earlier? He was a Japanese guy. He need, I, don't, I don't ever remember him even doing a tour. Well, I bring it up because there was that story from one of the last 90 shows we did about how he tried to get in and Baba said he didn't want, like, territorial-style American wrestlers anymore. I mean, it's possible. They, I mean, it's possible they could have brought him in, yeah. But, <clears throat> anyway... Um, and it's funny, isn't it funny how Tully and R suddenly want to go back to the NBA when Ric Flair takes over the book? <laughs> well, he's had the did book you know? for a few months, but... No, he has not! Oh, he only <laughs> just got it? When did he... I thought he got it earlier. No, he didn't get it till like, August or September. Okay, so it's... Pretty... Oh, no, it was, it was committee. Well, it was still yeah. a committee after, too, but... Well, he's the leader. When did uh, Tully show up in the AWA? 90. It's like, it got to be early, early, early 90. Early yeah. 90, yeah. Yeah. Um, let me see if I can pull up what old Norm DaCosta had to say about Tully. Let's see. <laughs> I think I got well, it. Well, anyway. I mean, it was, uh, whatever it was, was lifted directly from the Observer, no doubt. Or potentially made up. 
was mo- most of those columns at the time kind of were. Yes. Oh, here we go. Okay, so this is what he says the the weekend before uh, Survivor Series. Um, hold on, let me make sure I'm reading from the actual text, not the abstract. It's turkey time in the United States, and 40 of the World Wrestling Federation's top gobblers will be in action tonight. Oh no, it's the night of, so, uh, for the Survivor Series in Chicago. Survivor Series 89 was in Chicago? I guess so. Uh, the only change from the original yeah. arena has Bobby Heenan filling in for Tully Blanchard and the Heenan family team. The Brain Busters were set to make their farewell WWF appearance in the Survivor Scuffle before heading to, for the National Wrestling Alliance, but Blanchard got the boot last Sunday. Last Sunday? Hmm. After testing positive for drugs. Drugs. That's all it says. <laughs> oh, and we also have this um, later in the column. Um, the Ultimate Warrior, affectionately known as the Anabolic Steroid. He can't even get the joke, the joke right. <laughs> Does battle with Andre the Giant Hamburger for the Intercontinental Strap. Oh, he's talking about the, oh. uh, Saturday Night's Main Event or something. The, but he can't even get the joke right. Can't even call him the Anabolic well, Warrior. He was a, a Kenyan gentleman, so maybe <laughs> he'd have a, a strong accent. Maybe it was lost in the translation. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Anyway. Armed Acosta is Kenyan? What? I believe so, yeah. He was uh, primarily a soccer reporter. Okay, but he has an... I mean, it sounds like an Italian name, but whatever. No, no, no. I mean, I, I want to. I think. I think somebody needs to check his birth certificate. <laughs> it's like, it's, uh, Toronto's a strange place. So you have uh, Jewish Baharis and <laughs> Kenyan DaCostas. <laughs> Sketchy details on the TV tapings this past week in Topeka and Wichita. They taped Saturday main event in Topeka that way on November twenty fifth for two days of Survivor Series. Key Angle saw the genius beat Hulk Hogan by DQ, which didn't exactly throw a lot of the guys wrestling here. We've had to put Hogan over strong. Someone else the perfect took a hammer and smashed up the title belt to heat up there in pending feud, although Hogan wound up chasing both guys away and posing at the end. The only things Dave heard at the taping was that Henning beat Red Rooster clean, the Rockers beat Tully and Arn in two straight falls, with Bobby Heenan firing Tully and Arn between the falls. It was a great match, and that Vern, Vince doesn't miss a trick, does he? Rick Martell did a TV7 where he was modeling clothes. They're also going to do their own version of the Robin Green angle. Oh, get this, folks. With an overweight black woman who Dave believes worked as a wrestler in the early 70s having a crush on Dusty Rhodes. <laughs> Sapphire! No newcomers to the tapings, although Bobby Jaggers worked as a job guy. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure if you asked Bobby Jaggers, uh, he'd tell you he headlined MSG with Hogan <laughs> that week. <laughs> Right after he got finished serving in Nam with Manny Fernandez. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, there's your uh, Saturday Night Main Event stuff, which uh, we haven't covered that one, but we will in the future. So there you go. Their own version of Robin Green, huh? There, yeah, Sapphire and Robin Green. Who would have known? But I mean, I, mean, I kind of get where Dave is coming from there, especially because- knowing that she was a wrestler, which she was briefly. But I'm talking about the, the fan in the stands angle. I mean, it, there there is some similarities there. She was uh, Princess Dark Cloud. Mm-hmm. <laughs> hey, I got, uh, I know I usually save these for the end of the show, but I got a uh, Red Rooster joke. 
Okay, go ahead. Uh, why did the red rooster cross the road? I don't know. Why did he uh, cross the road? Because uh, there was a black guy on his side. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Why did the red rooster cross the road? Why, Bix? Because Kimono Wanalea was on the other side. <laughs> Reliable source had told Matt Watch that WrestleMania 6 originally from Toronto and announced that it's expected from Titan Sports within 30 days. Titan sources are not telling the main event for the show, and the report comes on the heels of a Canadian source telling Matt Watch, God knows who that would be, that Donald Trump had offered a $4 million site fee to keep WrestleMania in Atlantic City for a third year. The show will likely air on pay-per-view from the Sky Dome in Toronto on April the 1st. So Steve Beverly had it before anybody else did. Yes. Exciting times. It's, from its uh, Canadian source. <laughs> it's hard to overstate just what a novelty of the Sky Dome was in 1989. Oh, man. I mean, that was, I mean, that venue was the shit. I mean, because mm-hmm. well, the hotel gimmick, especially, too. Well, the Blue Jays, <laughs> yeah. well, it, it held that the Blue Jays were, were really good that year. Went yeah. to the ALC, ALCS, and Jose Canseco, who was one of the king shits in baseball at the time, hit a home run that hit the hotel. <laughs> yes, I remember. Yeah, that, that was a that was a, a great time in that Toronto Sky Dome because it was yeah. I mean, it was state of the art fucking facility. Yeah, I and, think. Well, and the hotel also gave us probably the highlight of what is known as the ESPN sex tape. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there were there were a few uh, incidents up there over the years, uh, but yeah, it, it, it actually wasn't even ready to start the season. I think uh, it opened in June of that year, but uh, yeah, my mom took me to a Blue Jays game uh, at some point. I think it was maybe in the first month or two. Uh, definitely wasn't the first one, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's. As dumb as it sounds now, I remember all my friends at school uh, buzzing about the fact that there was a McDonald's in the stadium. Oh, that's a big fucking deal. <laughs> yeah. Because, I mean, you go you go to, you know, stadiums in that era, and the concession stands were just your regular concession stand, hot dog, hamburger deals. But to have a, reg- to have a restaurant there, a name yeah. restaurant, holy shit. I remember uh, the Skydome uh, even had its own mascot, uh, Domer the Turtle. Domer. Domer, that's not, not a reference to uh, Bix's favorite pastime, uh, getting dome. Well, but, uh, <laughs> well Chris, Chris Champion got dome as a turtle, so. <laughs> oh. So. What? Domer the Turtle. Domer the Turtle. Domer the Turtle. <laughs> We got blue. I, I have a Domer the Turtle t shirt somewhere. Yeah, we got Blooper here. That's our mascot. <laughs> you, you, no more uh, Chief Nakahoma. Yeah, they had to get rid of him. <laughs> it's just a little bit of a sore spot. And, Ho- well, Homer the Brave came after Chief Nakahoma. <laughs> I mean, a guy, a, a guy in a Braves uniform with the, with the giant Braves head. Oh. So, yeah, that, that had to go. But anyway. There well, we actually we had to, technically there were two mascots. Uh, there was uh, Domer and of course uh, BJ Birdie. <laughs> you take your Domer pick. and BJ. You get a, get a <laughs> Domer, or you get a BJ. <laughs> oh, Great my times God. to be a kid in Toronto. <laughs> oh. 
and meanwhile, um, come uh, December 7th in the Toronto Star, from Norm DaCosta, the Ultimate Warrior stint as a good guy in the WWF is about to end. The anabolic steroid, he's doing it again, <laughs> will become a heel I, yeah, soon. Yeah, I don't know what was up with that. So he can battle Hulk Hogan for the heavyweight championship of the world at WrestleMania 6 on April 1st. This extravaganza is slated for either the Sky Dome or Los Angeles, which is true, because, you know, as we learned when there was that big article in the LA Times, once they finally landed a future WrestleMania, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. they had been bidding or trying to bid or get or whatever, get WrestleMania back into 89. Yeah. All right, so the actual story about Barry Wyndham, Widowmaker, is that he had an operation to remove a benign tumor underneath his breastbone and should be back in a few weeks. Several at Titan continue to deny there was an injury, but that's the case. So basically what happened is, and we've talked about this before, this happens, this takes him out of Survivor Series, then Kendall and Blackjack get arrested, and he just... I think he and the office agree that for everyone's sake, it's probably best he just leaves and takes some time off to deal with his family. Yes. Yeah, pretty much. And didn't throw up any roadblocks, it seemed, to him going anywhere else either, for once. No? No. You know, because he goes right to all Japan in, what's that, January or February? Uh, March. Is it March? I thought it was a little earlier, but still. And then uh, he's in... He's in WCW. I guess those tapings are what in April, because because isn't first it the first? No, because wasn't it the first uh, worldwide of sweeps that he returns on? Yeah, but I think it's uh, the they taped it April in the week. Okay, April third from May first, something like that. Gotcha. Okay. All sorts of rumors about guys leaving after Thanksgiving, but the only ones Dave knows of are the Rougeos and Blanchard Anderson. Where would anyone else go? The exception of uh, Bret Hart. Apparently, NBA hasn't seriously talked with anyone, and they are nowhere near a deal. The way business is now, unless you are the, like the Rougeau, simply want to go home and quit traveling, you don't quit tight unless you got a firm deal with the NWA or Japan, or you stand a good chance of winding up with nothing. The Rougeau's would have fit in, I think, well in the NWA. Mm. And Brett, yeah, Brett, this is the time where Brett had been talking about going mm. to the NWA. So... Rujos, I mean, basically they leave and do their thing, and yeah, that's about it. So, no mass exodus. Now, speaking of Brett, Brett was hospitalized after Sunday night's tar- car in Toronto, where he took the guardrail wrong in a match with Dino Bravo. He had to be stretched out of the building and spent the night in the Toronto hospital before being flown home on Monday to Calgary. The Toronto newspapers reported a ruptured spleen, but Dave's told that report was incorrect, and he got badly bruised ribs, but is in pretty severe pain. Um, though it was worse, it was a fractured sternum. Yeah. Hmm. I, yes, I, would, I was at the show. Oh. But, uh, yeah, I remember it was uh, a very uh, lengthy delay, the Brett getting hurt, and uh, yeah. Thank God for uh, Canadian healthcare. <laughs> there you go. And uh, he said, and this is a thing you hear from wrestlers who suffered major injuries during matches in this era. I think Dynamite talked about it with his back injury, too, especially because it looked so nothing in the moment that Brett's laying there hurt, and all he can hear is people at ringside screaming faker and stuff at him. <laughs> yeah. Well, it wasn't me, Bix, I can say that. 
Well, that's well, good. I, for- I forgot to put those results in a note, so I'm looking at them now. So you were at the show. Yes. 9,000 fans were at this show in Toronto, Maple Leaf Gardens. It featured Billy Red Lions conducting an in-ring interview with Bobby Heenan in which he discussed Andre the Giants rematch against Ultimate Warrior at the following month's card. Heenan said he tricked Warrior into a second of steel case stipulation, saying the Warrior thought they didn't want the match, so he demanded it. So we get Billy Red and doing an <laughs> yes. interview. How about Live that? Live and in living color. Mm-hmm. Don't you dare miss in. it. Got to get that CanCon in somewhere if you're not taking a can <laughs> all the time. Yeah. All right, our matches on this show. Nikolai Volkov over Jose Luis Rivera, subbing for Tim Horner. More on that in a minute. When the momentum of a crossbody by Rivera put Volkov on, Volkov on top. Hercules over Akeem by Countout. Dino Bravo over Bret Hart by Countout because of the injury. Demolition retained the tag titles, beating Arn and Tully. Dusty Rhodes over the big boss man. And then Warrior over Andre by DQ in 1041 after Andre shoved the referee in front of the champion. After altercation before the bell rang in the match, Andre further attacked the champion and executed several headbutts to the back of the head before dropping an elbow and making the cover. Moments later, as Andre celebrated with the title belt, or IC title belt, Warrior attacked him from behind and knocked him to the floor. And then in our main event, for the King's Crown, Macho King Randy Savage over Hacksaw Jim Duggan. So what are your memories of this show? <laughs> Not a hell of a lot. This was, uh, yeah, it was... Not not one of the better shows I attended. Uh, the uh, Brett injury definitely stands out the most. Was a Canadian hero getting hurt? Um, yeah. Got hurt. Well, you know what? I, I, I want to say. Is, uh... Oh, go ahead. I also have a memory of seeing a Maple Leaf Garden show, uh, main evented. By a flag match between uh, Jim Duggan and Dino Bravo. <laughs> Which was every bit as bad as it sounds. But, uh, but I, you know, my enduring memory, I mean, it was just a god-awful match. But uh, it, it, the match actually ended with Jim Duggan celebrating in the middle of the ring with the American flag in Toronto. And I well wait was it American flag versus Canadian flag or American flag versus Quebec, Quebec flag? flag? Yes. Okay. But I mean, at least throw them a bow. At least throw the the maple leaf in there at some point. But uh, I, for some reason, I vividly remember there was a teenage girl sitting in our section, and uh, for <laughs> reasons unbeknownst to me, she was literally moved to tears by this whole scene. <laughs> I don't don't know if she was American or uh, just a fan of the dildo blender. I don't know, but uh, <laughs> she was literally crying uh, in front of us at, uh, at the majesty of it all. Wow. So since it's on YouTube for free on Paul J's YouTube, why not let's hear uh, Brett's description of the Bravo thing from Wrestling With Shadows, shall we? Look at that look on his face. <laughs> this is like the I've made a huge mistake face. This is signing with WCW, I guess. <laughs> Did you ever hear the story of Blade when I broke my sternum? You know what a sternum is? Him and Blade in the car. That's this bone right here. Right there. I don't even know if you got one. Right there on me. 
It was in Toronto when I was wrestling a guy called Dino Bravo. All in the matter of seconds, I got knocked off the apron into the steel fence. Well, I had just hit the fence across point. my entire chest and sternum. I broke all my ribs. I thought I was suffocating, but I didn't know if I'd puncture my lung. I didn't know what happened. I just knew I got hurt really bad. I couldn't take a breath. And I think the most horrible part about it was so many people on the front row there screaming at me to get up, get up, you phony. It was scary, you know, that people actually thought this was all part of the show. For all I know, I could die here on the ground. The wrestler I was wrestling finally came out of the ring because I couldn't speak. He assumed I was okay and proceeded to stomp me across the chest. This guy was really strong. Just picked me right up and tossed me back in the ring. He was a wrestler I didn't particularly want to lose to. There was a one, two, and I put my foot on the ropes, which was my own move, but I just refused to lose to this guy. He stomped me a couple more times, and eventually got myself counted out, and they took me out of there in an ambulance. I was out for about seven weeks. They promised me they would look after me. But after a while, I realized that the checks weren't going to get any better than a couple hundred bucks a week. So I was back in the ring way sooner than I should have been. Ladies and gentlemen, a reminder to visit the World Wrestling Federation concession stands. Man, you're going to have to walk on my neck. My neck is killing me. You know where it's killing me? Right there. Those muscles right there. Right there? Right there. And in his book, he says that he hated losing to lesser workers, especially in Canada. <laughs> especially a Quebecer. Yes. There's that part, <laughs> All right, Tim Horner was also injured starting at Mascaragora, but don't know the extent of that injury. WF was at Mascaragora on October 28th, same night as Halloween Havoc, which, believe it or not, was a coincidence, since the garden dates are booked months in advance. Well, also, drawing, it's only on regional television. Drawing 16,000 fans and approximately 250,000 on gate. For all the compliments you may give the WF for the quality of the television production and promotional hype, the say these house shows leave something to be desired is understating the obvious. Uh, Dave's seen plenty of bad WF house shows over the past year, but this car with the exception of the main event ranks among the worst house shows Dave's seen from any group aside from nights when promotions and the rest are simply going to tank because there's no fans. Well, here are the results. Tito Santana over Bore Us Zukov for twelve forty eight <laughs> with a flying forearm. This is the second best match on the card. Oh God. Oh the nice pause at the end. Match itself consists of stalling. Test of strengths and nerve holes and orange track thrown in at the six minute mark. Half a star. Second best match on the show, folks. <laughs> Let's continue. Al Perez over the Conquistador. Jose Luis Rivera in ten sixteen after the helicopter. Timing was real bad between the two, and no heat at all. Subscribe doesn't know who Perez is yet. Dave's still trying to figure out what he wants sees in Perez. Good looking guys with nice physiques are a dime a dozen in business today, unless you have charisma or ability to go with it, it means nothing. Well, he had ability, he just didn't have charisma. Yeah, the only crowd noise with a boring chance. Rivera doesn't sell good moves good enough to make Perez's offense so effective. Negative half a star. Oh, this show's rolling. <laughs> Brad What's, Hart with it. Was yeah. what was Al Perez of Puerto Rican descent, or was he Cuban? Cuban. Cuban. That makes sense. Bret Hart went to a twenty-minute draw with Dino Bravo in a match which lasted eighteen eighteen. Bravo must be real bad because Brett missed three moves in the first six minutes, which either means he doesn't have excellent execution 
or his opponent makes it impossible to have it. <laughs> of course, Gino Monsoon still repeated that phrase ad nauseum during the match. Brett did so few early power moves great, but 9% of the match was either stalling or slow spots. Brett seemed to be working at less than 100%, so the injury he suffered the next night with Bravo in Toronto was probably building up. Hmm, how about that? There was no crowd reaction when Dino put on the bear hug, which he held for two and a half minutes, before <laughs> Brett pulled off a few two counts just before the bell rang. Dud. Next, we get the Brooklyn Brawler of the Unmasked, Jose Luis Rivera. <laughs> One who proved to be ter- equally terrible without the hood in 735. It was like an indie match with two guys with no experience, but these guys do have experience. Everything both guys did looked bad and no heat at all. This might as well have been intermission because they sure there was better execution of moves at the hot dog stands at this match. Negative quarter of a star. Negative star in a quarter, excuse me. Next, we get Randy Savage over Jim Duggan to keep the crown in 1603. Sherry Marteau, who had half her face painted black and her hair frizzed out, that she looked like an alien from Star Trek, carried her to part of the match. As the bout got going, Savage took some spectacular bumps and carried it to a good match. After a rep up, Duggan had Savage pinned after a few stationary clotheslines, like the kind of Dusty Rhodes used to Ric Flair, no referee. A few more penitents, no ref, until Sherry gave Savage the purse and hit Duggan with it. When they finally revived, referee Dan Davis made an ultra-slow count, and Duggan kicked out. A moment later, Savage pinned Duggan with his feet on the ropes, and Sherry holding his feet. Duggan looked terrible. This is like the old Flair Dusty matches, where one guy was good enough to make the match by himself. Three and a quarter stars. And then we have this. Hercules beat Akeem by count out 11-20. Words cannot describe how bad this match was. <laughs> if this was on a favorite show, it went worst match of the year. Akeem missed the tackle and wound up on the floor and was counted out. Negative two and a quarter stars. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, these those two guys who could work, too. Well, there ain't a Mid-South no more, bro. <laughs> no. Oh, I believe it. Well, and it's That's... Babyface Hercules. Yeah. Ooh, it's on YouTube. Yes. Uh, I mean, yeah, I'll it's, play it's it in pre- the background if I do anything. But <laughs> Mr. Perfect beat Jimmy Snuka with a fisherman suplex. Perfect plus 1037. Not one move until the five-minute mark where Henning used the hot shot. The only action up to the point was an exchange of chops at a three-minute mark, and Snooker using two or three thumbs to the throat. Snooker was stationary most of the way, and Henning did very little half a star. Next, we get James, the ultimate chemical freak, <laughs> defeating Andre, <laughs> the ultimate genetic freak, at 21 seconds at the three clotheslines. They played the music the entire match, and afterwards, and by the time the music stopped, Warrior was long gone. It was still better than if they actually had to try to do a match between these two, dud. Then we had the Bushwhackers over the Powers of Pain by DQ in 754. Chino Monsoon called the Warlord and Barbarian Brothers, <laughs> which goes against the WF Cardinal Rule of Acknowledging Relatives, except it was okay because it was within the WF parameters for analysis of never telling the truth. Your basic midget match, Mr. Bougie jumped in with the cane and the refs off with the finish half a star. Well, that's, it's actually true. Uh, Barbarian's real name was, in fact, uh, Sioni Sapinski, <laughs> the, uh, the Tongan Polak. What a show. <laughs> yeah, that uh, Toronto show is looking a lot better now. Yes. But, you know, I mean, now we're like starting to see. Yeah. And also with this match running in the background, we're starting to see what Dave was talking about because Hercules threw two body punches that missed by about a foot. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I said, this is like this is like comfort food watching these shows. This is what I grew up on 
like Rennie Coliseum videos and stuff like that. So I have a, a soft spot. Mm-hmm. For, I mean, this is MSG, though. Yeah, I know. This is something I could pop in and have fun watching. Nice, but knowing I'm not going to get good wrestling. <laughs> also, holy shit, does this show speak well for Randy Savage's drawing power? <laughs> well, the Macho King, I mean, he was hot. We know it. I mean, he was red hot in this era. Absolutely. Well, also, should I be pulling up newspapers to see if uh, maybe the show really drew more than 16,000? Eh, there's something to worry about that. Okay. All right, there I've had a major fiasco on October 28th at the first afternoon show in Springfield, Massachusetts. Yes, this was the show before the MSG show. So maybe these guys had a reason. The <laughs> card was set for a 1 p.m. start. However, the wrestlers were, for the most part, arriving from Detroit the night before, and the plane wasn't even due to arrive until 1.50 and didn't until 2.30. So the card started an hour late with the main event of Savage and Duggan, who worked at Syracuse the previous night on first, as they were among the only ones in the building on time. They did a three-star match installed for 23 minutes with a five-minute ref bump in between. <laughs> Second match saw the Bushwreckers beat the Powers Pain by EQ in 20 minutes. <laughs> Half a star. Then they had a 23 minute intermission, followed by the Nikolai Volkov going to a 20 minute draw. Can you imagine? <laughs> it should be a violation of the Geneva Convention. <laughs> Then Perfect beat Snooker in 17 minutes, one star. Henning stalled all the Zabisco most of the match. Tim Horner collapsed in his match with Bret Hart with a legit injury after four minutes. Correct what they reported. That Horner was hurt in MSG. Actually, he was hurt here in MSG. Hercules pinned Akeem in a half a star match. <laughs> and Warrior beat Bravo by count out one star. Ugh. No shows were a Jake versus DiBiase match and the Widowmaker, of course, who still has a return. So this may explain a lot of things on this show, you know? Yes. I, I don't want to say uh, these matches sound really bad, but uh, <laughs> if this show happened in Texas now, you could probably collect about 30 grand under the new law. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? Yes. Wow. <laughs> like, how do you come up with three, though? <laughs> well, uh, that's uh, probably on the low end, actually. But, uh, I mean, dear God, you've got... Uh, yeah. Bushwhackers, powers of pain going 20 minutes. Woke a 23-minute intermission followed by 20-minute draw, Volkov and Jose Luis Rivera. Oof. 1989, Jimmy Snuka going 17 minutes. <laughs> So wait a second. Who was supposed to wrestle Wyndham? Oh, who knows? Hmm. Wait, it, it, Brett? Brett wrestled Horner. <sighs> maybe. Or no, maybe but I'm it saying, was Wyndham but, and Horner. But that's a babyface match. On the undercard, which is a thing they don't really do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. Anyway, they just yeah. Looking at the lineup, like I don't think they would have booked Volkov Wyndham. Well, no, Volkov's a heel, yeah. So mm-hmm. no. Oh, so maybe it was supposed to be Volkov against Re- <sighs> Volkov Horner and Brett Wyndham. We're trying. It's no sense in this. Let's okay. move on. 
right. Palace and Auburn Hills on October 27th in front of 7,000 fans. We had Tim Horner over Nikolai Volkov, something for the Widowmaker. There's your answer, bitch. Mr. Perfect beat Jimmy Snuka, Hercules over Akeem, Dino Bravo over Bret Hart, Demolition retained tag titles over Arnitale, Rude went to double count out with Piper, and Warrior of Andre by DQ. So it was Horner and Volkov. Uh, Colorado Springs, Colorado on the 29th drew 1600 and a $20,000 gate. His honky talk man beat Jim Nam on Nightheart. Tugboat Thomas over Barry Horowitz. Rockers over Rougeau's. Paul Rome over Ted Dans. Who is that? Ted Dans. <laughs> What's it, Ted Dans? <laughs> Ted Danson's dad, because Ted Danson is Ted Dans' son. <laughs> <laughs> Let's look at see here, because that's got to be wrong. Here, as I go to. History of WWE, Ted Dans. Um, October 29th at Colorado Springs. It's Ted Dans! <laughs> Whoever the fuck that is. Um, also, Haku gee, I wonder, why, I wonder why Dave has a gate figure in Colorado Springs. Haku over Red Rooster, Rip Marto over Bruce Beefcake, and Jake over DiBiase by DQ. Now, speaking of the house shows, even though most of the guys have Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday off, says Titan folks, few shows midweek, unless it's TV week, they're doing the double shots once again on the weekends. And just like last year, guys are dropping like flies. Uh, you think? We're seeing it here. So <laughs> Every time I look up, uh, there's a new rest hold in this Akeem Hercules match. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and by the way, I did pull up on newspapers.com that MSG ad. Yeah, the, the ad is basically Randy Savage. The news. Well, yeah. <laughs> like, Dalton's picture is tiny, and uh, Warrior Andre is actually not pushed that hard. Aye. Okay, let's see if you guys can guess. What was pushed as the number three match on that MSG show? Hmm. So we've got, let's we've see. got the crown match, we've got the IC title match. Those are your top two matches. What's number three? Uh. Hmm. Perfect and snook. No, Chris? No idea. That would be the Bushwhackers versus the Powers of Pain. <laughs> well. No. Also, if you want to feel old, tickets went from nine to eighteen dollars. At the garden. Yeah. And uh, also they mention, I was not aware of this, they mentioned some of their uh, non-Channel 5 uh, time slots, talking about how you can also watch Superstars of Wrestling Tuesdays at 11 p.m. on WNJU Channel 47, which I had no idea was a thing at this point in time. Although, that is that the is that the national Spanish feed, or is that an English thing? Because I think Tuesday nights might have been the Spanish feed, right? I have no fucking idea what you're talking about. All right, let's move Never on. Mind. Bob Orton Jr. was told everything is booked through January, but they consider him when there was an opening. He's told about coming in for months and never does. So there's that. Nope. Supposedly, Cook will be where will be back early next year after being fired in Europe, which was the week for our week. Apparently, Jim Troy, the Titan VP in charge of international affairs and lying on pay buy rates, was the instigator of their fight in Brussels. Troy officially resigned from the company in order to work more in boxing, although he's still working out of the same office and is still a consultant to Titan Sports. That's interestingly phrased. Okay. So for former Edmonton Oiler. That's Troy. right. I didn't yes. realize he had actually played in the NHL. Okay. He did, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. Um, he, was, he was a goon. 
Well, okay, so let, let's talk. About In more this. ways than one, yes. <laughs> no, but uh, literally, as far as anyone knows, the reason that he was brought into Titan was that he had been the coach for the minor league hockey team uh, at the yes, Cod Coliseum. Yes. Vince liked him. Vince liked having this hockey goon around so he could feel like a tough guy. And somehow Jim Troy becomes one of their main executives for pay-per-view and international. <laughs> and and uh, gets his ass whipped by a wrestler half his size. Yes, and deservedly so, because he was drunkenly taunting him and telling about how he should go eat fried chicken and watermelon. Of course he was. <laughs> yes, and uh, actually, let me pull up Bret Hart's book. <laughs> Well, I mean, the fight did not take place during our week. Uh, well, true. Did we cover the week of the fight? No, we have not covered it. Okay, we need to do that at some point. But basically, it was a... They were given a pear that was dipped in some... Or soaked in some kind of very high-potency alcohol that Andre yeah. had procured. And everyone that took a bite from it got obscenely drunk. And... Something led to Jim Troy deciding to get his racist on with Coco Ware. The next morning, Brett sees all the damage, asks what happens. Coco's almost in tears, saying, like, what was I supposed to do with all the shit he was saying? And Brett responds something like, you can't, you can't beat up the, like, second most important executive in the company. And then Coco started crying again, and everyone looked at Brett like, what did you do that for? But... I'll say this, because normally you would expect them to have a double standard about this type of thing. Obviously, they should not have taken action as swiftly as they did with firing Coco initially. They did actually do the right thing in how they handled this. Yeah. Troy should not have been socializing with the wrestlers getting drunk with them in the first place. Um, he obviously should not have said what he said to Coco, and... At that point, especially if you are exercising your power over him as his boss and putting him in that position, like that, that is absolutely fighting words. I'm not a yeah. lawyer. I don't mean that legally, but, you know, colloquially, like, what do you expect Hoko to do in that situation? Mm -hmm. Especially in front of all the other wrestlers. Yeah. And it's something I do want to add, too, quickly before we move on. Troy... Like, I found going through ProQuest and stuff would do conferences and stuff. And that's one of those things people don't realize. Long before they went public, Jim Troy, Ed Cohn, Basil DeVito would all be at all sorts of corporate con conferences to talk pay-per-view and live events and syndication and stuff. So they, right. they were—my point is they were preparing to become part of corporate America long before they actually did. Mm-hmm. All right, and Bojack was announced as a new vice president of international pay-per-view operations for Titan Sports, replacing Jim Troy, who resigned after the ball with Coco. According to Titan's press release, Troy left to pursue opportunities as an independent consultant for pay-per-view international television sales. <laughs> sure. <laughs> I, wonder so. if that pro I wonder if that's online, but whatever. Hey, Where else have I heard Ann Bojack's name, though? Is it just a name that's come up in trade articles when we've read them, maybe? I don't know. They had a horseman named after, I know that. <laughs> well, and 
Maybe she's the mother of North Carolina anti-worker Bojack. I mean, it's possible. I went to church with a guy whose name was Bojack. Bojack Maddox. I always said that was a cool name. And yeah, there, I see some trade articles where I would have seen her, uh, would have seen her name before. And uh, no, if uh, wherever they put out the press release, it's not online. This one, for whatever reason, at least that I can find. All right, uh, we got a clip now. Brother Love it's on the Brother Love show during our week, the Survivor Series. So we get uh, quite the Survivor Series team here. As Roddy Piper has his band of misfits. What a group this is, folks. So let's go to uh, Brother Love and Roddy. And Roddy's Rowdies. Roddy's Rowdies. Boy, I'm thrilled. For anyone who looks to watch this on YouTube, this is not one of the best synced up Wrestling with Paul videos. No. Uh, it is several seconds out of sync. Anyway. Survivor Series! Roots Brood! <laughs> Captain by Ravishing Rick Roots! And consisting of Mr. Perfect and the fabulous Rujo Brothers! We'll be Sardine bath, remember that? I mean, look at this team, McMahon. <laughs> Superfly looks great. Yes. Yes, well, brother, uh, hot rod. Yes, you know, it ought to be. It ought to be rather interesting side. at Survivor Series. I mean, why, why, you, brother, just imagine working for this man. Because uh, what happened there was Piper just kind of lightly grabbed at uh, Bruce's belly slash jacket. And that's what led to Vince's little on the pudgy side. <laughs> also, meanwhile, Snooka is looking the most jacked he has since he come back. So, it, of course, Vince is like, yeah, Snooka looks great. God, his calves. <laughs> Do you think Vince did a double take when he heard Brother Rod? (laughs) The recently departed uh, Brother Rod. (laughs) Yes, sadly. Also, he should be Brother Piper. Why is he Brother Rod all of a sudden? But but, but I'm sure um, Bruce enjoyed Piper's ribbing him. That's his hero. Also... Why did they put Piper with these idiots for a Survivor Series <laughs> well, match that is part of a main event program he is working around he the probably, He probably suggested it, because look who's the team. Snuka, who he was his main rival years ago, and Sheepherders, who we he worked, who was, who was one of his main rivals in Portland. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah so I mean, he probably picked them. Yeah. 
Right. Isn't it amazing that Snuka finally comes back once his bankruptcy from the right after the uh, Nancy Argentina lawsuit is cleared? Mm-hmm. First to? of all, we have over here Cousin Butch. <laughs> Hi, Cousin Butch. Cousin Butch, he dates when he met him. He got, he's licking me, man. He's licking me. Over here, we got Cousin Luke. Hi there, Cousin Luke. He's licking me, licking me, man. He's licking me. Cousin Luke here, every morning has a glass of warm milk with a human hair in it. Over here... Mr. Snooker. <laughs> yeah, I call well, him Mr. Looking in those eyes. You do have, Brother Roger, have a man who's just this side of being a cannibal, and you, you have two, I don't know what they are, who get added two plus two, they couldn't come up with four. Wait a second, wait a second. Well, we're talking, would you stop that, man? We're talking about surviving, aren't we? We just stop. I got it, man. Stop him from licking it. We're talking about surviving. <laughs> We're talking about the Rougeos. If there's an inch of American in them, boys, I will kiss you. I ain't going to kiss you. We're talking about Mr. Perfect. Oh, We're talking about Mr. Perfect. He don't stand for perfect. They're biting my t-shirt. We're talking about Rick Rude. Well, these boys can get as rude as everybody. So, Body's closed, I'm leaving it. What are they doing? Tasting you? No, they're tasting you. Well, I'll tell you something right now, Brother Hot Rod. They're not going to taste Rick Rude, and they're not going to rip apart Rick Rude like they've done to you here. They could do it to you. Uh oh. Not the first time a man has been tasted and basted by the bushwhackers. <laughs> uh, that's foreplay, I think, what we just saw. <laughs> Good lord. Wow. Are you saying they maybe had different thoughts when they heard that Andre once worked his monster Eiffel Tower? <laughs> Possible. What a segment that was. Yeah. All right. What a promotion this is in 1989. They're making like, big money. They're making big <laughs> money, but it's also like they're also very intermittently weird. And this is yeah. uh, honestly the expansion era. This is one of the better years just for quality programming. But it, a lot of it's weird too, like the Snuka comeback, like the more pushed version of the Brushwhackers. You know, like there's a lot of strangeness in there. Yeah. All right. To close out, we go to the Pro Wrestling Torch. 
Norman a lunatic has caught the eye of the WF, who sources would say would like to bring him in and use him as George Steele's nephew, Jerry L. Steele. <laughs> yeah. I, what? <laughs> I had what? never heard this before. I, I, there's stuff in this era that I read in the torch and think sometimes that somebody's being young way to line of shit. <laughs> you mean because he is a child? Yeah. This reads like the type of stuff that led to us deciding not to pull stuff from Wrestling Forum. <laughs> yeah. Uh, if you told me uh, someone on the 1989 WWF roster had a relative named Jerry L. that liked <laughs> to give teddy bears to children, I would have guessed it was the Honky Tonk Man. Yeah. <laughs> Also, how about two weird, probably fake story? Well, one of them definitely fake stories about G- George Steele relatives on back to back between the sheets. Because <laughs> we had that yeah. Rich Myers thing last week. Yeah, with Dave somehow <laughs> thinking he was George Steele's shoot son. <laughs> I can see it. Uh, the the Norman thing. I mean, it's it's plausible. Well, because also. Wasn't one of the names that uh, Matt Bloom used on the very early developmental adjacent shows, uh, George Steele Jr.? Yeah. So they yeah. probably did have the idea at times because, you know, he's still working there. He's still an agent into at least, what, 95, 96? So yeah. he's there. And, and just thinking out loud, you know, mine was introduced not long before he left. It was something ripe to being merchandised more than it actually was. You know, that was only last year when this is happening. Maybe that ties into it. And also, when you think about it, also makes you wonder about when Mike Shaw finally does come in four years later. It's with him shaving his head and being quote-unquote gross. So I wonder if there's something just tying these things together like maybe maybe this is at least something that was mentioned if mm-hmm. if you're wcw i'd hope you signed him to a contract <laughs> also, yeah like jerry l steel why not jerry just jerry steel it, it, it just yeah i don't it makes no sense that, that part makes it sound more fake yeah that's why i put it in there because i'm just like this can't be true <laughs> I'm it just thinking, uh, um, there's nothing that would be a reference to Jerry Briscoe because he's, I forget, is he, uh, is he Fred or Floyd? I think, I think he's Fred, right? He's Fred Gerald Briscoe, you know, so it's still Jared, like, right, and it's with the G. There's no Jerry L or anything that I can think of, but anyway. Anyway. All right, well, that is it for this week's show. So, Robert, we definitely appreciate you being on back with us this week. So go ahead and plug away, my man. What I don't you know well, how much we're going to appreciate it if O'Karnak makes a return. <laughs> so that's your problem. Well, I mean, you can uh, follow me on Twitter, of course, uh, at Ghost of Quinones. Uh, for uh, more Frankie photos. Yeah. But I, I, I should tweet, uh, got a special Halloween photo, uh, Dark Side Frankie. 
Dark side Frankie. Okay. Dark side Frankie is uh, evil alter ego. Wow. Tweet that one out, but uh, of course, uh, support high spots, uh, all of that. But uh, I know, I know what everyone is waiting for, um, especially me. <laughs> well, you're waiting for this to get over with so you can watch the Braves. Well, I've been watching while we record, so this isn't that new. <laughs> but uh, yes, I was all right. So uh, give you uh, a couple of uh, O'Karnax, and uh, then we'll. Try something new here. Switch it up a little bit. But uh, we will start uh, with a couple classic Okarnex as I grab the envelopes here. I think everyone uh, gets the format by now. We'll uh, dedicate these uh, to the great Norm MacDonald, the uh, yes. Canadian national treasure. A great Canadian. Uh, yes. All right. So I have uh, the first uh, hermetically sealed envelope in my hand. Yeah. I will uh, hold it up to my head and uh, divine the answer and then open the envelope and reveal the question. Here we go. First envelope. All right. The artist formerly known as Prince and Brock Lesnar's penis. The artist formerly known as Prince and Brock Lesnar's penis. Ah. What is tiny purple and comes from Minnesota? (laughs) (laughs) All right. Second envelope. All right. Oh, interesting one. Kevin Nash and Michael Elgin. Kevin Nash and Michael Elgin. Calm down, Bix. It's going to be okay. (laughs) Name two wrestlers that took one finger poke, and next thing you knew, their partner had the strap on. (laughs) Well. Oh, my God. Ugh. I I curse you, Bix, for not selling that joke. May you find yourself working on the set of the upcoming Lethal Weapon reboot starring Arn Anderson and Alec Baldwin. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> Hope this is a union gig. <laughs> all right, all right. We got one more envelope and then we'll uh, we'll switch things up. Last envelope. Ah, John's Dripstick. John's Dripstick. Of course, John Uh, Morrison. Yes. yes. What could this be? Ah, how did Missy Hyatt contract her first case of gonorrhea from John Tatum? (laughs) (laughs) Only the first one. The rest are mostly Scott Putsky. See, this is one. See, this is one where the heat's going to come back on me. Because she already <laughs> thinks we say shit about her on this show. Well, excuse me. She thinks I say shit about her on this show that I don't actually say. Look, if she makes it th- this deep into the show, God bless her. Well, <laughs> love you, Missy. Also, I say, I, I, what's the, t- tell her Rob Naylor said it. <laughs> well, also, uh, given a certain mailing list that she's on, I don't know uh, how much she could. <laughs> 
listen to my nasal Semitic voice, but. <laughs> oh. All right. Well, yeah, so, so, enough of this shit. Let's uh, let's mix things up a little bit. So let's uh, try a, uh, a slightly different format. Uh, the theme here. No, 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 Bix. The, the theme here is uh, what's the difference? Very, okay. very simple. Very simple. This is exciting. No, so in no other words, you're just using involved. the same joke structure in a slightly different way. <laughs> you got it, yes. Vic. But it's it's more eco-friendly. I'm not yes. uh, tearing up envelopes. Yes. So here, I'll, I'll give you an example here. What's the difference between Daniel Benoit and David Benoit? Good night, everybody. <laughs> the answer, <laughs> David still has less hands-on training. <laughs> Jesus. Oh my god. Tell me it isn't true. <laughs> All right. Here we got a we got a deep cut here. Kinda hoping no one gets this one. You better What's... hope he doesn't go Western wear shopping anytime soon. <laughs> <laughs> oh god. What's the difference between Jim Crockett and Central States announcer Rick Stewart? That's <laughs> <laughs> incredible. Chris knows where I mean, I know where you're going with it. I just don't know what the answer is going to be. Well, the answer is when Jim Crockett realized he was making a mistake in Kansas City, he pulled out. (laughs) (laughs) Moving on. (laughs) What's the difference? Between Ric Flair and Paige. Hmm. The answer is Paige does ride trains. <laughs> she, she's European. They like their trains. Yeah, naturally. Yes. And As always, finally, the views of uh, Robert O'Connor do not reflect those of Between the Sheets or just for good measure, the High Spots Wrestling Network. Yes. <laughs> And finally, a festive one. Oh. Well, I can't wait for the other round of this one next time you're on the show. Because that, <laughs> that's a, wow. A, a, a new twist on a previously used premise. Yes. Always works. It always works. Yeah. You know, it, too bad we had some uh, technical difficulties toward the end. Uh, yeah, we had. Yeah, we went a lot something there. Yeah, there was one that we couldn't use. <laughs> that, that, yeah, so there's that. Yes, for the pers- habitual line stepper may have actually stepped over it for once. For, for personal reasons on that <laughs> regard. But anyway, enough of that. But anyway, so next week on Between the Sheets. We will be guestless. The two guests I tried to get on the show couldn't do it, and I didn't really want to try for anybody else. So next week we go back to 1996, where we'll talk about in WCW, Hulk Hogan appearing on Regis and Kathy Lee, making his first major media appearance uh, in his NWO gimmick, and that comes up. So we have that. Plus we'll have all the other news regarding Nitro, including... uh, an interesting experience with Akira Hokuto, which uh, has ramifications in multiple promotions. Uh, Sonny Ono, Dave's thoughts about him, 
and the character he's portraying. We got Roddy Piper signing with WCW, Randy Savage possibly leaving WCW, and what the hell's going on with Kurt Henning? So we'll have that. We got some AWF to talk about. Yes, Fallout Proceeds AWF. Randy Hales and Burt Prentice are going nuts in Memphis, so we'll, we'll talk about that on television. Uh, we got uh, all kinds of other indie news, as usual. We got the promotional wars in Mexico heating up as Promo Azteca is starting to try to steal more talent, including uh, one of the big stars of AAA. So there's that. We got uh, Japanese uh, wrestling where Pancrase is in uh, the news where Ken Shamrock's in a contract dispute. So we'll have news on that. We got war. We got some New Japan. But the big story of our week takes place in the World Wrestling Federation. And uh, we have Bret Hart doing an AOL chat, which is a very interesting thing to talk about. But the main thing, and the thing that's going to dominate this show, at least the first half of this show. On Raw, Brian Pillman pulls a gun on Stone Cold Steve Austin. All that more next week on Between the Sheets. And yes, there are a lot of thoughts about that. Dave especially. And USA Network and how all that played out. So yeah, we will have quite the show next week on Between the Sheets. Discussing I... Pillman and I may need to do some checking to see if there's any extra little uh, press releases or anything I can find, because as we talked about before, one of the big things coming out of that is how USA just completely shits on WWF and pretends they didn't give them permission. So there'll be a lot about that. We may we may find some just, nuggets there. Just to give you the, a hint, uh, Pillman and Austin talk is six pages long. Wow. So, Yeah be a lot of discussion on that next week but anyway that is next week so robert we appreciate you being on as usual can't wait to have you back on again as you kill it every time well thank you Bix, thank you as always you're the rock of the show this is chris says so long from the peach state of georgia <laughs>